we are proud to announce WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're all the way up to episode number 46 now. Wow, around the corner from number 50. Unbelievable, guys. It is January 2022, but here on the Grenade, we're heading into July of 1993 in the WWF. I'm your host, Ray Russell. Joining me, Mr. Steven Yankee Doodle Boy Extat. That's what I'm going to call you, Steve, all the way to SummerSlam. <laughs> Yankee Doodle. Thanks. Appreciate it. No, <laughs> no. So, Glad Steve, tell me, there. man, after last week's Lex, all about Lex Luger made in the USA, yeah, the new hero <laughs> of the World Wrestling Federation, what kind of a party did you have after? Did you have a hangover the next day after you got done celebrating that 90-minute classic all about the former narcissist? Now he's made in the USA. Yes, there was one more man, and it was Lex Luger. Yeah, I was I was a little drunk after that one. I would imagine you know, drunk um, on drunk on Luger, drunk on Lex Luger, yeah, Lugerosity. Yeah, <laughs> so next next t shirt. <laughs> I got I got to start writing these damn t shirts down before somebody steals them all. I know yeah. everybody's uh, chomping at the bit. Shout out to Shawn Michaels on that one. We'll pick. We'll hear that on face to face later on in this episode. But I was ch- chomp. Everybody's chomping at the bit to steal my idea. Lugerosity. What a tremendous shirt that'll be. 
Yeah, is that is that is that on the lines of dutricity or whatever the hell it is? Destrucity. Oh, Destrucity. You, you yeah. You don't you don't mock Destrucity. Warrior man here talking about Destrucity. <laughs> That's over on the other show. That's over on Monday Warfare. Yeah, you guys yeah. should be a. Uh, you guys can go there right now and start listening to new episodes of Monday Warfare, the Battles Within, our sister show. We're in the heat of things in 1996. It's the King of the Ring qualifying matches on Raw. And Nitro has went to two hours, and Scott Hall has invaded WCW, Steve. Yeah, and we also had, I think, an episode where we talked about some lady who writes about her, whatever the hell it is. Distrucity. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, distrucity. It's a a fake word. We about what what she's writing about, so... (laughs) Uh, if you're, I know that's just gonna whet the appetite of all our Monday Warfare fans. If that doesn't get them back in the seats, I don't know what will. Yeah, if Destrucity doesn't interest you, uh, <laughs> then what the hell are you listening to Monday Warfare for to begin yeah. with? It was all about getting to Destrucity and maybe the NWO. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> a little bit there. Uh, yeah, so we are creeping up on the NWO there on Monday Warfare, but here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Lex Luger has just slammed Yokozuna! On the USS Intrepid, and we're going to talk about the entire fallout from that show on the Intrepid, and we're going to take things starting with July 5th, Monday Night Raw here today, and go all the way through August 1st. But before we do that, we'll talk a little bit about social media. You guys can listen to us, the Wrestling Memory Grenade, our sister show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, TR Shocks the World, and more on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network that's at WrestleCopia.com. And, of course, all of your other podcast streaming apps that you guys may listen to us on Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, so many more out there. And now, as of this week, Steve, Facebook offers a RSS feed so that you can actually, on the Facebook app, at least here in the United States thus far, it has to be the Facebook app, though. I haven't been able to find how to do it on my laptop. But on the Facebook app, you can now go straight to facebook.com slash wrestling grenade and click the podcast button. You can click down. It'll be a drop down menu. You guys can pick the wrestling memory grenade. You can pick Monday warfare, TR shocks world. Any of our shows are available to those who don't want to open up Spotify or whatnot on their phones. You can just open up your Facebook. I know you guys are out there using it anyway. Facebook.com slash wrestling grenade. And now you can listen to our shows right there on Facebook, Steve. Welcome to the 21st century, uh, Facebook, or what is it? Meta. It'll be meta here sooner. Meta? meta sooner. Meta, yeah. meta. Jesus. I think they, uh, I think they only paid a Bobby Heenan joke for that. You know, uh, you had nine months and this is what you come up with. Well, best what, you can do is Owen. It's even more pathetic is, I mean, Facebook's a billion dollar corporation and they didn't bother to, bother to check that somebody else already owned the name and they had to go pay a bank $6 million in order to own the name meta. Uh, that, that's like five dollars to us normal folks. Well, so, still, still, uh, it's still Zuckerberg can do whatever the hell he wants, but uh, yeah, <laughs> not very smart. But the point glad is, you though, can go to Facebook and listen to us. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you guys... about Facebook. Yeah, there you go. And we're everywhere now, guys. <laughs> and I'll soon be dropping all of our shows on our YouTube account as well. But let's talk about our social media accounts. Go to Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. That's our number one account. I love all our fans there on Twitter. You can follow us at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, home of the free prize giveaway. Also, like I was just talking about, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow us and like us there for your chance to win all future free prize giveaways. In fact, we have one currently up and going. It was announced last week. Steve announced last week that he's throwing up a, a, another Lex Luger promo pick. This time it's a 1993. He's made in the USA, guys. An autographed Lex Luger promo pick. Red, white, and blue, baby. 8x10. 
of the former narcissist. Now, all of a sudden, he's Mr. USA, Lex Luger. And I've also added a magazine from this time period as well. I'm giving away. You guys can go to social media and check that information out. And you can win both of these prizes, guys. And there's two separate prizes. I want to make that very clear. Steve's giving away the Luger autograph. And I'm the lowly guy giving away the magazine from 1993 with Luger on the cover. But I wanted to point out these are two separate giveaways. So there's a chance for two different people to win. So follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook, and we'll get things going. And we're going to announce both winners at the start of our SummerSlam watch-along episode in just two weeks' time. My, how time flies. In two weeks' time, we'll be two-thirds of the way through the year of 1993. Yeah, time is flying by. But yeah, absolutely. Go follow us, like us, retweet us, whatever you got to do. Get that prize. I'll be happy to send it to you. Keep liking and following. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook for your chance to win not just the Luger magazine or the Luger autograph promo pick, but future, all future free prize giveaways as well. And of course, before we get going here with WWF News for July of 93, let's uh, talk about YouTube. Guys, we're over there, our official YouTube.com slash wrestling grenade website. You guys can go over there and check out videos I've been uploading from the WWF in 93. There's also some old NWA 1989 videos, some really good ones there. A, I was just I was scrolling through. I forgot some of the stuff I put up there. And there's that great, the, the first match between Dick Murdoch and Lex Luger in the fall of, of uh, when Murdoch randomly came back for no reason there uh, in the fall of 89. Really good stuff up there as far as the NWA. And bad stuff, too. The dynamic dudes are, are in those videos. But anyways, I just wanted to remind everybody, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade going to continue to add more WWF 93, more USWA 93, especially now that we're getting to getting close to that uh, Mick Memphis, if you know what I mean. For those who don't know what I'm talking about, there's a there's a a fellow online who made uh, a string of videos he took from the USWA 93 footage. And it starts when McMahon, Vince McMahon, yes, his original heel run was in the USWA. And it starts with Vince, uh, Vince entering the company, doing promos as a heel. And it runs through well, a few months of the feud here in the USWA. But we're doing it from the beginning. We're going to have everything up. You guys have already seen some Papa Shango and some other good things. Doink and, and some other things. The narcissist in the USWA. Oh, my God. Uh, but so much more coming. Bret Hart coming right here on this episode, Steve. Wait to hear that promo. I can't wait to hear this promo. So Maybe put a little effort into it since he's feuding with, with Lawler. Well, the problem with this promo is it's pretty good for about a minute. The problem is it was about a two-and-a-half-minute promo. <laughs> that's, the, <laughs> that's the problem. That's a Bret Hart in 93. Yeah, that's, that's like a good summary of Bret in 93. There we go. Uh, this week, guys, uh, it's all about July news to kick things off. We've got a couple of deaths to talk about before we get going with the actual show. Uh, July 18th, 1993, former WWF promoter Phil Zacco passed away at the age of 82. Zacco, Steve, I'm sure you've probably heard his name at the beginning of one of the shows when they used to announce all of the, the referees and the this and the that and the other. Back in the old days, the longtime promoter of the WWF, he, he was based out of Philadelphia. He ran the Spectrum shows. But not only that, Zacco was part owner of Capital Sports which is what Titan Sports was before it became Titan Sports. It's what Vince's dad called the WWF. That was their company. The WWF was Capital Sports, and it was co-owned. A lot of people think Vince Sr., or they call him Sr., but they have different middle names. I won't get into that. Plenty of people believe that Vince Sr. was the owner of the Worldwide Wrestling Federation, when in fact that's not entirely true. He had business partners, 
as any big business does. Phil Zacco, one of them. Willie Gilsenberg, who was the on-screen president up through the late 70s. And Gorilla Monsoon had a stake in the old company. Of course, by 82 or so, Vinny Jr. bought everybody out and owned everything outright. But he kept Gorilla on anyway. Phil Zacco, the longtime promoter, passes away. Also, this is not WWF related, but it is memory grenade related. We've got to go back to NWA 1989. A fellow by the name of Ron Ames, a former NWA WCW promoter and front office employee who later worked in Global, the GWF in Texas, passed away on July 10th of 93 related to uh, AIDS death. Ames worked in media relations with WCW a few years back as well as promoting and did the in-ring announcing and office work for GWF. But probably, and Steve, you'll remember this, the most well-known in front of the camera work he did was in 1989 as the imitation Ric Flair, that's F-L-A-R-E, on TBS in the classic Terry Funk interview uh, when Flair was out of action selling the neck injury. Remember, the Ric Flair came out with the yellow streak down his back. That was this guy right here. He passes away here in 1993. Oh, yeah, good times. That was a great promo. Great segment. Uh, One of my favorite ones from 89. Good shit. Terry Funk was on a roll there in 1989. Great (laughs) stuff by by the Funk. Absolutely. Uh, I'm I'm determined eventually we got to get another year worth of wrestling with Terry Funk involved. But for now, we're going to continue. We're going to pick things up with a couple of fun news and notes here, Steve. Uh, Remember Tom Italy? (laughs) Or uh, we really know him as the (laughs) Italian Stallion. He broke his old world spaghetti eating record on June 26th in Princeton, West Virginia. What a place to have a world spaghetti eating championship. Stallion ate one pound of spaghetti in 17.2 seconds, breaking his old record of 21 seconds. This mark got a good deal of local publicity. Well, it is freaking Princeton, West Virginia. And will be in the next edition of the Guinness Book of World Records. Congratulations, Italian Stallion. Cornette loved to put that over on commentary throughout the years. Uh, Mike Shaw, you know that guy. He's uh, also known as Bastion Booger here in the World Wrestling Federation. He missed his July 4th indie booking. Yes, he's allowed to still work indies because he's not working full-time on the house shows for Vince. He's just not that important, Steve. Uh, in Livonia, Michigan, when his car broke down and he waited for hours on the side of the road before anyone would help. DeMelt says, guess that new look WWF gave him <laughs> made passing motorists not so helpful in seeing a bizarre-looking 400-pound man with no eyebrows and a shaved head. You think? I don't know what I would have done if I saw that on the side of the road. I'd have been a little scared myself. Get AAA. Call it a day, right? Oh, do you, do, you, see, uh, my do you see his ass walking a couple miles down that to the exit to go find a payphone back in 1993? I don't know. Probably not, no. <laughs> uh, he's blown up walking to the ring, so no. My question on the Italian sound, is it just the noodles or is it sauce too? Noodles, I believe, if I remember correctly. Just noodles. Wow. I believe so. That's, I think so. That's, I'm assuming cooked, right? Yeah, I would have to. I would have to imagine. <laughs> I, I've seen a clip of it on something somewhere before, but it's been a long time. I, I just remember Probably it being noodles. Like ESPN, Wide World of Sports or something, Could where they be. showed everything. No, that's very interesting. Nice, uh, Nice stories there. Uh, Poor Mike Shaw. <laughs> another little note here. Uh, I actually, I actually pointed this out a couple of weeks ago on on the uh, I think June into July fourth episode. But on television, Vince McMahon referred to Rich Myers, that's the job guy. Rich Myers has been working a lot here lately in the company as the son. And this is Vince McMahon shooting on on TV, but kind of you know under the under the covers. We don't know what he's talking about. But he says Rich Myers, the son of the all time great Jim Myers. Of course, you guys may know Jim Myers better as George the Animal Steel. So Vince telling the truth there, but uh, not really letting the cat out of the bag as to who Jim Myers really was. Yeah. 
One other quick thing on Mike Shaw. Imagine mm-hmm. if he was his monk and sing gimmick <laughs> standing on the side of the road. Well, <laughs> Takes the bike would pull over any quicker. Friar Ferguson, maybe? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Pretty much anything. Norman? <laughs> Norman with the uh, anything, eye, eye yeah. bags? Oh, nah, oh nah, nah. Norman would be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. Anyway, we'll, we'll keep it moving. In other news, it appears the Bob Backlund experiment may finally be over as Bob Backlund did jobs in the Northeastern Stomping Grounds where he was WWF champion for six year, nearly six years. He did jobs to Bastion Booger all weekend. So he's got to be just moments away from being oh. through with the company, says DeMeltz. <laughs> Man, you know you're done if you're getting job to him. Virgil beat Burger, you know? It feels to me like they're just trying to get him to quit, maybe. They don't really want Bob, Vince feels bad that he's going to have to fire Bob when he does all these releases. And it just feels like, hey, let's let's see if he'll quit if he does jobs to bash the booger. At this point, I think Bob's just happy to be there. Could you ever imagine Bob Backlund complaining backstage? I, I can't. No, I can't either. I mean, he's nuts, but I don't see him complaining. <laughs> so not only is the Bob Backlund experiment over, but it also appears the Giant Gonzalez experiment may be over, too. DeMeltz believes... Giant Gonzalez's last match will be SummerSlam, and then supposedly he's leaving the WWF and moving to Tampa, Florida. I wonder whose idea that was, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Gonzalez, he finally did his first pinfall job on June 18th in Moline, Illinois, with The Undertaker pinning Gonzalez after hitting him with a chair, which is his only U.S. pinfall result. Uh, as far as DeMeltz is concerned, for Gonzalez, the, uh, every other match so far between Gonzalez and Undertaker has always been that disqualification. Uh, here's some nasty news. You want to talk about a little nasty boy, Steve? I know the answer is no, but you don't really have a say. That was more of a rhetorical question. We're going to talk a little nasty boys here for a second because I found this amusing. In their shoot interview, Knobs claims they quit because they got a great deal from WCW. They were going to get paid uh, big numbers. They were offered the WCW tag team titles. And they were getting a guaranteed contract, something I don't even think existed at this point in WCW. But the Nasty Boys started with WCW on a per-appearance basis. That doesn't sound like a guaranteed contract to me, Steve. Not a guaranteed contract. So the uh, Knobs maybe got a story a little mixed up there in a shoot interview. No way. Not, not Brian Knobs. These guys wouldn't lie to you. No. Well, Jesus. that's that. Hopefully, that's the last time we mention them here on the Grenade in 1993. Yeah, <laughs> so we go on. I would appreciate it. <laughs> now, over on the Monday Warfare Show, we always talk ratings. And here we only do it every once in a while when I feel that it's kind of important. This feels important to me because the Raw episode with the rematch coming up between Razor Ramon and the 123 Kid does a 3.1 rating. Cable ratings for All American. This is All American, by the way, guys are well ahead of last year as well at this time, and Raw is about .8 or almost a whole point ahead of where primetime was last year. So for as bad as things are in 93, they're still better than 92. I don't even know if they're bad in 93, to be fair. I mean, the the top of the card isn't bad, but I'm telling you, man, Raw was just different. Just hit different. Everything about it was different. I was. I, I meant more along the lines of overall business. The house shows. Yeah, yeah, and, business and, and everything was down, but. Raw, man, that I'm sure like 93 Raw drew a lot of fans in, like it did me. Like it was just so different and unique. And you saw good matches and hot angles that were only for TV and all that stuff. So it was a definite nice change of pace compared to watching tape shows from three years prior. You know, you're watching shit from 89 on 91 primetime. So uh, it's it's head and shoulders above primetime, even though I love primetime. But, um, 
they made the right choice for sure. Mm, yeah, book it. The Melts claims that Randy Savage is moving to Connecticut from Florida to work full time in the office on the booking side. Rumors were flying all week that Macho Man was the top candidate to become the new WWF booker. My response was, um, do you remember hearing anything? I'm sure Randy got it was easily allowed input. I'm sure he gave his input. I'm sure Vince McMahon listened to his input. But at no point do I ever remember there being talk of Randy Savage taking over the book. Yeah, I don't I don't recall that at all. He does say rumors were flying that he was taking it over. Doesn't mean he did. Uh, Macho Man as a full-time booker would probably be like Ric Flair. <laughs> Take care of your shit. I'm going to book my stuff. Everybody else handle their own and be that. But I think he would just get... I, I can see him getting burnt out from that real quick. Well, I could also, you know, like you know, bookers, bookers many a time over the years like to put themselves <laughs> into some of the, uh, they feel like they can, you know, do the, do well, the most. And I'm not, I'm not questioning Randy Savage as, as a draw or as a name, but you know, it's, I get, I get, if that's not what the owner wants and he, I got all these great ideas. I could feud with Shawn Michaels. I could feud with Yokozuna. I could turn heel and feud with The Undertaker. Whatever you want to do. Like, there's, I, got, I got a list of feuds right here. Yeah, Randy, but your name's in every single one of them, pal. So that might have been. I could see that also being an issue. Well, you know, we did get Crush coming up soon. Ugh. So um, Come on, Come on. that's not bad. Shaka. That's not bad. There was a match. Anyway, we'll go on. <laughs> uh, we're not talking about that match. We won't get to that match ever, I'm sure. So there is a uh, a little segment here I call Brother, Brother. Uh, the reason they brought up Hulk Hogan's name on the list of contenders for Yokozuna during commentary lately on Raw is because Hogan will be working Yokozuna for the WWF title on the upcoming European tour, so they can't completely bury him just yet. Hulk Hogan's movie, Mr. Nanny, which was slated to come out earlier this year and then in early June and then at the end of June, has now been scheduled for a September release after being pushed back since January, Steve. So Mr. Nanny just doesn't want to be released. Nobody, I bet you those initial runs or initial screenings didn't do very well, huh? Well, I mean, just by looking at the picture of the video, I never wanted to watch it. So, yeah. That's where <laughs> I watched it. <laughs> I was a young kid, so it was one of those. Hey, man, I watched Suburban Commando. Movies. I mean, it's I bought Suburban Commando on iTunes, so I have it. I have that in Noel's Bard, so... Yeah, for those who don't know, Undertaker in Suburban Commando. How about that? Yeah, classic. <laughs> I like Suburban Commando. Well, too. we're in trouble now, Steve. I wrote, uh-oh, word is out that Titan Sports is going to cut back to having just one touring group. No more Group A and Group B, Steve. Just one group. Yikes. After August 15th, which means the number of wrestlers, referees, and road agents needed should substantially decrease. Yet at the same time, they've been bringing in new wrestlers faster than ever to the main roster. One would surmise that major roster cuts at some point would have to be made. Demeltz says, after signing all the new talent in the past couple of months, it's time for bloodletting. And the WWF cuts are coming hard and fast. And this is where I think it's more of Meltzer coming up with this list of names than it is factual. Although most of these names, pretty common sense, are going to be on their way out the door. Uh, the first of those names is Damian Demento, Terry Taylor, Bob Backlund, Tito Santana, Mr. Fuji, Kamala, the Giant Gonzalez, Virgil, Blake Beverly, the second doink, Steve Kern, Papa Shango, Ted DiBiase, who's already given notice, and Jim Duggan, 
Demeltz reports all those names are on the way out. Now, we know a few of those stick around. Meltz does say some of these guys will be completely let go. Others will stay under a contract, but work less states and be allowed to work the indies, which is something WWF did do back in this time period. Further, some wrestlers, not on house show lineups, but still with the company, include Crush, who will be working an injury angle, Owen Hart, who they're simply just not giving enough dates to, Marty Jannetty's off and on as far as the house shows go, and Bastion Booger, who, as you just read, was trying to make a, an indie show because he's not getting booked too much on, on the house shows. Just no room for Bastion Booger. No, that's unfortunate. He should be their first pick, right? Wow, that's it. That's that's my pick. If I was going to put together a card. <laughs> right. Yeah. The original, supposedly the original SummerSlam lineup, guys, according to DeMeltz, the complete lineup for SummerSlam 93 on August 30th was supposed to be WWF champion Yokozuna taking on Lex Luger, Bret Hart and Jerry the King Lawler, Shawn Michaels defending the IC title against Mr. Perfect, The Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez in a rest in peace match. Those are all correct. Those actually do take place. DeMeltz also speculates. He claims it as fact, though. This is where you, Steve, used to like to talk about. DeMeltz would start off talking facts and then blend in his opinions and never you can never really decipher where the facts end and the opinions begin. I'm assuming perhaps here. It's interesting to see if some of these matches were actually originally booked for the pay-per-view, though. They all make sense. And uh, the next matchup he speculated would have been Money Incorporated versus Razor Ramon and the 1-2-3 Kid. I think that would have been a better match, honestly, uh, to be to be honest with you. But, of course, those, ma- so those matches do take place, but in singles competition at the pay-per-view. Also, the Steiners defending the tag titles against the Head Shrinkers. That's clearly the direction they were going here in July. Of course, they pivot, and it goes to another tag team here at the beginning of August. And then he, and this is very interesting. This is something I always thought was going to happen. And he has a tag team match, which would have made sense had some of the things that are happening not happened. Crush and Marty Jannetty teaming up to take on Doinks 1 and 2. And it seemed to me, after that Superstars taping coming up here between Crush and Doink, like this may have been the route they might have been going. We know Jannetty worked Doink twice on Raw. That didn't seem to completely come to an end. And then we know the crush thing just doesn't feel like an ending. So this may have been something that was in the works. I don't really know. Also, Adam Bomb versus El Matador on the undercard. I could see that. We've seen the Barbarian kill Tito. We've seen a lot of guys kill Tito. Say a Warlord killed Tito at SummerSlam 90. Tito, the uh, the guy to put everyone over on pay-per-view. And then uh, he speculated there was supposed to be a Tatanka and Sherry versus Bigelow and Luna match. I could see that as well. But, of course, Luna breaks her wrist, which we'll get to here in a second. And Sherry's on the out. So uh, Demeltz thinks it's going to be Tatanka versus Bigelow one-on-one. All of the matches here make 100% sense. Unfortunately, half of this is incorrect. Yeah, that makes sense. He's just fantasy booking based off of TV. So uh, that's probably why he came to those conclusions. But I don't know. Like Adam Baum, did he even make the card? I don't think he's on the card. No, he's not. Yeah, so that would have been nice to get him on there. That would have probably been a better show. No, I, and I agree. I did count nine matches, though, and I just don't see them doing that here in 1993. Yeah, I could see Adam Bomb and Tito being like a dark match. Yeah, I could even see that also. Yeah, I, I mean, that would be a better card, I think. SummerSlam 93 isn't terrible, but no. it's could have been better. Right. More legal shit, guys. Yes, more legal shit going on in Titan. Titan's legal department was has uh, picked on, uh, Demel says they've picked on some strange targets this past week. Jason Shepard, age 16. Yes, that's one six. The teenager, just old enough to drive a car, who ran a fan club for Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels, received a threatening legal letter from the WWF regarding such 
asking him to turn over all monies received from those endeavors since the WWF holds trademarks to both Hennig and HBK. While this is their legal rights, the WWF's legal rights, since they own the trademarks, it probably could have been handled in a less threatening manner. I would, I would tend to agree. Uh, (laughs) Vince, Vince's people being Vince's people here. Wade Keller, you guys may know him from the Pro Wrestling Torch, also received a threatening letter. Two months back, Keller, in an ad in his newsletter for Torch t-shirts, made a joke that if you wear one of his t-shirts and sit in the first row of the WWF taping, you might get a free WWF shirt as well. Reason being, uh, if you guys don't know, for years, it's been the policy, many years, decades, been a policy in the WWF. If you're wearing another rival promotions shirt or another wrestling person's shirt, they hand you uh, one of their merchandise, free WWF merchandise to put on in place of it so that there's nothing but WWF merch on the TV. And so Wade Keller made that joke in the torch. Hey, guys, wear my torch shirt to the WWF show, and they'll give you a free WWF shirt, too. Instead, the WWF tries to to threaten to sue Keller, claiming that he was using that as a way to promote his shirt. So it's uh, it's very odd the way that their minds think here in the World Wrestling Federation. I can see it, though, but I, <laughs> I don't... I don't see people in 93 who read the Pro Wrestling Torch probably sit in front row at many WWF shows anyway. So it's not, it doesn't seem like their audience. The guy makes a snide, funny joke, and then they turn it into a threatening letter. Unbelievable. Who's digging this shit up, though? That's my question. I'm like, sure, I'm, well, I'm sure Wade Keller mentioned it in the torch where he told DeMeltz would be my guess. Now, this other one, I'm not really sure, unless this, uh, this Jason uh, Shepard also I mean, for DeMeltz. No, I don't right? mean why it's in these... In the in the observer, I'm saying, who in the hell in WWF is like looking? Oh, hey, hey! Uh, oh, that's that's got to be the Fink, the the Finkel report. That's got to be the Fink. I'm guessing. No, I mean, like, who's? How are these guys getting caught? I'm assuming. Like, that's what I'm saying. Torch, the Fink used so to read the Observer and the Torch and everything and reported all back to Vince what they said and everything. So that might that might be that one. I don't know otherwise. I've I've got nothing. Wow. So the. Fink said, hey, uh, Wade said if you buy one of his shirts and wear a front row at our show, we're going to give him a free shirt, too. Hey, uh, that sounds like some lawyer shit. Get him <laughs> yeah, on the phone. Yeah, get, like, get McDevitt on the phone or whoever the fuck it is. <laughs> in 1993. Right. Jesus Christ. So Fink was a stooge then. I'm not knocking Fink. No, but. the Fink had the weekly or whatever it was. Yeah, the Finkel. They called it the Finkel Report. He hand wrote down everything out of the Observer that he thought was noteworthy, and he would listen to all the hotlines. He would read all the dirt sheets, and he would come in with this giant booklet. This is what's going on. This is what everybody's saying. So yeah, that was that was one of his. Jo- yeah. Did he did he only did he only do it like towards the WWF stuff, or did they want to know like what was going on in WCW? I think it was NBA more just about WWF. I'm sure if there was something he found interesting, that, you know, maybe he probably did. But I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know. Wow, that's crazy. On the Jim Helwig front, the, that's the ultimate warrior for those who don't know. The lawsuit against Titan, we brought that up several episodes ago. Remember all those crazy <laughs> things that Warrior said that were clearly, <laughs> clearly not true? Like the reason he was fired and that he, you know, we know it was over HGH. He said he wasn't on steroids. All these claims. Since the last time we discussed this, the lawsuit has been dropped. The WWF said, we pointed out to Mr. Helwig's lawyer. The absolute inaccuracy of the claim that was filed and the misrepresentation that Jim Helwig made to his attorney, his attorney withdrew the suit, and that's why it went away. It was withdrawn because his attorney found out that everything the warrior said was not, in fact, true. So there's there's that. Shocker. And Shocker. 
Over on the nails front, remember Kevin Wackles accused Vince McMahon of uh, attempting to molest him. <laughs> uh, Vince McMahon said, I have no idea why he acted that way. He acted like someone who had just gone off the deep end. I'm not quite sure what his motivation was or what happened, but I can tell you there were several witnesses who saw and heard the attack and know the lack of truthfulness that Kevin reported. And that testimony will be made very clear. He's talking about when they go to trial. Nails, of course, accusing Vince of um, molest fondling him. But only after Vince fired him, after Nails attacked Vince McMahon, choked him down to the ground for complaining about his uh, what, what's reported as his very shitty SummerSlam 92 payoff. Maybe that's the end we'll hear of Nails here in 93. Scandals, pal. There's not just lawsuits. There's scandals here in the WWF. In an item in the August WWF magazine that was released this past week, a statement read, the WWF magazine has always been published with entertaining and informative articles for you, the fans. However, in the upcoming issues, Titan Sports and the WWF will address some malicious issues that have confronted and unjustly challenged our company over the past few years. There have been libelous remarks and vicious newspaper and magazine articles written. The tabloid media has had a field day with us, and we have been subjected to tactics bordering on McCarthyism. Jesus Christ, guys. We have spent a great deal of time, effort, energy, and money combating the lies and innuendo, countering with our own lawsuits, and we are continuing to investigate the reasons for this witch hunt. Now it's time for us to tell our story about Tom Cole, Rita Chatterson, Murray Hodgson, superstar Billy Graham, Dr. D. David Schultz, and others who have aided and abetted in spreading gossip and lies. Starting next month, we will do just that in the WWF magazine. Amazing. They're going to use the old kitty-friendly WWF magazine as a way to uh, respond to all these allegations. Where, where else are you going to do it that the world's going to see, I guess? like I, I, did. I, know, I know all the people. Tom Cole was the guy who applied for the Mooney job, right? No, Tom Cole's the ring boy. Murray Hodgson was the, the, uh, the event center guy. Okay. And then Rita was the referee. Yes. Okay. Billy and Graham. Billy and Graham and Dr. obviously D. Dr. D. Right. Speaking of Billy Graham, did you see he re-upped with WWE for like that Legends deal? Yeah, he always comes back. Vince McMahon's a, a oh, yeah. saint, oh, he's, and then he's, he's been a on Satan. the payroll for a while. Yeah, but yeah, I, I don't know. Man, he showed a video of like getting his legs like therapy th- through like his diabetes or whatever. And my God, that looked rough. I was like, I turned it off after like thirty seconds. Dude, they talk about what brutal. steroids does to you physically. You could look at Billy Graham, what steroids might do to you mentally. It's holy oh, shit, yeah, I mean, bo- yeah, all you gotta do is look at him for both. Um, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I'm glad he's still getting paid though. Good for him. Yeah, way to go, superstar. As uh, July injury notes, very light here this uh, month, luckily for everyone. Luna Vachon, though, breaks her wrist on June 30th in a match with Sensational Sherry in Atlantic City. She's been appearing at the house shows for her matches since then with her broken wrist. However, they don't actually go through with the match due to the injury. Fatu misses a handful of matches here in the middle of July upcoming here, July 16th through the 18th specifically, he's substituted by Afa. So it's Afa and Samu doing the head shrinker matches that weekend. However, come to find out, based on the Observer and some other things, Fatu winds up having a very serious leg infection. In fact, the Meltzer went so far as to uh, maybe fear for amputation. I don't know how far it really went. But um, yeah, serious leg infection is what they called it. And he's initially pulled from SummerSlam. Another reason why the Steiner's Head Triggers match doesn't go down at the SummerSlam pay-per-view. They weren't sure Fatu would even be able to make it there. Of course, we know, we know different sense. Fatu will actually make the pay-per-view. So luckily, we'll still get tons of Head Shrinkers and, and making a difference and Sultans and Rikishis. And 
I'm, I don't even know if I'm leaving anything out there, but yeah, that's where we're at. The Undertaker, and I don't know what's going on with him quite yet. The Undertaker, though, is out from July 7th all the way till August 12th. The Undertaker not on anything. Uh, out in the ring, I should say. He does cut promos. He does do some things. He shows up, but he does not wrestle from July 7th all the way through August 12th. Over a month, The Undertaker out of, out of the ring. I, you have to wonder, was it the Giant Gonzalez matches? He talked about how it took years off his life, or his career anyway. <laughs> He's milking an injury, so he doesn't have to wrestle until SummerSlam. Yeah, maybe. That's all that is. <laughs> it's like, it's like they, they took Gonzalez off the road, and they put him in matches with Mr. Hughes. He goes, this isn't any better. So he's just like, I'm, I'm out for about a I'm month. I'm just done with this <laughs> shit. <laughs> can we just get both of these guys gone? <laughs> yeah, poor guy. <laughs> Kamala also misses some dates here in July uh, due to what Meltzer calls a family tragedy. So I'm not really sure what happened there. And a gimmicked injury will keep Crush off TV for quite a while himself. And that's it in the injury department as we move on to July house shows. We look at the Group A house shows, and those look like Owen Hart over Damian Demento, Bastion Booger on some shows over Jimmy Powers on shows Booger doesn't work because he's out there working in Livonia, Michigan. It's Jimmy Powers over Papa Shango. I wonder what's going on with Papa Shango. Must be on his way out. You'd have to think. Mr. Hughes over Kamala. Head shrinkers over the smoking guns. IC champion Shawn Michaels pinning Mr. Perfect after interference from Diesel. Bret Hart pinning Lex Luger in lumberjack matches in early July. Uh, you have to wonder if Stubby and Gibby, Bret's buddies Stubby and Gibby, if they uh, attended any of these shows. Oh, that's a good one. They probably were front row or hanging out in the back. <laughs> you know, whatever. Bret took it. They, they worked at Cal- that Calgary lumberjack match. Bret jumped out of the ring, probably put his glasses on Stubby or, or Gibby, or maybe he had one for both of them. I don't know. Um, of course, we see what happens with Lex Luger here on the 4th of July, and it, you can't really hide it. So what happens is these matches go on. We still get Lex Luger versus Bret Hart in these lumberjack matches, but instead, Bret Hart gets clean, pinfall finishes on Luger, and then Luger raises his hand after the match. So Luger playing the good guy and putting Bret over, oddly enough. And uh, these these matches will go on for most of the month. Also, up until at least mid-July, we also saw Sensational Sherry on these cards, defeating Luna Vachon in what Meltzer calls a disqualification when the referee wouldn't let Luna wrestle with the cast on her arm. From what I read, there's about a minute of tussling, brawling back and forth, and then the match doesn't happen. I don't know if I call that a disqualification, Meltz, but it is what it is. And then over in Group B, most of the cards look like this. One, two, three, Kid over Terry Taylor. Marty Jannetty over Blake Beverly. Papa Shango works this one as well over Tito Santana. So Jimmy Powers can beat Papa Shango, but Tito Santana can't. Very, Really odd pecking order lately here on some of these shows. Doink the Clown over Virgil, subbing for the injured crush. Tatanka, oh, Tatanka pinning Razor Ramon. Of course, you know the rule is whenever you're a heel and you're turning face, it's okay to do the jobs because you're going to get over. Also, WWF Tag Team Champions, Steiners over Money Incorporated. And the main events early on in July in Group B, Yokozuna defending the title over Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Now everything shakes up in mid-month around July 17th. Everything changes, Steve. And we're going to see uh, a new line of, of matches on these shows. As Luger turns face and Razor turns face and all this stuff changes up, it's going to be Group A, Tatanka, and Bam Bam Bigelow doing double countouts. Bastion Booger, here's that match, pinning Bob Backlund. And now with Hogan gone, pulling out of these shows, it's Bret Hart defeating Yokozuna by disqualification after Mr. Fuji interference. Some nights, Lex Luger comes in to make the save, which gets a big pop. 
We also see the Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson over Blake Beverly, the Brooklyn Brawler, and Little Louie. Adam Bomb over Tito, and some nights Adam Bomb over Owen. Razor Ramon defeating Jerry the King Lawler. Mr. Hughes over Jim Duggan. Other nights it's Mr. Hughes over Randy Savage. And there's even a couple in there where they give Macho Man the win depending on the city over Mr. Hughes. Some interesting guys making some of these house shows. <laughs> because this is just where we are. No wonder they're cutting it down to, to one group. Uh, Chris Duffy over Scott Taylor on a house show. And men on a mission over the team of Tony Roy and Eddie Raposa on a house show. <laughs> Phil Apollo even defeats Iron Mike Sharp in Warwick, Rhode Island. Dear God. And in Utica, New York, the European version of WWF Superstars sees Randy Savage pin Mr. Hughes. It's also on the Randy Savage unreleased DVD. You guys might want to go check that out. It's a pretty short match, but it's an it's a interesting confrontation between Randy Savage and Mr. Hughes. And, of course, July 29th begins that European tour. Remember the one that Hogan said he'd stick around for? So that, that tour will take a bunch of guys overseas. And more to come on that in August. The tour does start July 29th, but it runs into August. So we'll talk about that next episode of The Grenade. Meanwhile, the B shows for the second half of July, Virgil over Damian Demento, 1-2-3 Kid over Rick Martell. Yes, he does come back and do some jobs here in July and early August. Shawn Michaels pinning Mr. Perfect, again, still with the help of Diesel. Lawler over Randy Savage on disqualifications when Bret Hart hits the ring and attacks the King. Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson over Blake Beverly, the Brooklyn Brawler, Little Louie. Doink, pinning Marty Jannetty. Bret Hart in the main event, pinning Mr. Hughes after an interference from Jerry Lawler backfires. Th that came to my town, Bret Hart versus Mr. Hughes. Uh, that was not exactly the greatest card of all time, but it was here. Man, this sounds brutal. That's, oh, my it's, God. It's rough. You, you, you question. I mean, I don't question. You probably don't either. But you, you, you don't really have to wonder why we're just pushing everything into one, one card, like one group, because they're really spreading shit thin just to make things work here. We're bringing job guys bring, in for shows. Yeah. We're making calls to Rick Martell when we need them just to fill in. I mean, it's... it's I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that match. Though. No, not Finn at all. versus Martell. No, not at all. 13 minutes. That'd be pretty good, I bet. But uh, no, like I would be pissed if I paid money to go see uh, a WWF show and I'm getting Chris Duffy versus Scott Taylor in the opener. Like, who the hell are these clowns, you know? Right. Um, <laughs> I'd be pretty pissed. At that moment, I realized I made a mistake. Or this isn't what the WWF is or was. So um, good on them to go down to one. I know it sucks for the boys because it's just less opportunity to make money. It's smart business to try to build the house show up. Yeah, and these house shows, they're not really even featuring any you know bad blood type feuds. You got the Bret Hart and Lawler thing going on here in the later half of July. You got Bret screwing Lawler, or at least causing the disqualification in the Lawler and Randy Savage or Lawler and Razor Ramon matches. And then you turn around at the end of the show, and it's like Lawler tries to do the same thing, but it backfires, and Bret pins Mr. Hughes. Other than that, you really have nothing going on outside of Sean and Perfect working every night. You think they'd have had a better match at SummerSlam wrestling this often? You would think. You would think. Mister Perfect in '93 is kind of like uh, Eddie Gilbert in '89. Like they, the first show, they started off so hot, like man, this dude's super over right now. And then Steamboat comes in and steals all the heat. Perfect was awesome with Ric Flair, and then he has all these feuds with guys that you think would he would be able to get a good match out of. Like Luger and then Sean and Perfect, it's just like a dream match on paper, and it just sure completely falls apart. It's just like, what the hell's going on? This guy's getting feuds and 
mattering and then his matches aren't good they're not delivering so it's like well damn <laughs> sucks at least mr really perfect's on tv to... not like eddie gilbert <laughs> just oh well, yeah it's true but i mean just like he could have had one hell of a year in 93 oh, yeah. if no his matches delivered so we talked about that mass exodus uh starting we already talked about some of the people who've put in their notice well it's time to say goodbye to a few of them Right here, right now, Jimmy Powers, he's been here for a long time, Steve, since at least like 1984, I'm guessing. Jimmy Powers gone. Uh, July 23rd, his last match. He'll be subbing for Kamala on the house shows. Those wins over Papa Shango. Jimmy Powers replaced Kamala for that family emergency. Kamala misses some of those dates against Papa Shango due to that family emergency. He returns, and his punishment is doing jobs to Bastion Booger on the way out. Kamala's final match, July 24th. And then, of course, Sensational Sherry actually put her notice in. She wanted to finish up in September, but with Luna's injured arm, well, I'll read it here. Demelt says Sensational Sherry was fired this past week. Her uh, final match, Steve, was July 10th, by the way, on the house show, and her final TV appearance will be July 31st against Luna on Superstars. But Sherry was fired this past week. Funny thing about it was it was reported in The Torch that was mailed out on a Wednesday, but Sherry didn't even know she was fired until two days later when she was called just before she was about to get on the plane to go to Philly for her booking that night. With Luna Vachon out with a broken wrist and unable to wrestle until after Sherry's quitting date of September 8th, Titan really had no use for her. I, I guess that makes sense business-wise, but after having her this many years, you couldn't just keep her on payroll another month. Not when they're bleeding money. <laughs> Why pay somebody if you're not going to use them, you know? I, I guess they could have done the thing where the, she was under contract but could work the indies if they wanted to just to let her ride it out. But if she's gone, might as well just let her go early. She went. She landed in ECW pretty quickly, though, right? Yeah, I'm sure she was making a fortune there. <laughs> yeah, all like $100 a shot or something, whatever it was. Uh, so, yeah, sensational. Whatever Todd Gordon was paying her to. Right. Act like a hoe or say the stuff that she was. Now I screwed him getting in that feud with Medusa. Right, right. Woo. <laughs> it's reported here it's that stuff. referee Joey Morella is also gone. That's brief. He's hired back within a matter of weeks. What's odd about this is Joey Morella, for those who don't know, is the son of Gorilla Monsoon. So for him to let be let go, uh, he had to have been pretty much a, a, an asshole, I, I would have to imagine. And from Harvey Whippleman's book, from based on Harvey Downtown Bruno Harvey Whippleman's book, Joey Morella was not a good human being. So I'll just leave it at that. Really? And, yeah, and Harvey was in the car with Morella when Morella died. <laughs> Harvey was just not a fan of the guy at all. He had nothing nice to wow. say about the guy, even in passing. And Harvey loved Gorilla. Said he even cried wow. with Gorilla over it and whatever. But yeah, Harvey was not not too kind to Joey Morella, and he just seemed sounded like a very unsavory character. Jeez, he looks like such a nice guy. Just yes. like an innocent young sure. young guy. And don't judge a book by its cover, I, I guess. I guess not, yeah. Especially in the world of uh, wrestling, for sure. <laughs> God. Yeah, I never realized he was an asshole. Oh, I like didn't either until I read Harvey, Harvey's book. And Harvey was pretty honest about everything. So I, I tend to believe his stuff there. But I don't I don't see why Harvey has any reason to lie. Like, What's right. he going to lie about? <laughs> like, right. who the hell are you in the business type deal? Why would you make up stories? And finally... Steve, uh, we, this guy actually already left the company, but he's back for one night. It's Typhoon, and he's gone again. He comes back July 18th, works one house show. They must have realized, ugh, yeah, we, we don't want you. So he's off again, off after July 18th. 
He'll reappear in WCW on August 18th to become none other than the Shaq Master! So Typhoon just a month away from becoming the Shaq. That's how quick they put this put the wheels into motion for the Shockmaster. <laughs> Coming in here in July of 1993, a fellow by the name of Ludwig Borga. Uh, Tony Holm, for those who don't know, in New Japan and other places, I think he even did like a Viking gimmick on Herb Abrams' UWF for a little bit. Uh, he's doing an, uh, what Demeltz calls an Aryan, but not from Finland, but not from Germany, rather from Finland. Gimmick. So he's an Aryan from Finland, anti-American gimmick. They handed out little American flags before his matches and dark matches that he did, and seemingly are going to push the American Patriot versus Foreign Menace angle as the backbone of the promotion once again. A guy who worked some of the dark matches on the TV tapings going into July, believe this or not, Steve, Nikolai Volkov was brought back as the Soviet American babyface. I'm assuming the idea here was to bring Nikolai back short-term to be the first guy to feed to Ludwig Borga. Lucky for us, that never happens. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> Marty was perfect for the old uh, feeding to uh, Ludwig Borga. <laughs> yeah, could you imagine a, a, even a one-month feud between Ludwig Borga and, and Nikolai Volkov? Oh, my God. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> And clearly they saw Nikolai here in this house, this uh, dark matches, and they said, all right, big Nick, <laughs> go on back home. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't good enough for 93, but we'll bring him back in 95. That's right. Yeah. Because he's even better. <laughs> yeah, he's better two years later. Yeah. A new tag team, DeMeltz calls them the Quebecians, <laughs> were brought oh in his heels, billed as Jacques and Pierre, wearing Mountie-like outfits. Jacques is the former Mountie in the WWF, while Pierre is Pierre Ouellette a 280-pounder from Quebec. He's been working as killer Carl Wallace down in Puerto Rico. Of course, he got a tryout a couple months ago. We were talking about that. And now the Quebecians have arrived. Mm -hmm. For those who are wondering, yeah, that's the, that's the Quebecers. Uh, headed to the World Wrestling Federation. You know, one of the funny thing is, is the, the first time they wrestled, which I feel like was an All-American. I could be wrong. I've got to wait and see when we get through our notes here. But the first time I saw them, I just randomly turned on the TV. They came out with no fanfare. They had not built them up in, in, in vignettes or announcements or anything. They were just, boom, on my TV. I said, oh, my God, that's the Mountie. And there's a second Mountie. And, and I was the only one in the room watching it. So the next time I talked to some of my family, I said, oh, my God, the Mountie's back. And he's got a partner. And, and I said, they're called the Quebecians, Steve. So Meltzer wasn't the only one to make this mistake. I was, too. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> They're not the Mountie. No, they're as not. The music would say. No, they're not. Um, but no, I like the name the Quebecers. It's a good name. It's okay. kind of like playing off, you know, the Mother Canuckers, like the Canuckers. Sure. We'll just call ourselves the Quebecers. So good, good shit. Good shit, pal. Another... He still just signed with uh, Impact. Good for him. He's still rolling out. I there. can't believe it, man. Some of the shit he does at his age. I mean, he was very young <laughs> here, though. You gotta, you gotta remember that. My God. Rex King and Steve Dahl, most recently tag team champions down in the USWA. I saw them first as the Southern Rockers way back when in USWA Dallas on ESPN. I was a pretty big fan of theirs. They were baby faces then. Here they're coming into the WWF as a new tag team called Well Done. That's Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn. Well Done. Terrible. Uh, you got to tell me. They're already doing jobs to the smoking guns at the first set of TV tapings. So DeMeltz hypothesizes. They're the next Beverly Brothers. Uh, I guess that, that would be a good apt way to 
put it, yeah. Yeah, accurate. Meltzer also says on the July 25th TV taping that hell froze over because Jim Cornette and his heavenly bodies debuted for the WWF. Of course, we know Cornette will not only manage his heavenly bodies of Tom Pritchard and unfortunately Jimmy Tell Ray, but also he'll be the spokesperson, the new manager, the mouthpiece for WWF champion Yokozuna going forward. We'll see here pretty soon. They needed someone to help get this angle over with, with Yoko and Luger, but in just Yoko in general going forward, they couldn't have found a better mouthpiece. No, absolutely not. This is the, I think it was a perfect pairing. Fuji still had his part, you know, just as his guy or whatever, but Jim Cornette being able to speak for both of them, ah, uh, man, it's worth his weight in gold. Yeah, me, me and my brother were just talking about this the other day. We were talking about Lex Luger and, and the whole turn and everything after this last episode we did. And he said, uh, or I said to him, I said, what the fuck did Fuji, what the fuck did Fuji do after Cornette? He goes, I don't know. I said, he just got paid to fucking stand there for a couple of years. Good for him. Way to go, Boysan. Fuji the Stooge will continue working with Yokozuna as well as like secondary manager for those who don't know. Here's the bummer for me on the Heavenly Bodies. It's, it's that it's no longer, Stan Lane retired at the wrong time. You know what I'm saying? Like, this would have been awesome. Oh, yeah, that would have been great. I don't mind Jimmy Del Rey, but he's no Stan Lane. Thank you. Thank you. July tryouts. Not a whole lot, but some interesting names, Steve. The Tahitian Savage, Lloyd Anawai, another yes, another member of the famous Samoan family, does a couple jobs to Damian DeVento up in Pennsylvania. Of course, that's Afa's son, Samu's brother, is Lloyd, just another Samoan on the family tree. Rockin' Rebel from early ECW fame does a couple of jobs. They are, in fact, tryouts, however. He does jobs to Barry Horowitz and the future thrasher, Glenn Ruth. So the Rockin' Rebel even gets a shot here in the company. We talked about Nikolai Volkov's tryout. That clearly didn't work out too well. He did pick up a <laughs> win over Barry Horowitz there uh, before he, he got sent back home. Some other interesting uh, guys that were getting tryouts were TNT. Of course, he'll come in at the end of the year doing vignettes and appearing at the Royal Rumble in 94 as Quang and eventually Savio Vega. But here in July, TNT does a couple of tryouts doing jobs to Reno Riggins and Glenn Ruth. Also on the July 7th tapings, Shane McMahon conducts an untelevised interview with world champion Yoko Zuna and Mr. Fuji. Shane McMahon getting a little tryout there as a uh, an interviewer. I bet Bonnie Blackstone was uh, fearing for her job. And this is the big one. This one I can't believe didn't didn't go any further. Van Hammer, yes, heavy metal Van Hammer, did not one but two matches here, tryouts with the WWF on J July 26th. He worked as a heel, being pinned by Virgil on July 26th. Then the next night after the, well, you didn't, you didn't, you, you look great. You look physically, you look great, Van Hammer, but Jesus Christ, you sucked as a heel. So let's give you a try as a baby face on July 27th, as if it wasn't bad enough to do a job to Virgil. As a baby face, Van Hammer does the job to Damian Demento, who hasn't even been on TV and what it feels like forever. Damian Demento pins Van Hammer here. When you're worse than, if Damian Demento can get a job and you can't, you're just pretty bad. Yeah, that's no lie. Jesus, Van, I didn't even know you ever wrestled for WWF. There's just Clearly, some hidden, hidden not gems. Not good enough. <laughs> yeah, man, it, I swear you could just read results and see like dark matches that you know they taped that hidden gems could go on forever. They really could. Man, some may not be as good as others, but obviously it'd been kind of cool to see 
Virgil pin Van Hammer. That way we could throw it on our YouTube or talk about it in the new Virgil of the Week. Uh, thanks for not helping us, um, WWE. But no, um, very interesting reading results. Yeah, and they're even seeing what they have in some of these guys that they, they put a lot of faith into, like the, the Brooklyn Brawlers, the, the Dwayne Gills and Barry Hardys. They're giving them wins here in the dark matches on these TV tapings to see if they can come up with anything for them. Of course, Brawler's not too far away from getting a tryout as a, the MVP character. And we know Gill and Hardy recently got to be Ninja Turtles of sorts. And Rich Myers even picks up a win, I guess just simply because he's the son of George the Animal Steel in a different type of tryout. Sometime WWF jobber Louis Spicoli uh, got a tryout with the Detroit Tigers farm system as a pitcher. I never knew Louis Spicoli was, was that good of a pitcher. Randy Savage was a pitcher in the farm system. Uh, Cincinnati, I believe it was. So Louis Spicoli trying out here. I, don't, I guess he doesn't make it, but you've got to be pretty good for them to even look at you. Yeah, they're not just picking any bums off the street to come try out and throw a ball, you know. So um, that's pretty cool. All right, guys, a couple more pieces of stuff to get out of the way before we get to TV. We're going to talk USWA crossover and then our Virgil of the week. The USWA crossover stuff for July, very interesting. Mid-South Coliseum on July 5th drew more than 1,500 fans, nearly double their weekly average right now as Jerry Lawler beat Owen Hart for the USWA title. The finish saw Owen Hart come off the top rope with a pair of brass knuckles, but referee Frank Morell had been bumped and couldn't count the fall. So heel referee Paul Neighbors came in and counted the three count with Hart retaining the title. When referee Frank Morell got up, Neighbors told him he counted the three and Morell got mad at Neighbors and said he wasn't the referee for the match and he didn't accept that as the finish. Neighbors knocked Morell down and then left the ring. As Hart argued with Frank Morell, Lawler snuck up from behind and Morell shoved him down. Lawler then tripped Owen Hart and a schoolboy and got the three count. Jerry Lawler regains the USWA title from Owen, the heel Owen Hart. Also, uh, the former football player, former Phoenix Cardinal, Colin Scott. We talked about kind of using the USWA as de- developmental for Colin Scott to go to the WWF. Of course, that never happens. Uh, he's about the size of Adam Bomb, DeMeltzer says. And this is just a quick training session before he starts in Titan. Never happens. Uh, he did an in-ring brawl with Tony Falk and looked terrible, but it was probably only his second or third time in the ring. If you guys have ever seen Tony Falk, I mean, he's nowhere near the size of Adam Bomb. Kind of a short, dumpy guy who kind of knew how to work, but he wasn't really anything special at all. And it's just kind of odd. That's the guy they pair him here with. July 10th TV, Jeff Jarrett had a TV match against Johnny Polo, now the WWF manager. And uh, so that was kind of interesting. Johnny Polo still working some matches down there. On TV also, Lawler versus Christopher took place. So Jerry Lawler wrestling his own son, Brian Christopher, in a disqualification when Vampire Warrior, that's uh, David Heath, entered the ring and attacked him. So we're going to see Luna actually come into the USWA, so that's why that's important. Luna, the girlfriend, the actual, the actual main squeeze of the Vampire Warrior, and she'll manage him here some in the USWA during this period. Uh, we move on to TV for July 12th, USWA title match, or excuse me, Mid-South Coliseum for July 12th, Mid-South Coliseum, uh, USWA title match, Jerry Lawler over the Vampire Warrior on a disqualification. So uh, we continue on. July 17th, Prentice introduced... Oh, this is not WWF-related, but I thought you'd get a kick out of this, Steve. On July 17th TV, USWA TV, Burt Prentice introduced Disco Inferno as the intergender wrestling champion. Inferno did an interview talking about how he growing up being friends with Andy Kaufman, 
who in the early 80s did a nightclub act as the intergender world champion, and of course he did so in Memphis as well. Inferno said Kaufman passed the belt onto him and then said how Lawler murdered Kaufman. That's only about the 100th heel wrestler to say that. I remember when Eddie Gilbert said that Jerry Lawler killed Andy Kaufman because the pile driver gave him brain cancer. So this is just... <laughs> brain cancer. <laughs> uh, Inferno then challenged all women. And of course, Miss Texas comes out to accept the challenge. Prentice tried to talk Inferno out of accepting the challenge because he said Texas didn't qualify. This is, this is Miss Jacqueline, guys. She wasn't a woman because she had a sex change and her real name was Bubba Johnson already. <laughs> <laughs> Bubba Johnson. So they already had history before they had their little match at, I think it's Halloween Havoc in WCW. Disco and, oh, Jacqueline. and Miss Texas. Sure. Jacqueline. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Good call. So Good call. no wonder, no wonder he was comfortable. Yeah. So no good good no wonder he was comfortable and probably had his best match in his career, or at least hottest angle for disco, uh, with her. So uh that's pretty cool. So not move... a fan of disco, but no, I know that's kinda that's cool why. that they actually they, they actually, <laughs> actually had a history before they before WCW. Right. So yeah, that's pretty cool. Special Sunday night show at the Mid South Coliseum, July eighteenth, in front of twelve hundred fans, Disco Inferno pins. Miss Texas, also on the show. Vampire Warrior, that's David Heath. He did a lot of uh, jobs in Florida. He even did some jobs back in 1989 NWA. Pretty good job guy. Uh, getting a shot at a new gimmick, the Vampire Warrior here in the USWA. He captured the summer Southern title from Jeff Jarrett on the Sunday night card. So he's, he's the new Southern champion, although not the USWA champion. The Southern title, kind of the secondary belt, like the IC title here in Memphis. Meanwhile, Luna Vachon is also in with the USWA now managing David Heath, the Vampire Warrior at this point, DeMeltz notes. And Colin Scott continues his feud with Tony Falk. DeMeltz claims Scott still looks awful. We move on with the month of July. July 24th TV, Jerry Lawler had his USWA title stolen by the Vampire Warrior. Now, I say stolen, Steve. Vampire Warrior did not win the title from Jerry Lawler. He simply stole it. They move along to their rematch, their actual match here. At the Mid-South Coliseum, July 26th, Lawler defeats the Vampire Warrior and regains his title. Technically, he never lost it, but he, he got his belt back. So here in July, the main feud seems to be Lawler and the Vampire Warrior, who at this point, DeMelt speculates, and I do too, was a gimmick. Maybe they weren't going to use that in the WWF, but maybe this is a way to develop him, to get him seasoned for the WWF. And uh, that also never takes place, much like Colin Scott. Yeah, it happens. It's just, what, five years later? <laughs> so uh, he gets his opportunity. It's just not when we thought it would be. So we saw Doink and Lex Luger. The Giant Gonzalez even came in. Randy Savage. How can I forget him? Sensational Sherry. All these guys coming down from the WWF, working the USWA. Lately, it's been a little, eh, some of the names coming through. Although Owen, pretty fun stuff. It gets even better here, though. July 31st on TV, Luna Vachon. Versus Miss Texas winds up in a hell of a brawl. You can imagine if Sherry and Luna was a brawl. Imagine what Jackie and Luna looked like here on the uh, July 31st TV. Fun stuff that will definitely be going up <laughs> on our YouTube account. Here it comes, guys. And we're not going to talk about the, the, the winner or the finish of this match until our August episode next week. But for right now, it's Dave Brown interviewing both men. First, we're going to talk to the WWF guy. But let me let me set the stage here. They're referring to their it's it's a match so big that they came up with a special name for it. It's so big they came up with the name 
the big match. Yes, the, they're selling it as the, the big <laughs> match, only in Memphis. <laughs> hey, Jerry Jarrett, what do you guys call it the big match? Who gives a fuck? So, but Lawler <laughs> beat his baby brother Owen. So, yes, guys, a heel. Brett the Hitman Hart is coming to Memphis to get revenge, not only for his brother Owen, but get revenge for what Lawler did to him at the King of the Ring. Let's listen to what Bret Hart has to say as he's headed to Memphis. Let's hear from one of the participants in the big match coming up Monday night, Bret Hart. You know, I want to give you a little brief synopsis of things here. You know, this Monday night when I come to Memphis, I'm going to settle a few scores. One of them is with Jerry, the so-called King Lawler. Here's a guy on national TV that's had the nerve and the gall to walk out and just declare himself the king. Well, I got a little dispute with that. I'm the king. I earned it. I did it. And Jerry Lawler and all you southern people in Memphis are going to find out the hard way that the hitman, the excellence of execution, is everything he says he is. I am the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And all you people in Memphis, you can go ahead and crowd around Jerry Lawler and pretend that he's the king, but he's not. You people in Memphis, you know what we have here? What we have here is a failure to communicate. Because the communication problem is between you and me. I'm the best one in the world. I'm the king, and I've proved it time in and time out. Now, what he's done with my brother Owen makes me sick. It makes me sick that all you people can, can crowd around Jerry Lawler and believe in a guy like this. Because this guy, this guy is no king. This guy is a nobody. He's always been a nobody. And when I get to Memphis, all you southern hick people are going to find out that the hitman means business. Jerry Lawler, I don't care how you get to the ring, but I can promise one thing. You'll be carried out. And all your little your little good people in Memphis, you can crowd around Jerry Lawler just like you crowd around Elvis. Because there'll be a big memorial for him. Because he will be what you call ancient history. When I get to Memphis this Monday night, you can watch the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. And you can watch Jerry Lawler go down because he is not anything compared to the best one there was, the best one there is, the hitman. Yeah, things kind of fell apart there at the end. They just gave him too, too damn long to talk. But I love Brett in the middle there doing that southern hick interpretation, his personation there. Good stuff. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> Brett showing uh, a little and then he kept on, he, like he's he's struggling though he's all the good people in memphis he's supposed to be a heel and he's putting the good people over <laughs> so it's like i hate jerry lawler but i don't hate you guys it's so it's such an odd dynamic yeah he even like tried to change up his best there is best there was there at the end because he essentially said the same thing about three times in one promo it felt like yeah yeah they should have cut it off like a minute and a half Oh, well, that's just not how we work in Memphis. And Lawler gets even more time, and he handles himself just fine, guys. Here's Jerry Lawler's rebuttal to what the hitman had to say. You know what's coming up Monday night, the big match. You've seen what happened at the King of the Ring. Brett the Hitman Hart anointed the king by the WWF. Jerry Lawler not happy with it. You've seen what happened when Owen Hart was sent in to try to take care of the king. 
You've heard from the hitman, Bret Hart himself, about the big match coming up Monday night. We don't have to say any more about it. Ladies and gentlemen, the king, Jerry Lawler. That's right, Dave and Corey. I am standing in front of the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum. And that building is very, very special to me for a lot of reasons. One big reason is the fact that there have been some of the biggest stars in entertainment and sports appear right there. But I just checked with manager Beth Wade a few minutes ago, and she informed me that more people have come to see me wrestle than any other event that's ever been held in the Mid-South Coliseum. And we're talking about people like the Beatles, Elvis Presley, Memphis State basketball, hockey, you name it. They've all been there, but the most people have come to see the King. And I want to tell you something. I appreciate it. And I appreciate the fact that the fans here in Memphis, Tennessee, have been behind me throughout my entire career. Good or bad, they've always been with the King. And that's what this is all about. The big match Monday night in that building right there. The home of some of my most <laughs> memorable victories throughout my entire career. Because you name it, from Hulk Hogan to Jimmy Hart to every wrestler, Terry Funk, Handsome Jimmy, you name them all, I've faced them in that building. And fortunately, I've come out on top a lot more times than not. And this coming Monday night is looking to be no exception because this is going to be the big match. You go down the list of all the matches that I've had, and this one's going to rank right up there at the top because there's a guy coming in here that has been on top in the World Wrestling Federation. The so-called Big Cheese, the so-called uh, Big Time, New York City, Big Apple. I'm talking about Bret Hart, who was the World Heavyweight Champion in the World Wrestling Federation. And you know... He called himself the hitman up until about a month ago. Then he wanted to start calling himself the king. That's right. Brett, the hitman heart, wanted to start calling himself the king of the ring after this little rinky-dink tournament that the WWF had. Well, as everybody knows by now, that don't set too well with me because I've kicked a lot of butts and taken a lot of names to earn the name of the king of wrestling. And everybody in Memphis, Tennessee, knows that there is only one king of wrestling, and you're looking at him right now. Well, Monday night, Bret Hart is coming in from the World Wrestling Federation, and he's going to try to tell us all that he's the real king. Well, Bret Hart, bring it on, brother, because this is my backyard. This is my home right here. And Monday night, you're going to see all of my family. I understand you got 12 brothers and sisters and a big family. Well, you ain't never seen a family like you're going to see in that building right there Monday night. So like I said, bring it on down to the Mid-South Coliseum, the home of the real king of wrestling. And I'm going to prove to you, Bret Hart, Monday night, that there is only one king of wrestling. <laughs> and you're going to be in the ring with him. All right, and that was just some typical Jerry Lawler promo stuff there. He's the good guy. That's the only thing different that you might not be accustomed to, the casual listeners out there that didn't really follow the Memphis uh, territory, Jerry Lawler doing a babyface promo looking to uh, he, he was he was upset that, that Bret Hart was a former WWF champion, that he had this long lineage in the WWF. And then all of a sudden he decided one day that he's going to be king. Well, Jerry Lawler's the king and he tells the way he tells the story of Memphis. It makes sense that Bret Hart is the heel. Yeah, it definitely does. Does anybody have a bigger home field advantage than Lawler in Memphis? I mean, uh, just ask uh, uh, Kurt Hennig. <laughs> <laughs> Going back yeah. to the WWE title, yeah. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, it's, it's it's only fitting that he's the good guy. I don't know how he ever got heat uh, as a heel there, if he ever did. I know he did, but, I mean, I don't know how. He'd have to do something pretty drastic to get that heel heat in Memphis. People yeah. love him there. Good storylines. Uh, few and far between, so they had to really work some magic when Lever Lawler did the the heel turns after the initial babyface run. Uh, but you know what? Uh, right before we get going with TV, there's still one segment left, and that one is... Virgil of the Week. In last week's episode, we heard Virgil talking to... He ran up to Madison Square Garden and captured that million-dollar title. Well, a few months later, he lost that million-dollar title, Steve, right back to the man who used to order him around, Ted DiBiase. But DiBiase had a little help from a guy by the name of the Repo Man. This is what Virgil has to say to... Repo Man. I went from rags to riches. But Repo Man, when you hit me with that million-dollar belt, I went from riches back to rags. Or... Look into my face, man. When you hit me with that belt, can you hit me now with that belt when I'm looking at you man to man? That's right, because you're a thief, you're a liar, and you're always sneaking around, ducking and dodging. You're ducking and dodging because, you know, I might jump out from any place and just jump on you, man. Well, um, I was, I was kind of behind that promo for the first 10 seconds. It was a 30-second promo, and the first 10 seconds actually made sense, and then it just all <laughs> fell apart. In uh, in uh, r- rapid fashion, um, but we're not done yet, Steve. I'll wait. I'll wait and let you listen to oh, a second God. promo on Repo Man. I'll let you touch on both of them after that. It's another Virgil promo talking about Repo Man. Hey, Repo Man, I'm standing right here. I'm a call to your face, man. You're a punk. You're a liar. You're a thief. And guess what? You're a coward. That's right, I'm going to prove it that you're a coward when I meet you face to face. When you whack me in the face, man, that brought me down to reality, man. I said, I'm going to knock this guy out. That's right, just like mama said, knock you out. Repo, man, you're going to go down. One, two, three. Out cold! Mama said, knock you out. Too legit to quit. Virgil listening to the uh, the rap of the times. Anyway. My God, he's something else. God bless you for finding these and putting in them in weekly. It's like the best part of the whole show. <laughs> I never realized so that good. he was even a bad promo growing up because I didn't really pay attention. You know what I mean? Like, oh, it's an event center promo. I'm not well, really, we didn't, not really we focused. Didn't get Virgil very often, right? Probably like, not. Not not in my area. Not, I never not, got Virgil. Not but, this uh, many fucking Virgil promos. Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, so, Where's Howie D giving it? You know, Howie D gives us all the face to face, man. He has, I wonder if he's sitting on some like California Virgil, Virgil promos. Yeah, yeah. Howie D, if you're out there listening, go find us some like 91, 92 Virgil promos. Those, those would be fantastic. <laughs> I don't think they're letting Virgil cut promos here anymore in 93, but so 91, imagine, 93, I don't really care. Just anything. Imagine trying to sell like the pond and Virgil's on face to face. Oh, my God. Shit. Yeah, Virgil probably never got to do a face. That's unfortunate. Let's see, let's see if that rarity's out there. If anybody has a face-to-face with Virgil, let, let, let's get at it. Virgil, Virgil and Bastion Booger cutting a promo on each other. That'd be, that'd be tremendous shit. I'd be down. Next week on the Virgil of the Week, not one, not two, but three Virgil promos all involving Nails. He's going to be wrestling Nails at SummerSlam 92. We're going to listen to Virgil talking Nails three promos next week. I can't wait. 
You got the SummerSlam one on, or is that one down the line? No, that one's for SummerSlam. That That's the watch along. That's our yeah, watch along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Cracks my shit up, man. It's so damn funny. Good stuff. As we move on to TV, <laughs> it's WWF Monday Night Raw for July 5th in the Manhattan Center. We are live. And here it is, Steve, July 4, the video shown highlights from the Stars and Stripes Challenge aboard the USS Intrepid on the Hudson River. Former WWF champion Bob Backlund can't do it. The Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, they can't get it done. Undefeated Native American Tatanka fucks with Yokozuna and he finds out. Oh man, Tatanka on the attack, but he eats it, and deservedly so. And then it's time for a rice break, Steve. And we're canceled. Keep piling on the stereotypes, Vince, as we go on. Crush makes his attempt, lifts Yokozuna completely off the map, but does not slam him. And then it's time for the Macho Patriot, Randy Savage. He needs those steroids, like, like they say on the old uh, Millionaire Ted skits. No steroids here, though. Randy Savage can't get the job done on Yokozuna either. And that's when I said on last week's episode, I guess it's fuck you, America. And it appeared all hope was lost. A round of applause for the competitors, but everyone failed. Let's hear it for them, Steve. Everybody clap your hands for all of the professional American athletes. They all attempted to slam Yokozuna. They all failed. But this, but just then, Steve, something happened on America's birthday. One more competitor would arrive. A round of applause for the competitors. Asked for by Todd Pettengill, the host, and then from there, something happened on board the Intrepid. Something happened on America's birthday. One more competitor would arrive, chartering a helicopter. One more competitor would step forward and attempt to save what had been indeed an embarrassment for America. As Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji looked on wondering just who had the gall, who had the audacity at the very last moment to step forward. Fans couldn't believe their eyes as they said, no, could it be? Yes, it was Lex Luger. Lex Luger, who had always been proud of himself. We found out on that day he was proud of America as well. And with a look of determination in his eyes, he made his way to the ring, shoving Bobby Heenan aside, shoving anyone aside who would stand in his way. He was America's last hope, the last chance of America for someone to step forward. Or would Luger be embarrassed like all of the other competitors as the capacity crowd began to chant, Lex, Lex, you know he could feel their spirit. He could feel the power of the thousands of fans who had turned out on America's birthday. But was it too late? Everybody wants to know what's wrong with America. There's nothing wrong with America. What's wrong with America is blood-sucking leeches like you and overstuffed sushi-eating, rice-chopping wrestler you call a champion. He's a disgrace to the World Wrestling Federation. The only thing wrong with America is you and we're going to clean house right here, right now. Mr. Fuji spat on Lex Luger as if he was spitting on America. And with that, Mr. Fuji went for the ride he'll never forget. And Lex Luger began to prepare. Prepare, yes, for the slam. Prepare for the attempt. And the look of intensity in his eye told the whole story. 
And then from there it happened, the 550-pounder charge. Luger ducking out of the way, nailing Yokozuna Zona with a six-inch steel plate in the forearm. And from there, yes, yes, it was unbelievable. Rex Luger had done it. Rex Luger had accomplished the impossible. He slammed the 550-pound WWF champion down to the mat, down to the deck of the USS Intrepid. And yes, this was what it's all about. America and Lex Luger would not be denied the celebration of her birthday. Thousands of fans on board the USS Intrepid saluting the great country we live in and saluting one of the great competitors who stepped forward to be counted on July 4, Sunday, America's birthday. Wow. Could anybody on earth have sold that better than Vince McMahon? That would be some of his best work of all time. Unbelievable. <laughs> and he got the July 4 in there, too, at the end. But, um, yeah, I was just thinking, like, just listening to that. Can anybody sell shit better than Vince McMahon? Talk about a, a shill and everything else. That was like, my God, you just acted like the greatest thing in the history of the world happened. Yeah, the, nar- the narration the got body slammed. It, 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 well, the video is like eight minutes, and I chopped the audio down to three minutes. It was just the Vince stuff, and it's amazing. I mean, just the narration, the way he says, he was America's last hope. And then he gets in the ring, and Fuji spits at Luger, and he, Mr. Fuji spits on Luger as if he were spitting on America. Like, it's everything he says. It's just so over the top, but he does it so well. It's awesome. And then, yes, he picks him up. He, what a maneuver. What a maneuver. I mean to tell you. Oh, what a maneuver. You could even say. Awesome maneuver. And at the very least. Beautiful maneuver. I'll even stand by. Oh, devastating maneuver. Lex Luger slams the 560-pound behemoth. The slam heard round the world. Vince McMahon, something else, man. Something else. Uh, when he's into something, <laughs> it's, uh, he can sell it like nobody's business. Well, we My talk goodness. about the call-to-action campaign and Lex Express and all that shit coming up, but even Vince McMahon's sell job here was uh, next level for even Vince McMahon. That's just, uh, like I don't know how it didn't work after that. My gosh, you see <laughs> this like all all week, like for like a week and a half. Yeah, first five shows after this happened, like you you see this on everything. Superstars challenge. I'm sure it was on Mania. I'm sure it was on All American. I think it was on Raw again the next week. So I mean, they just pushed the shit out of this, and I don't like. If you watch that, it's like how the hell did this fail? Yeah. Um, no, no kidding. <laughs> that's how that's how well he sold it. It's like, man, I'm buying into this shit. Of course, as we get going on the actual episode of Raw, it's the Macho Patriot still in his red, white, and blue outfit, the Macho Man Randy Savage, Vince McMahon, and Bobby Heenan, who calls it a hip lock, not a body slam. Uh, So as we get going, the entire video package, I talked about that being eight minutes, of course, before Raw comes on. They also showed some extra additional clips on Raw that we don't see on the syndication package with some other guys trying to slam Yokozuna as well, the entire the entire package, somewhere around 10 minutes of the Body Slam Challengers is really all you needed, I guess. But it was it was good stuff. And Vince, the narration, phenomenal. As we get going, Bobby mentions that a, a float in the uh, New York City 4th of July parade crashed into a building. 
And I'm talking I'm talking about one of those big blimp floats, Steve, one of them big blimp balloons. And Macho Man says, that means two blimps crashed down yesterday. Yeah. So Vince had a good laugh at that, of course, mocking Yokozuna as well. Vince McMahon also claims Lex Luger challenged Yokozuna to a WWF title match after the body slam challenge, but Fuji refused. Very interesting as we get going. Oh, this is a good one. The one, two, three kid back at Raw taking on Blake Beverly. A mustacheless Blake Beverly, I might add. And the kid, he has new tights. It no longer says L Kid. Instead, it's one, two, three all over his singlet. And he's got a theme now, Steve, the one, two, three kid, rocking his original theme music. One, two, three chants began as Blake Beverly laughs at the thought of losing to the kid, and he slaps the shit out of the kid so hard, knocks him to the mat. What a maneuver! But the kid, with a drop kick to the back of Blake Beverly's head, sends him out to the floor. And a baseball slide to boot. Awesome maneuver! Blake then gets back in the ring, shoots the kid into the ropes, throws him up into the air, maybe for a single man's shaker height spike, but the kid rotates in midair and turns it into a drop kick. Beautiful maneuver! Unbelievable stuff here by the one, two, three kid. Stuff I've never seen before at this point. Blake Beverly then catches the kid's foot as he tries to make a kick, but the kid counters again with an enziguri to Blake's face. For a two count. And we're at this point, we're only a minute into the match, by the way, guys. Blake Beverly comes back with a Buzz Sawyer power slam and a hangman's neckbreaker. Suplexes the kid upside down into the corner buckle. The kid falls over the top rope, out, takes a bump out to the floor. Unbelievable stuff here by both guys at this point. Blake then does a little Fargo strut in the ring. Uh, definitely a different persona from top to bottom here from Blake Beverly this week. I wish he had done this from the beginning. Yeah, I talked about the match starting off, and he slapped the shit out of the kid. Well, where is the five fingers? Say to the face. <laughs> what? Slap. Blake Beverly continues to slap the kid all around ringside as hard as he possibly can. Just nasty slaps, shooting on the kid with slaps. And then they're back inside the ring where Beverly just kind of picks the kid up in a half press slam position and just throws him like a piece of shit. Without without a care in the world, <laughs> out of the ring, onto the floor. I wrote LMAO. I had to laugh. It was so awesome, so dangerous, but so I just tossed the kid like a piece of shit. I wrote Blake Beverly is awesome. Back inside, it's the old Oklahoma Stampede by Beverly. He actually runs the kid back first into the corner buckle and then completes the power slam. I was really impressed as the kid tries to reverse tries a reverse body black on a comeback, but misses. And Blake goes right into a short arm clothesline under the kid's chin. Uh, Blake, rocking the ultimate warrior here tonight, too, does a warrior running shoulder tackle. Sends the kid back out to the floor. I I go, what the fuck is going on with Blake Beverly tonight? Beverly, though, misses a dive off the ropes to the floor. But the kid sees the opportunity and he goes up top. Please don't slip this time. No, he connects somersault plancha off the top rope to the floor. Connecting with Blake Beverly this week. And the kid. Doesn't manage to take advantage of her. He shows concern for Blake Beverly, who tries a cheap shot back inside the ring, but misses the kid with a leapfrog. And he tries the old Jimmy Snuka blind leapfrog from behind, but he's caught by Blake Beverly into, I, I called it a German suplex, but it was way sweeter than that. Really cool spot here. The kid's up in midair in a leapfrog, and Blake just hooks him from behind and just destroys him. It's, it's really good shit. Blake then goes to the middle rope, but misses a diving headbutt. And the kid comes off the top rope with a guillotine leg drop to the back of Blake's head. The entire match, only eight minutes. I wrote, what a match. 
Yeah, this match was awesome. Blake just like like you said earlier, he knew the finish, so he was just gonna beat the shit out of him and make himself look good. Oh yeah. Um, because the kid's gonna sell for him and He's just like not taking him any like serious at all, and so it's just I'm gonna beat him up because I know I can pin him whenever I want to. So uh, that he kind of played into that mentality, but yeah, this is a really really fun, entertaining match to start Raw. I wrote this. This may be Mike Enos's best match ever. Yes, the kid sold like a million dollars for him, but he was just busting out moves we've never seen him. Maybe if he had done some of these moves before, the Beverly Brothers might have been more over. Oklahoma Stampedes running shoulder blocks. I mean, he even got height on a, on a big splash and, and, and all these other things he was trying in this match. It was like a different wrestler completely, Mike Enos, here this week. Blake obviously fighting what I would I feel like fighting for a job here and uh, didn't give a shit. Uh, just went balls out and looked awesome doing so. Perfect timing to do it, given his opponent, who would, he knew would make him look great, but uh, unfortunately it won't pay off for Blake Beverly in the long run. He'll be, he'll be gone here sometime next month. It reminds me of his match on Nitro, the first two-hour Nitro, where he knows what's happening, so he just goes out there and just beats the shit out of that dude until Scott Hall comes out, and uh, this was very similar to that. Uh, this match was about a thousand times better, though. I'll say that. That's my- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. I'm just saying, like, he was busting out moves and just right, trying just to throw, get as much in throw, as he throwing could poor, Scott Hall. Poor, poor Steve Dahl or Steve Dunn <laughs> all around the ring there. Yeah, yeah, like, just beating the shit out of him. My God. <laughs> And here it is one last time, Steve, because I can't play it anymore. They're going to be making their debut all around the loop. So here it is one last time. Men on a mission of another music video. Have they played this one before? Yeah, probably. But here it is again. And now ask yourself, Steve, what's this about? been on a mission already made their in-ring debut on wrestling challenge this weekend they'll be debuting on superstars and then next week or a couple weeks time they'll be headed to monday night raw as we go backstage it's a quick promo from luna vashon as she, she puts over bam bam bigelow who's standing with his back to us in a really shitty corner of the backstage area of the manhattan center there's actually a fire extinguisher there though so i'm not sure if they did that on purpose because bam bam's on fire and there's a fire extinguisher or it's just the best place they could cut a promo i'm not really sure what was going on there. But I do know what was going on next. It's in the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna in his corner, <laughs> taking on jumping Joey Maggs. Vince on commentary points out that Luna's wearing a peculiar garment on her left arm. It's actually to cover up her, her cast for her broken wrist. But Bobby Heenan qu- quips back only her left arm. Cause Vince says she has a peculiar garment on her left arm. And Bobby said only her left arm. The rest isn't peculiar to you. I'm huh, McMahon. <laughs> so funny stuff there from Bobby Heenan. Luna, of course, hiding her cast. As the match gets going, Bigelow just attacks Mags, mauls him, hits not one but two avalanches in the corner, and then a falling headbutt. Pins him in just 40 seconds. I wrote, wow. 
Uh, they call this running short on time, Steve. It's Dusty Rose saying, go out there and get yourself over, son. And that's what Bam Bam does here. <laughs> yeah, he he destroyed Mags. I figured it'd be a little bit longer because Mags was in the match, but clearly not. No, when you only got so much time to work with, <laughs> it's uh, tough shit. <laughs> so Yeah. Show goes on, though, another competitive match slate. It's The Undertaker's return after uh, being put down by Mr. Hughes. He's still without Paul Bear, still without the urn, as he takes on Samu of the Head Shrinkers with Afa in his corner. So Taker returns, and we're going to see how he does here as the match gets going. It's a stare-down between Samu and Taker, and they begin trading blows and shoulder tackles, but nobody moves. Taker tries a drop-down and a leapfrog, but they botch the spot, and Samu's head goes right into Taker's crotch. Uh, but they recover, and The Undertaker with a drop toehold and a drop kick. I wrote, what is going on tonight? Vince McMahon, of course, pointing out on commentary, lots of new moves from The Undertaker here. And I don't think I didn't notice this when I was actually watching this the initial time. I didn't notice the commentary putting that over, but I was like, oh my god, The Undertaker did a drop toehold. It was really weird shit for me back in those days. Alpha, though, Gets mad at Samu for getting beat up by the Undertaker, so he so he takes Samu by the head and rams him into the steel steps, and then headbutts him in order to fire him up. And back inside the ring, it's the Undertaker with New School, I guess you would call it here ninety three on Samu, but Taker misses a jumping clothesline, and the momentum sends him rolling out to the floor. Taker stalks after Afa on the outside, but Samu attacks, and both Samoans cheap shot and beat down the Undertaker as we head into commercial break. Back from commercial, it's Samu still on the offense with a power slam, but Taker keeps sitting up even without the urn. Samu with the clothesline sends Taker out of the ring to the floor, but he lands on his feet. Taker recovers, gets on the apron, and grabs Samu by the throat. Back inside, he sends Samu into the corner so hard, Samu goes flying over the top of the buckle and lands headfirst into the ring post. Ouch. As the match goes on, Taker goes for an elbow drop, but misses. Samu comes back, goes up top, and I couldn't believe it lands a diving headbutt. I thought for sure The Undertaker was going to sit up, but nope, they fooled me, Steve. A diving headbutt connects by Samu, but Samu isn't happy yet. He goes back up for a second one, Steve, and that was just too much, too soon. Samu going back up for the second diving headbutt. This time The Undertaker sits up. Samu misses the move, and The Undertaker comes back. Choke slam, tombstone. Undertaker picks up the win, 9 minutes, 30 seconds. So again, Vince McMahon repeatedly on commentary throughout the match, Undertaker with moves we've never seen before. Undertaker is clearly evolving after being taken out by Mr. Hughes. Surprisingly solid beyond the, that leapfrog botch at the early part of the match. Samu looked really good, very competent, and even saved face even in his defeat here. Probably the best Samu match I've seen in a while, too. Yeah, I think I think Vince pissed uh, Macho off during commentary on this one because Savage was the one putting the new moves over. Mm -hmm. He says, like, drop toe holding Savage was like, never seen him do that. And Vince says, yeah, we have. And then when he did the <laughs> drop kick, Savage was like, I don't care what anyone says. We've never seen him do that before. So, uh, <laughs> like, Vince was trying to shit, shit on it, but Macho was trying to put it over. And I don't know if he was just evolving or what the deal was, but it almost sounded like Savage was trying to get that over because Paul Bear is not there with the urn controlling him. So maybe he's doing more. Than what he was accustomed to, because he didn't well, it was really evident right out of the anymore. gate, because they're clearly the planned spots at the, the initial part was the Undertaker doing a drop down leapfrog into a drop toe hold into a drop kick. Those were supposed to be the the, the spots right in a row, right? All yeah. moves that we really don't see the Undertaker do. So yeah, and even yeah. at and at the end of the match, Vince does even say Undertaker with new moves or whatever. 
So yeah, Randy yeah, Savage yeah. pointing it out, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely the Undertaker. I feel like I, the way I saw it, then like was well, he's, well, this doesn't even make sense. He's doing these moves he's never done before. Wow, the Undertaker knows how to do moves. It's silly me, right, right, back yeah. in those days. But <laughs> it's pretty cool though. WWF Mania promo. I don't know what for anymore. Chris Randy Savage has now joined w- Todd Pettengill as his co-host, his tag team partner on WWF Mania. But there'll be no more exclusives. So. What's the point of watching WWF? Well, rarely. Uh, they'll still be exclusives from time to time, but not every week anymore. So unfortunate for me, I, I, I lost interest in Mania after that. Ringside, it's Vince McMahon interviewing Mr. Fuji and WWF champion Yokozuna. You talk about Fuji simply denying shit happens, Steve. Here he denies hearing USA chants. Vince is like, they're chanting USA. No, they're not, boy, son. I don't hear it. So you were just asking me, was it an episode? <laughs> How do I feel about Fuji just denying things? Like, oh, that didn't happen. So here we go. He's still doing it right here. <laughs> uh, all these weeks later. It's like all he knows. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all he knows how to get heat. Basically, that's his defense mechanism. No, I don't hear it. No, that didn't happen. No, I didn't issue challenge. Fuji says Lex cheated with the steel-plated forearm before he slammed Yokozuna on July 4th. Vince riles up Yokozuna talking about the slam heard around the world. Fuji calls it a hip toss. Vince asks Fuji why he wouldn't give Lex Luger a title shot. Fuji says because he cheated, Boysan. Vince asks if he'll give anyone else a title shot, like a Bret Hart, a Macho Man, a Hulk Hogan. Fuji says his Yokozuna will take on anyone, anytime, anywhere. You just know Bret wasn't there, Steve, because if he was, he would have been questioning this. Why wouldn't I have accepted that if he had offered that challenge? The Bret Hart character, which is really me, would have never just sat backstage and not accepted that open challenge, Vince. So I'm feeling like Brett's not here tonight. I'm just having fun with Brett, guys. <laughs> he so wasn't there. Instead of Brett, instead of Macho Man getting up, instead of Hulk Hogan, instead of Lex Luger, it's Crush, brother. Crush, brother, out. He'll accept the challenge. Shaka, bra. Fuji, back to denial again, Steve. I never issue challenge. Just like he never did to Hogan at Mania, apparently. Uh, no matter, Yoko says, hi. To Vince McMahon, Yoko accepts the challenge. He'll defend his WWF title against Crush next week right here on Raw. Crush thanks Lex Luger on the mic, says he is proud to be an American, and he'll continue what Luger did and embarrass Yokozuna and Fuji by taking the WWF title, WWF title for himself, for Hawaii, and for his country, brother. Shaka. WWF title next week on Raw. Wow, pretty big match, a WWF title match on Raw. Crush is a big dude, even if he's not the biggest name. He's a big dude going in there with Yoko. Yeah, it's a pretty big match. Probably one of the bigger ones of the early Raw, so um, I was looking forward to it. I, I know that. You didn't get title matches very often, so definitely had to watch and tune in. We close the show with one more match. It's Mr. Perfect taking on Brian Costello, and much like the Bigelow match, this one doesn't go too long. Hennig comes into the ring, and he sticks his gum on the uh, Raw girl's glasses, uh, as the match gets going, Hennig chops the shit out of Brian Costello and right into a perfect plex. In a mere 59 seconds, Mr. Perfect, another rush job on the squash match here. Not one mention of Shawn Michaels nor the IC title. I think they were just trying to get Raw over with at this point. Mr. Perfect with a very quick and easy win as Raw closes with a slow motion video of Lex Luger once again slamming Yokozuna. And we move on to WWF Superstars for July 10th. Tapes uh, June 15th in Huntington, West Virginia. It's Vince Lawler, Macho Man, on commentary as once again it's the highlights from the Stars and Stripes Challenge. 
this time with a Jim Ross voiceover. Very interesting. Smoking Guns in the ring, taking on Rock Werner and W.T. Jones. The Revolver, that pile driver by Bart Gunn, ends it on Werner. I wrote, yuck. Very sloppy. He landed on Bart's legs. It was really rough looking. Awful stuff. Smoking Guns in general, just not over. And the match goes 2 minutes, 23 seconds as we move on to face-to-face. The Peacock version is Marty Jannetty, who hasn't forgotten about Shawn Michaels in the IC title. Even with Diesel, Marty says he's going to find a way around Diesel to become IC champ once again. We also hear from the Steiner brothers who talk money incorporated. I like the line from Scott Steiner here. Maybe Rick, I'm not sure. I didn't write down who said it. But one of the Steiners actually said something pretty good here. They said they're building a reputation, Steve. They're not relying on one. I like that line. Yeah, that's really good. Because uh, at this point, Money Inc.'s just living off a of reputation, like they said. So, um, great line there. A little bit of a shoot, a little bit, probably. Probably just a little bit. As we go on, we're going to listen to a few more uh, face-to-faces here in the localized markets. First, we're going to listen to some New York City goodness. It's uh, Mean Gene first promoting the upcoming Raw, featuring Men on a Mission's Raw debut, as well as the King's Court, a special King's Court with a fellow by the name of Tiny Tim. This is what Mean Gene had to say about Tiny Tim, Steve. We're going to be at the Manhattan Center Monday Night Raw, a week from this Monday night, July the 19th, 8 o'clock start. Uh, the card making their debut in the Big Apple, Men on a Mission, Mo, Oscar, and Mabel. And also there's going to be a King's Court with Jerry Lawler featuring his special guest, Tiny Tim. Tiptoe through the... Boy, that guy's got to be older than dirt, Tiny Tim, huh? Should be very interesting. Means you're not a fan of Tiny Tim. That guy's got to be older than dirt. Oh, my God. Vin, I loved it. <laughs> I, I grabbed it. I, I, I popped clearly. it <laughs> I did, too. I thought it was hilarious, but Vince clearly wasn't watching this shit. No. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> oh, I love you. Oh you know, it's like I got, I got a newfound respect for Mean Gene after all these face-to-faces. I'll tell you that. Like I thought he, I thought he was just uh, <laughs> cashing checks at this point in the company, but he's, he's making me have, have a lot of fun anyway. And I'm kind of sad he's going to be gone here in another month or so. Yeah, he's he's something else, man. He's good on there. He's perfect for those face-to-face. It's a shame he hated doing it. Also coming up on a bunch of shows, uh, Bret Hart taking on Yokozuna inside a steel cage for the WWF title. First, we're going to listen to the Garden version of their upcoming their promo for their upcoming steel cage match, and then we'll listen to Howie D's version. Howie D's sending one in. From Anaheim, they're going to be headed there on October, on August 21st. But first, it's the MSG card, August 13th, Yokozuna and Bret Hart. Ladies and gentlemen, inside a 15-foot-high steel cage, there is going to be a title defense for my guests joining us face-to-face at this time. The World Wrestling Federation champion, Yokozuna, not a happy man, joined by his manager, Mr. Fuji, and also joining us via satellite this week, challenger, Brett the Hitman Hart. Hey, what about this past Sunday on the USS Intrepid, Lex Luger body slamming Yokozuna Bret Hart. You can appreciate a feat like that. Yeah, I can appreciate it. The fact that 550 pounds was slammed on the deck. All it shows me, as far as Yokozuna is concerned, that anything is possible. Now, let's get right down to the meat here. It's a steel cage match in Madison Square Garden. Everybody knows that Madison Square Garden, to me, is just like my backyard. And the fact that it's a steel cage match, I think, even though this is probably the most dangerous match of, of all the matches There's you can no have, question. the fact is that this whole thing's got to work in my favor because 550 pounds 
is going to have a lot of trouble climbing out and a lot of trouble getting that big butt through the door. Whoa. And the best part oh. about it is Mr. Fuji oh. can't stick his worm-like oh. face into my business because it's going to be me oh. and Fatso oh. all to ourselves. Hold the phone right there, Brad Hart. Uh, your retort to that, Mr. Fuji, please. Let me tell you, first of all, President Jack Tony, the nerve of you putting my man in a cage bed and then putting his belt up. All Bret Hart has to do is climb over the cage and run away. But no way, my Yokozuna has an eye and an eyeball for you. Bret Hart, you will pay. Gentlemen, I guarantee you, it's been two and a half years since we have seen a steel cage in the garden. Friday night, August 13th, 8 o'clock, garden party. Get your tickets in advance. All right, Steve, that was Yoko and Brett talking about Madison Square Garden. Now here's the other here's their promo for their upcoming match, same exact match, steel cage match for the WWF title in Anaheim. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how long it has been since we have seen a steel cage match here in Southern California. As a matter of fact, it's been a long time since I've seen one, period. Joining us this week, the World Wrestling Federation champion, Yokozuna manager Mr. Fuji, and challenger Brett the Hitman Hart. Mr. Fuji, this is a very serious and a very dangerous match for your champion. Very true indeed. Jack Tonnet, president, sanctioned this match, a cage match. Plus, my champion had to put up his belt against you, Brad Hart, because you've been crying, crying, crying after WrestleMania 9. This time around, boy sound, we're going to make you pay. Bret Hart, uh... You heard that? It sounds to me like they're trying to intimidate you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know, Gene, let's get down to the meat of the matter here. Steel cage match. Now, this is one of the most dangerous... Well, it is. This is the most dangerous match no question. of them all. But you know something? It's got to work in my favor, because you know why? Tubby here, he can't, he can't get over the top of this thing. He can't get through the door. It's going to be him and me. And we got a little problem to settle. Who's the rightful owner of the World Wrestling Federation title in the first place? And the best part about it, Mr. Fuji can't stick his nose in my All right, ladies and gentlemen, in a steel cage 15 feet high, Yokozuna to defend against Bret Hart in Anaheim on August 21st. So Bret Hart going to win because he says Yokozuna can't climb over the cage or fit through the door, then, then wise guy, how the hell is he going to get in the cage to begin with, Bret? Now, come on. Let's be realistic here, buddy. Unless, unless he's already in the ring while they build it. Uh, <laughs> Tubby. <laughs> Tubby, you orca. <laughs> Fucking orcas and hyenas and all kinds of shit going on up there in Canada. He probably reads National Geographic <laughs> on his road trips. Oh, man. <laughs> Superstars goes on. It's supposed to be the blow-off between Crush and Doink uh -huh. the Clown. It started all the way back in January. Remember when Doink laid him out with that arm? He ripped that arm right out of his socket. And he beat Crush down, sent him to the hospital on the stretcher, <laughs> put him out of the Royal Rumble, cost him an opportunity at WrestleMania in the WWF title. Of course, from there, he fooled him at WrestleMania with a double Doink and pinned Crush. And since that time, Crush has just been a big fool here in the WWF. So here it is, guys. It's the war to settle the score. The brawl to end it all. It's Doink versus Crush. Doink up on the it's video. It's not on MTV, right? <laughs> no, it's not. Not Unfortunately, <laughs> MTV took one look at this and said, nah, we're good. So <laughs> as uh, Crush makes his way out to the ring, he's standing in the ring awaiting his opponent. Doink appears on the video wall, but then it turns into two Doinks on the video wall and then four Doinks. 
And finally, 16 doinks up on the video wall talking to Crush. But most of all, Doink says, beware of the doink behind you. And Crush doesn't even bother to turn around as Doink, apparently number 17, throws coffee or something into the eyes of Crush. I wrote, what an idiot. Crush looks like here already as this match gets going. So Crush is blinded as the bell sounds and Doink attacks while the 16 other Doinks laugh from afar on the video wall. Doink in the ring with a swinging neckbreaker and a Boston Crab even uses the ropes for leverage on Crush. Doink continues to work the leg. Crush, though, has no idea how to bump or sell, so this just looks awful. Doink slaps Crush around, and Crush no-sells that now, too, brother, but this time he's starting to hulk up, and that's a different kind of no-sell. Doink, though, trips Crush up and repeatedly rams his leg into the ring post. Doink working over Crush's leg when Crush, out of nowhere, busts out an insigiri. <laughs> and a slow, shitty, methodical comeback here by Crush, as you can tell. The crowd not into this at all. Doink has Crush chase him around ringside and then takes over control again as we go into a commercial break. Back from break, Crush takes over with a tilt-to-world backbreaker and another eh comeback, another slow punch-and-kick comeback by Crush. And he locks in the cranium crunch, but Doink goes straight to the eyes to escape. And now it's Doink the Clown who locks in a sleeper hold, but Crush breaks free by driving Doink backwards into the corner Doink quickly up to the middle rope and a clothesline on Crush. And an impressive body slam by Doink. Full body weight to Crush lifts him up and slam. Maybe Doink should have slammed Yokozuna. And it's a whoopee cushion time. Flying seated butt drop off the top rope. Down. But Crush gets his knees up. Doink lands the whoopee cushion onto the knees of Crush. And now it's Crush with the third slow generic comeback, Steve. Clotheslines choking from a baby face. Kicking. And a vertical suplex was the big high spot of his comeback, I wrote. Doink then launches himself at Crush with a crossbody. And it takes Crush a few seconds and a few attempts, but he finally falls over the top rope with Doink. They both go backwards over the top rope, out to the floor. Crush on the outside press slams Doink. Doink comes back and sends Crush into the ring post. But Crush again with a backdrop on Doink outside. Crush rolls into the ring, beats the count. Crush wins the few, quote-unquote, wins. The feud on a count out in 12 minutes. Yeah, uh, not very good. And it didn't feel like it was the end of anything. No. Just another continuation. And, um, and that's especially after what, what transpires next. But yeah. Yeah. I, I know this stuff was taped and probably Raw was live or whatever, but right. it just seems odd that you're giving Crush a count out win three days before a title match on Raw. It just feels so. So, like it definitely wouldn't happen now, but it didn't feel like a good way to build up Yoko uh, Crush for Yokozuna no, at by, all. By watching this, this was taped in the middle of June, and like you said, this this Yokozuna Crush deal on July fifth was live. It feels like they had different plans for Crush when they were taping here in the middle of June, because of what happens next after the match. Doink's not having any of this loss. He's he's mad. He's trying to get in the ring and come after Crush. And a distraction allows a second doink. This will be doink number 18, if I'm counting correctly, Steve. Doink number 18, Steve Kern, out from under the ring, breaks a broomstick over Crush's back, and it's a double doink attack. Is doink born and doink Kern beat down Crush? I wrote, where's Crush's backup? He mentioned it last week on the Peacock face-to-face. He told Mean Gene, don't worry about it, brother. I, I, he's got some backup. He's got, a, he's got somebody in mind to, to help him take on these doinks here this week. They never show up, though, Steve, unfortunately. And the doinks just choke Crush out. They beat him down 
all before two days before a WWF title match with Yokozuna on Raw. Uh, this was taped far enough back, though. I question what the original plan was. Like I said, could it have been what Meltzer said? Was it supposed to be Crush and Marty Jannetty versus the Doinks at SummerSlam? Uh, this is definitely not an end to a feud. Uh, no way to build no. up Crush for a title match either. This was, It's like we already taped it. It's, it we're going to air it. It's just the way it is. Right. Uh, it does feel like this is leading to a tag match. Crush is getting fed up with all the double doink shit, so he's going to say, why don't both of you just get on the apron and we'll have a tag match so I can keep my eye on both of you or whatever. So that's clearly where it's going, who his partner was or who his backup was. I don't know if it was Marty. It makes sense because they had that feud with Doink on Raw for a couple weeks, so that could have worked. But that that's where this is telling us it's heading. But what happens on Raw makes throws all this out the window. They're just kind of. It seems like they're just done with Crush and Doink with no finality. So we're just gonna send Crush packing for a few months and try again. Yeah, clearly without over. hurting Doink. And I think a lot of this has to do with Luger going babyface, Razor going babyface. Now they need heels. So now you got to take a couple of baby faces maybe and put them over here on the heel side and everything gets shaken up and changed. So that could be, have something to do with it as well. Yeah. Show continues with Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels accompanied the ring by his bodyguard, Bedazzled Diesel, as they take on Kevin Kruger here. It's a super kick in Michaels' new pile driver finisher, picking up the win in three minutes and nine seconds. On commentary, Vince McMahon mentions that he's not sure what it is, but Sean's character, well, he didn't call it a character, but he's really uh, gotten way cockier as of late, ever since he's gotten Diesel as a bodyguard and recaptured the Intercontinental title. I wrote, I, I tend to agree with what Vince is selling here on commentary. The character's really evolved in the last several weeks, gotten way cockier, a lot more mannerisms, facial expressions, a lot more confidence, next-level arrogance as of late by Shawn Michaels. He ran into Martell's leftover supply of arrogance, and That's right. now he's, he has it in abundance. Took a bath in it. I mean, how can you not be? <laughs> yeah, how how can you not be more confident when you got a seven footer in your corner? It makes perfect sense to evolve a little bit more yeah, since Sean, you have the backup. now. Sean really having fun with this character as of late. You can really tell, uh, and it's our very first yeah. SummerSlam report, and the very first match announced for SummerSlam. We're going to see Brett the Hitman Hart, the King of the Ring taking on the self-professed king, at least according to the WWF, Jerry the King Lawler. That's our first match announced for SummerSlam. We also get a Bret Hart promo. He says that Lawler ruined Bret's coronation, and now in the, in the, in the SummerSlam, I always loved how he said that, King, the king, Jerry Lawler, <laughs> will be taken to the gallows and excellently executed. Uh, Hart actually sounded into this kind of shit here. It's, uh, I'm going to take you to the gallows and excellently execute you. In the SummerSlam. <laughs> I never understood why he said shit like in the Survivor Series, in the Royal Rumble. Like, what is he talking about? What is that a Canadian thing? I don't know. I, I'm not is. trying to trash Canadians. I'm just, I'm curious if that's how they talk or, or that, is, that a, is that a statement that they use? I don't uh, know if that's I've a Bretism. Else yeah, I've, I've never heard anybody else say that. I've never heard Jericho call it in the SummerSlam. You know, I don't, I don't know. No. So if that's a Canadian thing, somebody reach out to us on Twitter and let us know, or if this is just a Brett thing, because I'm not, like I said, I'm not trashing nobody. I'm just curious because nobody else has said it. So it has to be one or the other. I'm yeah. leaning way more towards it just being a Bret Hart thing than anybody else. I wonder what the reason is behind it. I, somebody should shoot him a message on Twitter. Shoot yeah. him a message and say, hey, why did you always say in the SummerSlam instead of at SummerSlam? Did nobody ever correct like, you? What are you trying to? 
What are you trying to present here, Brett? And Bolsheviks in the WrestleMania six. By heart coming for you, so who knows? In the Sky Dome, in the WrestleMania. In the WrestleMania. God. That makes it sounds so terrible. <laughs> Show goes on. It's the superstars debut of Men on a Mission with rap star Oscar in their corner taking on Mitch Bishop and Chad Miller. Men on a Mission superstars debut. They learned fast to wait for the intro before rapping this time. It was awful on challenge trying to listen to Mike McGurk introduce him while Oscar rapped at the same time. At least they waited this week for the introduction to end before Oscar begins his rapping. If that's what you want to call it. Mo and Oscar dancing to the ring. Mabel not having any of it. And I wonder what men on uh, Mo and Mabel actually thought of Oscar since they didn't actually come up with him in the wrestling business. During the match, though, Mabel impresses with a dropkick on Miller. Bishop then dropkicks Mabel to no avail, no sell there, and then eats a spin kick to the face by the big man. And then Mo tags in Gord Buster on Mitch Bishop. Mabel comes off the middle rope this week. It's a simple leg drop. He didn't kill anybody. Match goes two minutes, 45 seconds. Men on a mission pick up a win here as it's back to face to face to close the show. The Peacock version has Mean Gene Okerlund talking to Ronnie Polo. And impressive is an understatement for Adam Baum. Joining us along with his manager, Ronnie Polo. Gentlemen, welcome. Johnny Polo, cue ball. Uh, uh, and listen up. What? I know you're a Democrat out there, but it's time to leave that party and join the Polo Party. And my platform is simple. Adam Baum to the top. And I mean right to the top of the World Wrestling Federation. He is the most destructive man in the World Wrestling Federation. The most destructive man in the universe. And he will take all his opponents. Put them in the Atom Smasher, and they will be standing in line. Wait a minute, Mr. Polo. Yes, I beg your pardon? They're Prozac, Gene. You're familiar with that, I'm sure of that. Well, uh, yeah. Uh, Adam Baum, I'm certain you can uh, add to all of this. Soon, Gene, everyone in the WWF will feel the total wrath of destruction. Thank you very much, Adam Baum and manager Johnny Polo. Nice looking lid you're wearing there, pal. Thank you very little. But. Give me a break, would you? <laughs> Thank you very little. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so uh, that was funny, one of his catchphrases on Radio WW. I always loved it whenever somebody would compliment him. Thank you very little. In fact, I think he said it to me one time on that show. Fucker. Oh, man. <laughs> ha! Uh, Son of a... They would have... You know, if Mean Gene had stuck around, that would have been some really fun shit for the next year on Face to Face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> man, like, the fact that he didn't even... Like, he didn't even... Ignore the, the what was it Prozac? Right, right. <laughs> Didn't even ignore that. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adam Bob, what do you got to say about this? So, <laughs> oh shit, he caught him off guard big time on that one. Uh, also on the Peacock version, Mean Gene talks to another of his favorites. He likes to fuck with here, Harvey Whippleman, along with Mister Hughes. Hey, speaking of people that have been impressive in the World Wrestling Federation, none more impressive than uh, this man in his short tenure in the World Wrestling Federation. Mr. Hughes standing by with his manager at Loudmouth, Harvey Whippleman. Harv, come on out. I know you got something to say. Oakland, you better not get smart with me because you'll be out of a job. I'll see to it. But I... don't worry. The way things are going, you can always join the military. <laughs> How's that? 
Well, the president's <laughs> making new decision nowadays. I got enough that. about that. Hey. And enough about you. Let's talk about Mr. Hughes, the most awesome man in the WWF. The man who did exactly what everyone tried to do. And that's take away the Undertaker's pride and joy. As you can see, Undertaker that's hadn't got That's his pride and joy. That's the urn that belongs to exactly. Paul Bear and the Undertaker. Not no more, Oakland. Tell him, Mr. Hughes. That's right. <laughs> you seen me, Gene? This here is what the Undertaker lives for. This is his pride and joy. Anybody that wants to come in front of me, I'll take their pride and joy. Anybody steps in front of me is going to feel the wrath of the sidewalk slam. Anybody that wants to deal with Mr. Hughes, come on with it. I got something for you. I am from the hood. I am the man. Well, it uh, seems to me, Harvey Whippleman, like you've got your man tuned up and in fine shape and ready to roll. Gino Glenn, this man was born tuned up. He's not planning on stopping with The Undertaker. There's a whole long list of men in the World Wrestling Federation that are going to feel the sidewalk slam. I'm talking about Macho Man Randy Savage. Harvey. the Hitman Hart. It doesn't matter. Marty Gennetti, come on down. Harvey. This Harvey. Is that a clip-on tie? No, it ain't. Thank you. You're welcome. You can clearly tell there's an inside joke there between the two. Harvey, is that a clip on tie? No, it ain't. Thank you. You're welcome. As we close out this, this <laughs> the silly nonsense uh, Mean Gene had, the, the, the rapport he has with some of these guys is, is, is really good shit. Um, but Howie D sent in some more goodness, uh, this time again from Anaheim. We're going to hear from Harvey again talking to Mean Gene along with Mr. Hughes. Harvey uh, Hughes is scheduled to take on The Undertaker in Anaheim on August 21st. Also, the Macho Man is coming to Anaheim to take on the Giant Gonzalez. So we're going to hear Harvey and the Macho Man here going face to face. Here's one you're going to like a lot. The Undertaker is going to be facing my guest at this time. Mr. Hughes standing by with your manager, the venerate Harvey Whippleman. Hughes, this could be a very sensitive meeting between you and the Undertaker because, well, you've got something that belongs to Paul Bear and the Undertaker, that urn. I don't think so, Mean Gene. It's mine. I possess it. I took it from the Undertaker. You see, Paul Bear, he was holding it, but he ain't got it now. I'm the man now, Mean Gene. Now, Undertaker, you want to play the ball? Bring your bat, baby, because I got the ball. Now, when I put that sidewalk slam on you, I promise you, you're not going to rise this time. Harvey Whippleman, what are you doing? Try to sign this thing for me? No, Gene. The last time I was in Anaheim, the Undertaker grabbed me by the throat. Pick me way up in the air and slam me down to the mat. I know that. I had to go to the hospital. I didn't like it. I'm still very stiff, very sore. You're very lucky I was able to make it here today. But Mr. Hughes has promised he will gain revenge for me in Anaheim. That's right, Undertaker. Hey. You're going down. Yep. Uh, gentlemen, maybe you should uh, take all of this up with your attorney. You should have legal representation. Uh, Harvey Whippleman, I don't want you to go anywhere because I've got a surprise for you. What is that? On August the 21st, your big man, the giant Gonzalez, is going to be facing a gentleman who is joining us face-to-face -face right now. Mm, I'm yeah. talking about the macho man, Randy Savage. Hey, this wasn't in my contract. I don't care. Shut up and sit back there and macho man. Let's talk about the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez. All right, let's do it. August the 21st, Anaheim, California. You're going to think that what happened last time in Anaheim was a good day, Harvey Whippleman. Yeah, Wimpleman. Are you threatening me? Hey, listen. Giant Gonzalez is going to get beat one, two, three, and the Undertaker's going to beat Mr. Hughes, and if you can't take it, too bad, yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't beat a man that's eight feet tall and weighs as much as a giant Gentlemen, Gonzalez. I thank you very yes, much. Make plans to join us in Anaheim yep. at the Arena August 21st.
So more goodness there coming to Anaheim. Randy Savage talking with Harvey Whippleman, uh, Gonzalez and Hughes both on that card. But there's still one more face-to-face. And this is a very unique face-to-face, Steve, because we don't get the usual typical guy on the video wall talking to Mean Gene. Instead, they're headed to New York. They're talking Madison Square Garden. It's Randy Savage scheduled to take on Jerry Lawler at the Garden. But a very unique face-to-face because Gene throws it back to superstars and they do a very special, specific to Madison Square Garden promo at the Superstars desk. It's Vince, Lawler, and Savage in the same uh, stuff they're wearing on that episode of Superstars cutting a promo about their match at Madison Square Garden. So it feels like it's part of Superstars. Really cool video, really cool looking to look at. Oh, the only thing that kills it near the end is they really raise the crowd level noise during the promo, but it's just really cool to see Vince sitting in between these two guys cutting a promo on each other about their upcoming match at the Garden. And it feels like a part of superstars. It is true. The Macho Man Randy Savage to meet Jerry Lawler. Let's go back to the arena and Vince McMahon. Thank you very much, Mean Gene Oakland. You know, we've seen some extraordinary matches before in Madison Square Garden. Some unbelievable world wrestling federation spectaculars. But you ain't seen nothing yet as the expression goes. Wait till you get a look of the match that puts Macho Man Randy Savage in the ring with the self-professed King Jerry Lawler. And I might add, I know you're a little on the superstitious side, uh, Mr. King, but this is August 13, as in Friday Friday the 13th. Well, first of all, let me go back to this self-professed king. I think I proved to the world who the only king of the World Wrestling Federation is, and I'll prove it again at SummerSlam, and this is just a little warm-up for Bret Hart. A warm-up? That's right, a warm-up. Do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you have any idea? This is the macho man Randy Savage. That's who this is. I know exactly who he is. when he steps in there. He's going to be rocking and reeling and dancing on the ceiling, MSG. You're looking at the party pooper right here, because let me tell you something. When I walked down that aisle in Madison Square Garden, first of all, all of you degenerates out there, you New Yorkers, get down on your hands and knees and kiss my feet. That's right. Bow down to the real king of wrestling, and then you're going to do the same thing before that match is over, because I'm going to take this step. I'm going to shove it hey, so right. far down your throat, hey, you're going to need on. a crane to pull it out. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? Look at me. Well, Let me see the hair in your eyes. Let me show say something to the big apple out there. All right, Vince, I do not envy you at all having to stay in the middle of those two. I guarantee you one thing, there's not a whole lot of love lost between the macho man Randy Savage, the man he's going to be meeting, Jerry Lawler, the self-proclaimed king. Those two are going to tangle. They're going to collide head-on in Madison Square Garden, Friday night, August 13th. Don't miss it. Yeah, I don't know which version you watched, Steve, but I just thought that was really unique and really cool that they were able to use superstars as a way to get over that match for for the Garden. They just both happen to be announcers on that TV show. Yeah, I watched the non-Peacock version, so I saw this. I thought it was a pretty cool idea. Why not just kick it back? It's less work for Gene. I'm sure he was all for it. And, uh, yeah, it got the point across. So very cool, very unique, very different. But I liked it. And that concludes Superstars WWF Mania for July 10th. No more exclusives, but it is co-hosts now by Macho Man and Todd Pettengill. We move on, though, to Wrestling Challenge July 11th, taped June 14th, Columbus, Ohio. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. 
Adam Baum heads to the ring to take on old Irish Bob Clancy. And Adam Baum, accompanied by his manager, Johnny Polo. This week, Johnny Polo carries a no arrows, but he has a bow <laughs> and a cigarette holder, Steve. Who is he, like Pat Patterson from the 60s? Uh, he just made shit up every <laughs> week, right? I mean, just, he just made this gear up yeah, every true. fucking week. Un- un- unbelievable. <laughs> is, uh, what, a, what a character fun. Johnny Polo was. He was having fun. And that's why it didn't really work with Adam Bomb as much as I laughed and had fun with the Johnny Polo character. Adam Bomb was all business in the ring. Just didn't work well for me. But Adam Smasher here gets the win. Two minutes and 46 seconds. As we move on to special report and evil Alfred Hayes, he tells his version of what happened at King of the Ring and announces the SummerSlam match between Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler. We're going to listen to Alfred Hayes' version of what happened, and then we're going to hear from the Hitman. everyone. This week's special report brings the official proclamation of the annual presentation of World Wrestling Federation SummerSlam. This year, the bursting solar brilliance of SummerSlam will emanate from the palace at Auburn Hills in suburban Detroit. The first SummerSlam match to be announced will be between the King of the Ring, Bret Hart, and the real King, Jerry Lawler. Now, it would appear that the King of the Ring, Bret Hart's reign, was severely tested and found wanting at his coronation by the real King, Jerry Law. Let's get everything in perspective, Jerry Lawler. Let's face it, the King of the Ring, that was my moment. I fought hard, and I fought long, and I fought everybody, and I proved that I was the King of the Ring. And then when my big coronation came, you came up and not only did you ruin it for me, but you beat me with everything you had. You beat me to the ground. You broke a chair over my back and you beat me like a dog. But let me tell you something right here, right now, Jerry Lawler, it is going to be you and me in the SummerSlam. And I can promise you one thing. I will get even for every single thing you did. And I can promise you will go down to the excellence of execution. Oh, you could feel that promo. <laughs> and of course, he references uh, that chair, the throne getting broken over his back. Uh, of course, he ruined him, and he's going to get his revenge in the SummerSlam, Steve. So there it is. It, it almost feels like he probably really was pissed that Brett, he didn't get his coronation like he wanted. <laughs> he probably does have a little heat there. My notes have I have on here, like, he's, he's very, like, he's really into it, and... uh you can kind of tell that he's biting, he's sticking his teeth into this one and actually giving it his best shot. And you can hear the anger and the intensity and the passion in his voice in his promo. He's just not talking about someone being fat and I got to get the endurance and I just got to get him to go 20 minutes so I can have my shot. It's I'm going to technical you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to technically execute you or whatever the hell is stupid stuff he says. But this one just felt like he actually was invested in it and there was some some heat there between the two, so uh, he did a good job. The action continues. We're talking about Bret Hart and Jerry Lawler. Let's talk about Bret's brother, Owen Hart. He's heading to the ring to take on Dave Kiner, and right away in this match, we get an insert promo, a live promo from Jerry Lawler, and here's what Lawler has to say uh, to Owen Hart. Hey, what's Lawler? Jerry Lawler's here. Lawler, what are you doing here? I, I thought you didn't know you are talking. At the King of the Ring, what do you want now? Well, that's what you get for thinking, Jim Ross, you peon. What the King wants now is for you 
to do me a personal favor. I realize that that little idiot Owen Hart is in the ring wrestling right now, but when he gets through, when he gets beat, I want you to go to him and ask him a question. I want you to ask him if he will be my guest on the King's Court next week. Because you see, I wanna find out what I'm dealing with here. I know his old man was a coward. I found out that his brother Bret Hart was a coward. Now I wanted to see if I'm dealing with a whole family of cowards. So Jim Ross, you go and ask him if he'll be my guest next week on the King's Court. Well, I'll be happy to do that, uh, Burger King, because I'd love to... Write that down, well, go Burger ahead and write it down. King. I don't care. Uh, under the weather <laughs> sounding Jerry Lawler uh, cuts this promo here. He basically tells Jim Ross he wants him to ask Owen Hart to appear on his King's Court next week, and he calls the uh, Hart family cowards. Bobby Heenan on commentary eventually says, I don't know if the entire Hart family are cowards, but I do know their house is yellow. I, I found that am- amusing. <laughs> Another Bobby Heenan line. As uh, Owen Hart in the ring with a missile dropkick and a northern light <laughs> suplex and a hook of a leg. Pins Dave Kiner in just three minutes and 24 seconds. They do a nice little setup for next week. We learn Marty Jannetty will take on Mr. Hughes next week on Wrestling Challenge. And it's back to face-to-face. Madison Square Garden, Steve, I'm sure you saw this one. Macho Man coming to town to take on Jerry Lawler once again. He talks all about that match. But then we're supposed to hear from Doink the Clown and the one two three kid But instead it winds up being Doink. And doink. The electrifying one, two, three kid is going to be meeting my guest at this time. <laughs> doink the clown. You know, I've seen you ride that unicycle. You try to tell me now you're a juggler? Pretty good at it, too, huh? <laughs> you want to see me juggle? has been off the air for 25 years, and all of a sudden you show up. You want to watch? Yeah, let's see it. There One we go. One question first. Are you a pitcher yeah. or a catcher? Come on. What? Yeah, catch it. Blow him. You've got to be kidding me. Hey, joining us face to face right now is your opponent, the one, two, three kid on Monday Night Raw. Hey, what's going on here? Where's, where's my director? What the? Hey, what are you guys trying to do? You trying to jerk me around, Doink? What happened to the one, two, three kid? Did that ask your question? Hey, what's going on? There's two of you. There, there it's an illusion. <laughs> what do you mean it's an illusion? Uh, one, two, three. It's a good name for him, huh? <laughs> uh, well, th- thank you very much. Uh, gentlemen, I'm sorry. I'm confused here. Uh, is this some kind of a technical problem we're having? Apparently not. Ladies and gentlemen, all I can tell you, the kid is going to be meeting Doink, the clown of the garden, Friday night, August 13th. What's going on here? That was a fun one. I love Doink's line to Mean Gene, and he's holding up. For those who can't see this, he's he's juggling. He's got a bunch of pins there like he's going to juggle. And he asks Mean Gene, are you a pitcher or a catcher? Hey, come on now. We don't need none of that shit here on the show. And then all of a sudden, all the pins come flying in at Gene's face. Really good stuff as uh, <laughs> both both Doinks cut a promo. <laughs> Just one magically appears in the one, two, three, three kids spot. So even on face-to-face, Doink always a fun one. Yeah, that was good stuff. And we go on to another Anaheim face-to-face. It's Raymond Rougeau talking with Mr. Hughes about his upcoming match with the Undertaker. Harveyless, uh, apparently because Mean Gene's here. Uh, mean Gene's not here for this promo. Uh, Harvey doesn't bother to show up either to have fun with Gene. So it's Mr. Hughes solo talking about his upcoming match with the Undertaker. And he says to the Undertaker, you think you're dead now? Wait till you get in the ring with me. I love that line by Mr. Hughes. Also, we'll hear from the Macho Man as he talks about his match with the giant Gonzalez. Listen to this one. Mr. Hughes, you will have to face The Undertaker. You know that he wants to reclaim his stolen property you have right now. 
And by the way, where is Harvey Whippleman? That's none of your business. I'm not here to talk about Harvey Whippleman. He's doing taking care of some personal business. Now, back to my business. Undertaker, you've seen what happened to you. Did you feel it? Huh? Can you still feel it? You've seen what I did to Paul Barra. You see, Undertaker, you walk around here like you're the man? I don't think so. When I get done with you, I'm going to beat you up like the dog you are. You think you're dead? Well, till I get through with you, you're going to be dead and then dead. When I put that sidewalk slam on you, Undertaker, you're going down, and you won't get this back. All right, thank you very much. We'll find out right in Anaheim. Standing by right now, the man who will face the eight-foot giant Gonzalez. He is the macho man, Randy Savage. Randy, congratulations. I don't know what I should say. Hats off to you, but I think you've bitten off a little more than you can chew right now. Maybe, but ain't I think California's gonna be on fire and we're gonna find out on that night. Big, big card, yeah, but guaranteed personified that I still got that motivation from Lex Luger for the red, the white, and the blue when he body slammed Yokozuna, yeah. Giant Gonzalez, you are almost eight feet tall. Yeah, you might as well be 28 feet tall. It doesn't really matter. You got the height advantage. I'll give that to you, but I'll guarantee you what I'm going to take is the victory right there in Anaheim, California. Macho Maniacs get together. I'm excited. Yeah, enthusiasm makes the difference, and we're going to do the thing, and everybody's going to know that I beat the Giant Diggins. All right, and as we go back to Wrestling Challenge, Steve, it's the Body Slam Challenge re recap again. This time it's the Vince McMahon version from Raw, not the Jim Ross version from Superstars. And we go back to the ring. Bastion Booger in a squash match for once, taking on Mark Hardgrove. But first, Owen Hart, in an insert promo, he responds to Jerry the King Lawler's offer of joining him on the King's Court. Let's listen to what Owen has to say. Oh, and uh, Jerry Lawler's invited you to be in the King's Court next week. Do you accept? Well, Jim, you can tell that Burger King I'll be happy to join him on the King's Court next week. As a matter of fact, I'm really, really looking forward to it. Well, I, yeah, he is looking forward to it. So Owen Hart accepts. No shocker there. He'll appear on the King's Court next week on Wrestling Challenge. Before the match gets going... They showed that granny a week or two ago here, the, the really old lady in the front row. They show her again, and once again, Bobby Heen refers to her as Sensational Sherry. He says, sit down, Sherry. As the match gets going, uh, Bastion Booger busts out the leg drop and does a little dance. He sends the job guy out to the floor and nails the old Karachi Crunch on the outside right into the steel ring post. Back inside, it's the old Norman trip to the Batcave. Bastion Booger picks up the win in 2 minutes, 42 seconds. I wrote, it's clear his directive as a character was to go out there and make stupid faces at the camera because watching him, he clearly had no business in the ring. He looked so uncomfortable trying to even move around. He looked like he didn't even belong in a wrestling ring. Yeah, it's far cry from Norman in 89. So uh, he just put on way too much weight and he wasn't athletic or mobile enough to, to overcome that. So um, I, I'm with you, man. You made the comment a couple of times. I have no clue how he makes it in the beginning of 94. Like, good Lord. I feel I feel bad for him just watching him move around. He just looks very uncomfortable due to his size. Yeah, I will say, too, good on him to – he's like you said, he admitted that he let Vince down and he put on too much weight. But good on him being a trooper and not just quitting on Vince. He probably should have, but uh, he's probably getting a decent pay. He wrote it out, but 
Yeah, just uh, I, I wouldn't even say it's a missed opportunity. It's just he had no business being in the wrestling ring at this point, no matter the company or the gimmick. And the show rolls on. It's face-to-face time again. First, the Madison Square Garden market. We hear from Yokozuna and Bret Hart as they continue to talk their steel cage match. Then we move over to Anaheim, where Raymond Rougeau first talks to the Steiners about their upcoming matches against the Head Shrinkers on the house show circuit. And then from there, we talk about the Yokozuna versus Bret Hart cage match in Anaheim. And that's when Bret joins Raymond Rougeau. And there's been a report of sightings, Steve. Hey, you know, Ray... I've heard recently around Anaheim that there, there's been a lot of whale sightings, beached whale sightings. But I got news for everybody. It's not a beached whale. It's Yokozuna. And Yokozuna, nobody wants you more. Not Greenpeace. I don't care who it is. Nobody wants you more badly than I do. And I can promise everybody in Anaheim that now that I got a steel cage match, it only proves one thing. Yokozuna, you can't run. You can't hide. And the best part about it, your little manager can't interfere. You're looking at the next World Wrestling Federation champion, Fatso, in Anaheim. Orcas, beached whales. Stop being a bully, Brett. Come on, man. Be a star, Bret Hart. Jeez, oh, man. Fatso. Fatso. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, boy. Unbelievable. We go on with the show, though. We're going to close out Wrestling Challenge with a competitive six-man tag team match. This looks kind of familiar. It's Tatanka and the Smoking Guns taking on the Head Shrinkers and Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna, or excuse me, with Afa in their corner. No Luna, at least to begin things here. As the match gets going, Billy Gunn gets the best of Samu to start in a good quick sequence of action. Then it's Bart Gunn on top of Fatu. I did like during the middle of that sequence between Bart and Fatu, Bart Gunn tries for a drop toll and Fatu just jumps up in the air to avoid it. Really cool stuff. Fatu showing what he's got there. Tatanka tags in, but Bigelow with a cheap shot from the apron and Bam Bam tags in to beat down on the Native American. Tatanka comes back with a, with a drop kick that staggers Bam Bam Bigelow to a knee and then a cross body block by Tatanka on Bigelow for a two count as we head into a commercial break. When we come back, Luna Vachon has made her way to ringside as Tatanka DDTs Bigelow in the ring but misses a top rope body block. And that's when Bam Bam takes over with a chin lock on the Native American. Tatanka eventually escapes. Bigelow tries for an enziguri but misses. Tatanka comes back with a drop kick on Bam Bam Bigelow. And we finally get the hot tag, or what, saw, what I thought was the hot tag, to Bart Gunn. Bart Gunn comes in, but it doesn't last very long. It's Fa 2 takes over, and the Shrinkers with a nasty double backdrop. When have they ever thrown a not-nasty double backdrop? We can go all the way back to at least 89. On Bart Gunn here, he eats one. And I wrote at this point, Afa and Luna are awesome together on the outside. They really play well together. Uh, they play up on the camera together. It's really cool stuff. Back in the ring, though, Samu low bridges the top rope, and Bart takes that nasty bump over the top out to the floor where he's rammed into the steel steps. On commentary, Bobby Heenan says, it's not the fall that hurts you, it's the sudden stop on the floor. (laughs) Bobby Heenan. As the heels all get heat on Bart Gunn, we head into our second commercial break of the match. Bart Gunn, on the way back, nails two drop kicks that stun Bam Bam Bigelow, finally drops him, and it's hot tag time to Billy Gunn. And Billy runs wild on all three men, Samu, Fatu, and Bam Bam Bigelow, as we go off the air. What the fuck, Steve? When does this happen in the WWF, at least on purpose? We saw it once on a live Raw, but JR does promise the conclusion 
of the match next week on Challenge, but holy shit, a very solid, surprisingly pretty good six-man tag team match. We saw 14 minutes shown here. That's not counting the commercial breaks. So, yeah, the guns never looked better, I thought. They were really crisp here. Bigelow with the shrinkers, it just worked for me together as a unit. I get the whole tune-in next week deal. I know how that works. I've seen Bill Watts, UWF. I've seen Crockett. But nothing here is forcing people to tune in for a six-man tag team finish next week, especially when we've essentially seen all but, like, 30 seconds of the match here. Uh, Kudos for the quality of the wrestling on this show. I just don't know what they were thinking about just not giving us the finish. But, man, it was a good match. I liked it. Yeah, it was fun. It's definitely better than their SummerSlam match because they had more time. Yeah, good shit. Uh, you mentioned a line from Bobby, but he he, he mentioned he he asked Jr. if he's deep, and I, that cracked me up. That <laughs> popped me because I say it all the time. If the wife doesn't hear me or the kids don't hear me, I'm like, "What are you deep?" And uh, they look at me like I'm stupid, and it pisses them off. I, I love it. I thought that was great. But um, the old no, non really the old non PC term was uh, deep and dumb, as they called it. That means you can't hear and you can't speak for those uh, those newbies, those youngsters <laughs> out there. That was one of my grandfather's favorite lines. What are you, deep and dumb? So, <laughs> different, different times. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, definitely. No, this is a fun match, and um, I thought it was odd that they didn't give us the last 30, 40 seconds of the match or whatever it is. I'm with you, man. Thanks for the good quality TV match, Vince. Yeah, I appreciate I it. Even though it ate up like a third of the show, I'll, I'll take it. That's fine with Especially me. Especially for a wrestling it's challenge. Than, yeah. It's better than three more squash matches that we've seen a hundred times. Yeah, agreed. We move on to All-American. They also lose the exclusives deal, but we do still have Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary for some of the squash matches here. It's Gene Yokerlin and Bobby Heenan still hosting. I can't wait to see what happens when Gene leaves. I'm not, I don't really remember what the, uh, the deal is there, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens here in another month or so when Mean Gene's off of All-American. Go on to WWF on TSN for July 11th. It's Hacksaw, Jim Duggan teaming with Kamala. Taking on the head shrinkers. Yes, this match is coming to a YouTube near you very soon, Steve. Good stuff. Fatu misses a diving headbutt to Kamala, and Kamala makes a hot tag to Hacksaw Jim Duggan. But during the four-way melee, Kamala hits everyone, including Jim Duggan, on purpose because he's Kamala, and he has no idea what he's doing. And then the head shrinkers take advantage. They hit a double thrust kick on Duggan and get the win in seven minutes and 16 seconds. Duggan tries to talk with Kamala after the match. Meanwhile, this is the good stuff I told you on Skype. On commentary, it's, it's Gorilla Monsoon with Jim Ross. I think it's Jim Ross. Uh, but it's Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. He calls Kamala. He goes, the big dummy doesn't know any better to do anything about it. So Gorilla Monsoon calling baby faces big dummies. <laughs> he just really didn't give a shit anymore at this point. No, he did not. He wasn't getting pay-per-views, so he didn't give a shit. <laughs> on behalf of the wrestling memory grenade and the Copia brand we are proud to announce our very own patreon account we encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash and check out an amazing 14 tiers and depending on your budget we have everything from as little as a one dollar tier to as much as a 100 dollar tier Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-hosts for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick 
And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off-limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a Mystery Science Theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the All Access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. And before we keep rolling with the show, you know something, Steve? What? You got to keep the little twofers clean. You got to keep the little twofers clean. Don't say the grenade doesn't do its due diligence for PSAs and dental hygiene here at the WrestleCopia Podcast <laughs> Network. You got to keep the little twofers clean. Keep them clean, guys. As the show, in fact, go on and pause the podcast right now. Go on and do your little gimmick in the bathroom. Brush your teeth, floss, mouthwash, whatever you got to do. And come on back as we kick off Monday Night Raw for July 12th at the Manhattan Center. Taped last week, July 5th. It's Vince, the Macho Man, and Bobby Heenan. And we kick things off right away with a WWF championship match on TV, free TV. It's Yokozuna along with Mr. Fuji defending the title against Crush, who accepted the challenge or issued the challenge, depending on how you want to look at it last week. And here we go. It's Yokozuna and Crush in the ring. Crush rocks Yokozuna early on, but runs into a big body slam. Impressive slam by Yokozuna there in the big 300-pound Crush. But Yoko misses an elbow drop and Crush with a big boot. Since Yoko taking that all-familiar tumble through the ropes and out to the floor, Crush tries, tries some tackles once Yoko's back inside, but there's some weird miscommunication going on here. And instead, Crush winds up hitting a stinger splash, or I guess a crusher splash, in the corner on the big Yoko. Crush does miss a shoulder car- charge into the opposite corner, and Yoko finally takes over control of the match. Yoko drops Crush throat first across the top rope, but I wrote, that was new. Never seen Yoko do that move before. But then, a very familiar Yokozuna hold, the nerve hold, Steve. We'd see that quite a bit over the next couple of years. Puts Crush in the nerve hold as we head into a commercial break. And back from break, it's more nerve hold, but Crush escapes. Runs right into a Yokozuna thrust kick, however, and back to that nerve hold. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Yokozuna, though, misses the butt avalanche in the corner, but Crush makes the comeback. Standing drop kick by the big Hawaiian, and a clothesline drops Yokozuna to the mat. Crush goes to the top rope with what appears to be a shoulder block for a two count. Crush then back up to the top for a second time, but Mr. Fuji with the flagpole nails Crush, sends him off the top rope, out to the floor. Yokozuna goes outside, slams Crush on the outside, sends him back in for a belly-to-belly suplex, a leg drop, and the bonsai! Yokozuna pins Crush 
in about 12 minutes' time. But wait, there's more. Post-match shenanigans aplenty as Yokozuna drops not just a second bonsai, Steve, but a third bonsai, unheard of third bonsai drop. I think that's what he gave Duggan, right? Three? Is that what it was? Something like that. Out of nowhere, it's Tatanka to the rescue. And Tatanka up on the apron, but no! One chop by Yokozuna. One chop, Steve. Sends the Native American flying off the apron. Well, I'm doing him a little bit more justice than he deserves. He didn't really fly off the apron. He falls off the apron. And he apparently just, that just knocks him out. We don't see Tatanka again for the duration of this segment. Well, until the end of it anyway. And uh, once again, Yokozuna decides he's going to go up for a fourth bonsai drop. I can't believe it. He smashed Crush now four times. With the bonsai drop is job guys, Joey Maggs, Reno Riggins, Phil Apollo all rushing out to help make the save. But no, it seems like the, they, they sent the job guys out after Tatanka. I feel like it should have went the other way right. around, right? You just, the, the, they sent the waves out right, in yeah. a different order, it feels like. But Yoko lays all the job guys out as well. Bobby Heenan on commentary is tremendous here, blaming all of this on Lex Luger. This is all Lex's fault. He has pissed Yokozuna off, and now everyone else will pay for it. Macho Man has finally seen enough, leaves the commentary booth, even though Vince McMahon warned him against doing so. Remember, as a commentator, you signed a contract, you can't get physically involved in the matches, but Macho doesn't care anymore at this point, and he yanks Crush out of the way of a fifth bonsai attempt. So Macho Man finally saves Crush, if that's what you want to call it, although the damage obviously already done, though, as Savage pulls Crush out of harm's way, helps him out of the ring onto the floor, where he and Tatanka, as well as the job guys, and other officials load Crush onto a stretcher. We go into a commercial break and back from break. Crush is being stretchered out, Steve, again. Second time in six months, Crush does a stretcher job. Uh, as the Tatanka, Savage, and the job guys aid the officials in ushering Crush's stretcher to the back. We've seen this before. We have seen this before. I think this one was a little bit more effective, to be honest with you, especially well, yeah. because of the commentary with Heenan. 600-pound guy <laughs> landing yeah. on your chest versus Doink's arm. But, yeah, I get yeah, what you're saying. Arm, he, uh, the commentary, like, obviously, here, yeah. It just, just made it feel more special, and I think it's because Yoko's the champion, and it just builds him up more as a legit badass that you got to be afraid of, like as if a 600-pound dude isn't bad enough. He's out of control as well so it just adds another layer to him it just feels like he's unbeatable at this point and i guess that's what you would look with what they just did for lex luger so you need that unbeatable force for the big good guy to come in and swoop in and win to get over obviously we know where this ends but that's the idea here the only thing i like i get it you sign a contract to be a commentator but macho's working house shows he's doing all this stuff but he can't get involved in this because his He's a commentator. Does this only apply well, to Raw and superstars? Well, this does go, this does go back a, a very, very, very long time. I mean, you can go to Georgia, Roddy Piper. He was Roddy Piper, but when he was with Gordon Soley, he could not get involved. And it goes on down the line, even in the WWF, Pat Patterson and, and whatnot. So this is a gimmick that they've played on for many, many years. I mean... Yes, you can wrestle, but when you're not when you're doing commentary, you're not legally allowed to get involved or you can be fined or suspended because that's not what you're being paid to do. It's like Drew Brees isn't running out there to go help a team while he's on commentary, sorta. Something like that. <laughs> I guess. 
I don't know. Like managers are supposed to manage, but they get involved all the time with no repercussions and, and things like that. It's well, now just, you're talking. It's wrestling. I, I, I get it, but <laughs> I, yeah, it's just I don't know. That kind of bothered me because we've seen him get involved before. Like a couple weeks ago, he pulled Doink out under the ring. Yeah, that, that was Jeanette. that was my thought there, and that's that's the and, hole and in the that's the hole in the plot though. That, that's not that's, you know what I mean. Like that's their fault for doing that for whatever reason. Yeah, so like he got involved with Marty, but they didn't say shit then. But as soon as it's Crush and Yoko, it's like, don't get involved, Macho, don't do it. You're not allowed. It just it, the inconsistencies kind of bother me. That's that is, really that's that is really a, all. Uh, good work. Oh no, this is a excellent angle here. I loved it. I remember this when it happened, um, and it was good. I, I thought it did everything it needed to. So I'll run down my good, bad, and ugly for this match right here. First of all, does Yokozuna wonders? We saw when he lost the belt real quick to Hogan after WrestleMania 9, he was killing those jobbers afterwards to get his keep his heat, get it back, whatever you want to call it. Uh, just landing on him with those bonsai, bonsai drops, splattering them, and here we go again. Now it's because Yokozuna's been slammed. He's coming out here. He's more menacing. He can't be controlled. He's, he's all, like you said, he's already 600 pounds, and now he's, he's unleashed on top of that. So I do love all of that, and it looks even better because he's doing it against a guy the size of Crush, even if Fuji got involved a little bit there. It was still Yokozuna who just was relentless with his finisher. So for Yoko, I think this was great. For Crush, I mean, I know what comes of it, so you could argue that oh, it was for the better. It may have been because his babyface thing is not working out. However, at the same time, it feels like the same story for Crush twice in six months. You don't even see this twice in a guy's entire run, much less within a six-month span. So it's like, couldn't you guys have come up with something? I get it's Yoko, and it's the bonsai, and it's... Basically, the go-to is to put him out on the stretcher. He did it to Duggan. I just felt like, gosh, the same guy twice in six months. This is more against the booking committee or whatever you want to call them at this point. Of It's like, you know what? Let's just do this again. Who cares? Yeah, like who else could it have been? I don't know. I mean, I'm not against Crush. I'm not against writing Crush out here. I just, (laughs) you just did it. It just feels like history repeating itself. Six months later with the same like, guy. Is it because of Crush or just the whole angle of taking somebody out? No, I'm fine with taking them out. That's fine with me. I'm fine with everything Yokozuna it's did. Just, it was, it was just, just doing the same thing with Crush twice. because it was Crush. It's like you're openly admitting that okay, hey, we, I, have, I we, have failed, we have failed this guy. <laughs> and now we have to do the same thing to him well, again. This guy has failed himself. Well, that's, that's even a better point. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's a better way to look at that. So we've seen one yeah. Samoan, Kokina, Yokozuna in the ring. Now it's time for the rest of the tribe. It's Fatu and Samu, the head shrinkers, with Afa in their corner, taking on PJ Walker and Aaron Ferguson. I wrote more Samoans crowd chanting for Afa here. Definitely a smart mark New York crowd from years gone by, applauding Afa and the old wild Samoan history in the area. The Samoans attack, and holy shit, Steve, double backdrop on PJ Walker, and he almost lands right on the top of his head. How he didn't fucking die? It's beyond me. But the match goes on. Samu with a nasty-ass inside-out clothesline from there. If that wasn't enough in the backdrop, just killing poor future Aldo Montoya here. And uh, Vince McMahon has no idea who is who. He's calling P.J. Walker Aaron Ferguson. He's calling Ferguson Walker. So that's, that's, how, that's what Vince thinks of his job, guys, back in the day, or probably to this day. No probably about it. I'm sure he does. Yeah, I don't think he cares. I know Bobby even got in on it too. He's calling them the wrong guys too. Yeah, so. Bobby was just. I feel like Bobby's um, just following in Vince's lead. Yeah, I think so too. But no, he, 
that backdrop was insane and reminiscent of Lee Scott to a degree because they make it look like they're about to die and then somehow they get over. Uh, Lee Scott got over. I don't know. I don't know that. No, I don't mean get over. I mean like, I mean like get over to not land on their head. That's what I meant. I don't feel like I don't feel like Walker rotated here as well as Lee Scott did. Like this was a lot closer to death. I feel like I mean Lee Scott's was sweeter because he he went about forty feet in the air, but but you can tell Lee Scott has taken the bump numerous times, whereas Walker hasn't. No, Lee Scott knew the timing on what he had what what he could do and what he could get away with. PJ, this is probably his first double backdrop by the Samoans, and uh, it didn't go very well for him. No. He looked legit knocked out a little bit there. Yeah, well, you know, this continues. The guys that they do these things to look legitimately knocked out. So it's uh, definitely definitely keeping it realistic <laughs> here are the head shrinkers. Uh, they shill weaken at Bernie's, too, during this uh, match, apparently. And uh, Walker, uh, he hasn't moved in quite a while at this point. The Samoans actually dragged him over to their uh, his corner and forced him to tag Aaron Ferguson in. And while they're shilling Weekend and Bernie's two, they point out Walker's laying on the mat dead, implying that maybe he's Bernie. So I'm not sure if Vince really got that or not, but Bobby Heenan seems to know what he's talking about anyway. You've talked before about if Vince even knows what the hell a Weekend and Bernie's is. And it's death to Ferguson next, as Fatu nails a nasty-looking top rope splash. Samoans, head shrinkers get the win. Three minutes, 22 seconds as the Macho Man also returned during this match, and he says, Crush doesn't look good, brother. And that's pretty much the story for the rest of the show, Macho Man checking in on Crush. Next week, Steve, it's Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels taking on the former champion, Marty Jannetty. Jannetty going to try to get his rematch here in on Monday Night Raw. It worked last time. Again? We'll have to see. Again? Well, he got his... <laughs> well, he's, they're fighting again. Yeah. Next, it's a good match. Let's get it out there again. Yeah, next week on Raw... Yeah, that, that's pretty much what it is. Like, we need another good match. <laughs> just Marty Jannetty out here. To... <laughs> Shawn Michaels feuding with 40 people at yeah. the same time. Yeah, for sure. Do you think they got paid for that Bernie spot? Uh, I don't know the deal they used, they used to have with that shit. I'm not really sure what's going on with that. Well, it wasn't theaters. So I, I know they would push USA shows, but I'm surprised they did an actual movie. Well, we got Burger King Chance of Plenty, and they're, they're not sponsoring them yet. I never understood why they didn't take advantage of that earlier. But True. Yeah, indeed. Show goes on. I know this was your favorite match on the show. It's Tatanka taking on the Brooklyn Brawler. This is what I call an extra extended squash match for Tatanka. The Brawler even gets a long period of heat in with a swinging neckbreaker, some choking with his shirt. Brawler took his shirt off, Steve. Un- unbelievable. Uh, way too much offense just to kill time here on this episode of Raw. Tatanka eventually with the comeback war dance, the papoose to go. Tatanka wins this match unmercifully seven minutes and 12 seconds i wrote that was absolutely unnecessary uh, but commentary was fully focused on savage's friendship with crush so either way i wasn't really interested in this segment i didn't need i didn't need savage to all of a sudden put over like crush is his best friend we've never seen them uh, have any kind of an alliance on tv and then i if if i try to tune that out i'm watching tatanka wrestle for seven minutes yeah um we had the benefit of just kind of scrolling through. <laughs> That's what I did on this one. Uh, like you pointed it out a few weeks ago, how Tataka doesn't need like a three minute squash. Like ever since you told me that, or told the, the world that, like I can't even watch a Tataka match anymore. So you ruined Tataka for me as if he wasn't already ruined. <laughs> no, I th- 
It was brutal. Seven and a half minutes. And I think even Brawler got some uh, heat on this one, which is unbelievable. But my God. Uh, I will say on this match, there was a piece of commentary where Heenan, like you mentioned earlier, was trying to blame Luger. Mm -hmm. And Savage says, don't try and change the heat. This is on Yokozuna. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But uh, that's really the only thing of note that I took. Yeah, this is not anything noteworthy for sure. Like really, the biggest the biggest note is Brawler taking his shirt off. Like that, that's really that's the <laughs> biggest note. Like yeah, he actually, <laughs> it did seem like it was a little hot there because what is it middle? It's like middle of July, so it just seemed a little warm. And because uh, Yoko was gassed, like nothing new there, but it seemed like everybody was sweating a little more. So probably a little hot up in the Manhattan Center with how small that place is. Yeah, I'm not sure probably what floor, shitty air conditioning. I'm not sure what floor the Manhattan Center's on. You see, uh, for those who don't know, that building is structured. There's a bunch of little mini arenas stacked atop of each other. And from what I remember, there's not even really an elevator or anything. At least if there is, there's like one, uh, which explains why Bret Hart goes up the stairs and, and, and all that other stuff that we'll see in future episode, uh, matches here. But they literally had to lug that that damn ring up and down <laughs> those however many flights that was every time they they ran the Manhattan Center unless they were able to keep it in there for portions of time. Uh, I've been in that building. I've been in a couple of the different arenas. One of them was uh, I think maybe like the uh, what was the Hammerstein that ECW used to run. It was either that or, or one, yeah Hammerstein Ballroom or something to that yeah. effect. One of those type of arenas are also there uh, in one of the floors as well. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, they run the Hammerstein. Uh, I think if I can't remember which DVD special it is, or maybe in like the 25th anniversary of Raw, like on that that episode they talked about it. But I think they said there's on like the third or fourth floor, and there's only one elevator, and it's it's an old fashioned elevator, so it's extremely small. So they had to lug the ring up in pieces, and uh, it took forever, and it was a very long day of just getting the ring set up for these shows. Oh, I, I can only imagine. So, I've been in that building, and that's how I kind of came to that, that that conclusion on my own. So, so, and I was like, shit, like, man, uh, they did this shit every other week? Shit. Like, uh, why don't you just pay to have the arena for, like, a month? Nobody else can use it. and Just leave the ring set up. Like, why would you take it down? They had to have more than... A handful that, of rings, man. Right? Those New York prices, though, Steve, especially during 1993, 94, 95, when they were running here off and on. Uh, I don't think Vince is oh, wanting to Jesus. pay those prices, yeah. But we'll, we'll go on, true. But I mean, <clears throat> yeah. like, my god, <laughs> that sucks. No, I agree. The dedication, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, speaking of dedication, there's a lot of dedicated fans waiting outside the Manhattan Center, and they all think <laughs> Lex Luger deserves a title shot against Yokozuna. We'll have to see what happens with that. As the show continues on, Mr. Hughes on his way to the ring with Harvey Whippleman and The Undertaker's urn in hand, taking on Tony DeVito. They claim he's first cousin of Basil DeVito, continuing to have fun with old Basil there. Old Bays, as I call him. <laughs> Only me. Pre-match, a black ring. I don't ring. know who the hell he is, so. <laughs> oh, he's a big-time guy. Been with the company since the early 80s, really. He was the guy that kind of started the whole marketing deal with the, for the WWF and things. So Basil DeVito... Been around a very long time in the company, off and on, uh, well into the 2000s. But, uh, wow. as That's the, cool. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know who they were referring to. Okay. Well, they don't just have fun with Basil here. They have fun with another guy. I don't know if you picked this up, but pre-match, a black wreath is delivered ringside, and this guy makes sure he puts the wreath in front of his face so you can't see him on TV. But I'd recognize that bald spot anywhere. It was good old Jerry Briscoe. Carrying the black wreath to ringside for Mr. Hughes with a big R.I.P. across the front. 
It's as if Giant Gonzalez no longer even exists, Steve. And then on commentary, the announcers begin to have fun with good old Briscoe as they ask, who is that guy? He has a hole in his haircut, says Bobby Eden, making fun of his bald spot. He has a hole in his haircut. Uh, I don't know what's more eerie, the wreath or that guy, says Vince McMahon. So they're having a lot of fun here on commentary with Jerry Briscoe trying to hide his identity as if any WWF fans in the 90s even know who he is. I guess he's just want to be a flower guy, would be my guess here. Right. But back to the action, it's Mr. Hughes with the impressive dropkick and the sidewalk slam gets the win. Two minutes and 14 seconds. Post-match, Hughes sees the wreath, and there's a card attached to Mr. Hughes on the other side from The Undertaker. The message simply reads, rest in peace. And Hughes trying to hold, I, I give him this much credit, he's trying to hold the card long enough for the camera to focus so that the fans at home can read it and see what it says, but the announcers decide to have a little fun with this. Uh, <laughs> Macho Man says, He's not a fast reader. All Vince says, he's not taking speed reading courses. We know that much. So having, having fun with Mr. <laughs> Hughes here. Finally, Hughes destroys the wreath, looks into the camera, and tells the Undertaker, you want me? You come get me. You come and find me, boy. No mention of Giant Gonzalez as if he doesn't exist, like I said, Steve. He's got the urn. We know SummerSlam's coming up, and they're completely 100% focused on Mr. Hughes and the urn. Undertaker sending wreaths to Mr. Hughes. The name Giant Gonzalez doesn't even come up. Thank God for that. Well, no, it's the weirdest booking ever, though. If we're going to just write him out, then fucking write him out. Yeah, it's bad. Put Mr. Hughes in the match at SummerSlam. Of course, we'll see what happens there, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would have been a lot better. (laughs) Maybe. Oh, yeah, anything's better than Taker and Gonzalez. But, yeah, it's just so weird. The fact that. I can see having two angles going at once, you know, they're, they're Harvey's guys. That's fine. But to act like somebody, one of them doesn't even exist at all is a little different. Like, that's just odd. As the show continues, the Macho Man leaves ringside again, Steve, to go check check on his friend. It's friend till the end, uh uh-huh. real close friend and buddy. Crush backstage. So it's time for the SummerSlam report. Jerry Lawler will take on Bret Hart. Plus, Lex Luger has a major announcement coming up this week on Superstars. It's another Men on a Mission vignette before we go back to the ring. Adam Bomb's in the house with Johnny Polo, his manager, taking on Scott Amati. Polo this week, again with the badminton racket and the shuttlecock. But not for long. You won't see Johnny Polo rocking those rackets very much longer, Steve. There's going to be another guy coming in with his own racket. As the match gets going, Adam Bomb with a huge beal sends Amati across the ring. A body slam out on the floor. Back inside, it's the top rope clothesline and then the Adam Smasher. Amati, a really good bumper here. Adam Bomb picks up the win. Two minutes, 39 seconds. And the Macho Man again returns from the back and checking on Crush. So we learn that Crush is he's pretty bad off at this point, Steve. I don't know why he's still here on a stretcher and not in the fucking hospital. But, eh, whatever. Medical facility. Medical. I'm sorry. Um, yes. But yeah. Thanks for the yeah. correction, pal. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know either. I don't know why they um, haven't taken him out, but uh, <laughs> probably waiting for that elevator to get up to the to the floor they needed to be. I guess. Um, right <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Not, end of the show. We're good. I got nothing really else to say. Well, the show's not over yet. <laughs> Vince has handed a note, Steve, and we learned that Jerry Lawler will be on Raw next week with a special King's Court. 
featuring one of the all-time sure. greats, Tiny Tim. I was like, who? Even in 1993. Yeah. Next week, it's the one, two, three kid in action, the raw debut of Men on a Mission, and Shawn Michaels versus Marty Jannetty, the Intercontinental title on the line. And of course, Tiny Tim. What a what a stacked show. Next week on Raw, they really stress throughout this entire episode after the crush incident, the friendship, the close bond. It's almost as if we it's almost like it's the new mega powers. Crush and Randy Savage. They put them over like they're just the greatest friends on earth, even though that's never even been addressed in the past here on the company. Yeah, it's they're just making something up, it feels like. I, I do know <laughs> they are legit friends, and uh, I think I told this story before, but I know Macho went to his funeral and because Bret Hart recognized him and gave him his number and said, stay in contact, and I don't think – I think Bret said Macho never called him back. <laughs> but uh, – uh, Crush was one of those guys that was close with, with Macho, and Macho was uh, good friends with him. So it seems like they're just bringing a uh, personal friendship to camera and using it. It is what it is, but yeah, um, it did come out of nowhere. But I, I, I do feel like they're they're really good friends at that point. Yeah, I have no idea when their friendship uh, started, but it's uh, it's just odd as far as wrestling stories go. Uh, I could see too like you know I think like maybe Macho's seen or has saw what you saw like this is the second time in six months my buddy's getting taken out for whatever reason and uh I'll get him over you know maybe maybe he took it as a challenge to try and get him over as a heel try something different for him. Oh, Macho just wanted uh, any reason to get back in the ring are you kidding me? Well that too but <laughs> I, I think oh, too like you oh. think it worked with his buddy I, I can hear Vince right now God damn it, pal. Nothing's working for this crush guy. I don't know what to do. I got an idea. You're so, not going to quit, are you? How, <laughs> how, how many times do you think Macho Man had an idea <laughs> that involved him getting back in the ring with somebody to get him over? Uh, this would finally work because, Vince, I think they just like, we have nothing left for crush. Hey, how about me, brother? If it'll shut you up and it'll give us something to do with crush, fine, pal. That's what we'll do. Now, somebody go get me a turkey sandwich light on the mustard. And we and don't <laughs> sneeze when you bring it. <laughs> and don't you dare fucking sneeze on my sandwich. Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, my son's looking at me like, what the fuck? He gets it. Anyways, we roll on with WWF Superstars <laughs> July 12th, taped June 15th in Huntington, West Virginia. Vince Lawler and Savage on commentary. We can hear Burger King chants from the blue screen as Lawler uses cotton to block out those fake fans. He puts cotton in his ears, for those who don't know how that works. We go to the ring, another Tatanka squash. Yikes, too close, too much too soon, Tatanka. They talk crush, though, during the entire match, so they're not really focused on Costell, or excuse me, on Tatanka. Uh, they say crush is home in Hawaii recovering. I hope he's not watching this match. We do learn that crush has a collapsed chest cavity. I didn't even know that was a thing. That sounds like another Vince-ism, a collapsed chest cavity. The Papoose to go gets the win here for Tatanka. Two minutes, 42 seconds. Collapsed chest cavity. What'd you feel about that one, Steve, when you heard that one this time, this time around? Yeah, I was with you. What the hell is that? Um, <laughs> Adipose tissue. <laughs> fucking endomorphs and collapsed chest cavities. That's what it's about, pal. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, what's he doing? Looking up a medical dictionary and finding the most god-awful thing we can say Crush has? And, medical uh, facility dictionary. Run, run, let's run it out there. I don't know. That's crazy. I never heard of that either. Is we, it legit? Did you look it up? I didn't look it up. I should have, and I didn't. I will. I will for the <laughs> next episode. 
I don't feel like it right now. We got oh, so much shit. to do, so much to do here, but we'll look it up. We'll definitely be looking it up as we roll on with update. It's Gorilla Monsoon talking all about the body slam heard around the world, the call to action campaign, and something called the Lex Express. It's being called a body slam heard around the world. Folks, how on earth do you follow a great moment like that? Well, Lex Luger has found a way. He's calling it his call to action campaign. He will be touring this great land of ours, this America, this land of the home and the free and the brave, and telling you what's right about America, and at the same time, killing two birds with one stone. He wants you to get behind him. He wants you to support him. He wants you to flood the office of the president, Jack Tunney, with all kinds of phone calls and faxes and telegrams, deeming him to be the number one challenger and get a shot at that coveted WWF title. Since the 4th of July, I understand the president's office has been bombarded. Well, we want more. We want every one of you to get up and pick up that telephone. We want every one of you to write that letter, to send that fax, really get on Jack Tunney's case. I understand that Fuji has come out and said, no way, shape, or form, Lex, are you going to get a shot at the title? Fuji, I got news for you. It's not your decision to make. That decision has to come from President Jack Tunney. And I understand from a very reliable source through the Gorilla Vine, inside that hideous office of the president, that a decision will be made next week on that particular issue. And believe me, folks, Lex Luger is not going to stop in any way, shape, or form. He's going to be touring. He's going to be drumming up support. He's going to be supporting America. And he'll want your support. So stand behind him. And believe me, when Lex Luger makes up his mind to do something, something's going to happen. Well, we all know what he did on July 4th. He chartered his own helicopter just for the opportunity to defend the pride of America. Well, folks, you won't believe what he's done now. He's chartered a bus to get his message across America. It's called the Lex Express. And as you can see, it's painted red, white, and blue from top to bottom. Well, folks, the call to action campaign is about to get underway and to kick it off, where else? The city of brotherly love, the cradle of liberty, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But you can count on it, folks, in the weeks to come. That tour will be going everywhere. And perhaps in a town, maybe your own hometown or somewhere near you, where you'll be able to see the Lex Express and see in person Lex Luger. Remember, the call to action campaign wants you. And Lex Luger definitely wants you, too. Lex Luger wants you, Steve, called the action campaign. So let me get this straight. This motherfucker chartered the helicopter, and he chartered this bus. So he's chartered the helicopter. He's chartered the bus, and we're supposed to believe he wanted that red, white, and blue Chevy Silverado. That's what he should have been rolling around in, Steve, from coast to coast. The damn Chevy Silverado he won on board the USS Intrepid. The Intrepida. God damn it. He can't, he can't even get into board a mansion on wheels you think he's gonna drive around the country in a damn chevy pickup truck <laughs> like That's a rock fuck yeah man <laughs> yeah good luck <laughs> better be careful bob Seger might come after you show goes on i know right <laughs> adam bomb in the ring with johnny polo in the corner taking on rich myers son of george the animal steel johnny polo with a pool cue this week as he talks into the camera talking about his luxurious and manageable hair you know, he, do, he should realize that he has a wrestler in the ring wrestling. Well, unfortunately, uh, Adam Bomb not getting over with the crowd, but he looks phenomenal as they do a close-up as they do every single match with, a, with his eyes, Steve. It's a weird context, the yellow eyes of Adam Bomb. Vince McMahon says he has the most unusual eyes of anyone I've ever seen. Jerry Lawler replies, 
What about Hacksaw Jim Duggan? I got to admit, I chuckled. <laughs> That's a good one. During the match, Adam Bomb slingshot clothesline. Adam Smasher gets the win in two minutes, 43 seconds. It's face-to-face time on the Peacock Mean Gene Talks with Shawn Michaels and Diesel. His upcoming matches with Mr. Perfect. This is where they continue that chomp at the bit joke. If you guys pay attention, Shawn says Mr. Perfect can chomp at the bit if you know what he's talking about anytime he wants. This is not the only promo they do that Mean Gene has a little fun with it at some point here. But let's listen to Shawn Michaels talk about Mr. Perfect. Shawn Michaels joining us this week face-to-face along with his bodyguard, Diesel. Uh, Mr. Michaels, have you had conversation recently with President Tunney? Oh, sure. That dude's always on my hotline. You Uh, know something? What? It's a little warm in here. A little warm? It's a little warm. You want to know why? I don't know. Because the hottest thing in the World Wrestling Federation, the big heater himself, the heartbreak kid, is on the scene. You know, it's got to be pretty tough for you uh, traveling around the country, around the world, like you do with all the intercontinental title defenses you have. You're not... uh, you're not swerving anybody. I know that no, for a fact. No, me, no, I'm not never. that kind of guy. You don't want to know what the hard part is? What is it? The hard part is going in and out of the airports, into the hotels. All the chicks are all over me. I am to wrestling what Elvis Presley was to rock and roll. Oh, come on. Oh. I grew up in that, that uh, era. Sure you did. He was, I mean, the biggest thing since... Shawn Michaels. Hey, Shawn Michaels, speaking of your bodyguard, Diesel... Uh, back there. Just exactly what role does he play in your intercontinental title offenses? Well, he's there to watch my... Uh, yeah, better he, yet, I'll let Diesel tell you. Well, I mean, he can't... Shut up! A, Shut up and listen to the band. It's simple. Hey, I see more chicks around Shawn Michaels than you'd see down at Fort Lauderdale during spring break. I'm here to watch my man's back. When anybody in the ring, any of the wrestlers in the World Wrestling Federation think they're gonna get a cheap shot of my man, they're gonna run into the Diesel... And become a roadkill. Simple as that. So turn up your Whisper 2000 and listen. <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you what, you got a pretty good assignment there uh, watching the gals and maybe an occasional opponent for Shawn Michaels. Isn't this great? This is the best thing ever. You know something, Gene? I get the feeling I could be the Intercontinental Champ for a long, long time. Hey, there's somebody that disputes that, and I talked to him recently. Mr. Perfect thinks he can three-peat. He could be the Intercontinental Champion for a third time. There's so much talk about Mr. Perfect, but you know something? We don't ever see him around. What do you mean you don't ever see him around? Well, you know, I think Mr. Perfect is a thing of the past. Oh, he is banging on your door constantly. He's not banging on my door. He is chomping at the bit. He wants a shot at you. Oh, he can chomp at the bit all he wants. He can chomp all the way to Jack Tunney for all I care. He's not going to get the Intercontinental title. The kid is on top for good. Thanks, guys. Shawn Michaels, reigning intercontinental champion, right here in the World Wrestling Federation. Chomping at the bit, Steve, as Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels continue to work the house show circuit with each other. And, of course, they'll end up competing at SummerSlam as well. But we'll continue on. Another face-to-face. This one, you guys remember just a little bit ago, I played you a Superstars uh, face-to-face where we heard Savage and Lawler doing a bit, not no pun intended, doing a bit, for Madison Square Garden coming up August 13th, it's Savage versus the King at the Garden, but they were doing the promo instead of on face-to-face. They were doing it with Vince McMahon in the Superstars studio, and it looked really cool. And uh, that continues again here this week. Let's take a listen. Standing by with a couple of interesting guests back at the arena, let's go to Vince McMahon. Thank you very much, B.G. Oakland, and yes, I am between the King Jerry Lawler and the Macho Man Randy Savage. I'd like to bring something to your attention. In the hallowed halls of Madison Square Garden, there's a room, a very special room. House in that room, inductees, 
of the Madison Square Garden Hall of Fame. Now I'd like to bring to <laughs> your attention something else. That you are facing an individual who is destined, in my view, to be a future WWF Hall of Famer, hey. the Macho Man Randy Savage. What a joke. Let me tell you something. You know what you're doing? You're living in the past. You're talking about a bunch of has-beens, and in your case, you're talking about a never-was. I'm going to do you a favor this time in Madison Square Garden on those hallowed walls. I'm going to let you meet some of your imbecilic idiot fans out there up close and personal. You know what I mean by that? Last time I was there, I took that Tito Santana, and I beat him all over Madison Square Garden. Well, I'm going to do the same thing to you, macho man. I'm going to drag you out of that ring. I'm going to beat you all the way up into the cheap seats. And listen, each and every one of you idiots, as I beat Randy Savage right past you, you better get down on your hands and knees and kiss my feet like you will do when that match is over. You touch me. Hey, wait, wait, wait. We just have that, please. All right, macho man. Yeah, touch me. Let me tell you something. We're going to have a garden party. Muller, if you didn't have any bad luck, you wouldn't have any luck at all. Friday the 13th is your last day in the squared circle. Don't make any future long-range plans. Right. Don't buy any ripe bananas, brother, because you're not going to be around at all. We're having a garden party, rocking and really we're going to be dancing on the ceiling. MSG, I can't wait to get back to the garden. Yeah. We don't have to wait. You feel free to do. jump right now. Hey, Come I'm on. doing this like for Bret Hart. I'm doing it for Come on, Will you please call yourself a king? Come on. All right, and what I loved about that one, Steve, uh, the Savage tells Jerry Lawler, don't buy any ripe bananas, uh-huh. uh Basically telling Lawler he's not going to live past their match at Madison Square Garden. And it being on Friday the 13th at Madison Square Garden, I wrote, where's Virgil? That's his birthday, Friday the 13th, right? 13th of any month, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> hey, Virge. Uh, good shit. Good shit. You missed your calling, Virge. Yeah. As we roll on, there's one more face-to-face, guys. This one from Anaheim, thanks to Howie D. Hi, Howie. This time, it's a six-man elimination promo on face-to-face. We're going to hear from both sides, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, and Bam Bam Bigelow, along with his main squeeze, Luna. And on the other side, it's Marty Jannetty, Tatanka, and Mr. Perfect. They talk about their six-man elimination match. And there's a six-man elimination on the 21st of August down in Anaheim. We've got a whole lot of folks standing by this week. Joining us, our Intercontinental Champion, Shawn Michaels, his bodyguard, Diesel, their partner, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Bam Bam's girlfriend. Yo! Uh, uh, my main squeeze! Yo, Get it right! Your that's only it. squeeze, Bigelow. And also on the other side, you have Marty Jannetty, Tatanka, and a very unhappy Mr. Perfect. Well, of course I'm unhappy, Mean Gene. Everybody saw I had Shawn Michaels up in the Perfect Plex when Diesel dragged him out of the ring, and then we come back in, Diesel grabs my legs, and Shawn Michaels gets a one, two, three. Well, my good friend Tatanka comes down to tell the referee what really happened. Piccolo has to hit the ring and hit him from behind. Well, now you got everybody involved, and now you got a six-man tag, and it's going to be a crazy night. That's yeah. right, Bigelow. That's the second time. This time you're going to be looking at us. One, two, three. You're going to be eliminated. Shawn Michaels, your big boy Diesel is going down next. You're going to be left alone for us three. Hey, let me say something. We left you two laying. You had Giannetti. What you got there in your hand, Giannetti? Your will? <laughs> <laughs> oh, real funny. You know something? I don't want to make my team think that we got a great chance. Well, your, team. We do. Your team? Oh, your team? Oh, your team? Is it Bigelow's team? 
All you guys have tried to take this from me, and look where it's at. Still around the waist of the heartbreak kid. Bammer, what perfect looked like when we had him stretched out last time? I don't know. He talked about my main squeeze. The only thing I seen was his gut squeezed out of him when I landed on top of him off the top rope. Oh, Anaheim Arena is going to be set ablaze. Six-man elimination. We can't decide who we're going to knock out first, but it's going to be three-on-one, and we're going to put you out for That's good. That's right, Michaels. In the three-on-one, what if it comes down to these three right here, and you left? Alone. What do you think we're going to do Gentlemen, I hate to cut you short. It sounds to me like we've got a Pier 6 ball on our hands down in Anaheim at the arena, Saturday night, August 21st. You know, and it is funny, all three of these guys have feuded with Shawn Michaels within the last year. It's Marty Jannetty, Tatanka, and in the last few months, really, Marty Jannetty, Tatanka, and Mr. Perfect all on one side. Shawn Michaels on the... Now, Tatanka's also feuding with Bigelow. But it's funny that all three of these guys have had issues with Shawn Michaels in recent months. This this HBK is all over the fucking place. Yeah, he's enjoying himself for sure. Um, this is right up his alley. This is a good promo. It's called the Three Little Pigs. That was good shit. So uh, solid stuff here. Uh, you know, that's another thing I wanted to touch on, too. They, uh, Tatanka thought he was cute, sitting there calling uh, Bam Bam Pigolo repeatedly. And Hennig does it, too. And they do it throughout some of these other Anaheim promos I have. I think uh, you guys will notice if you ever listen to any of these six. I don't know if I have any queued up, but they, the same match is taking place at Madison Square Garden. So some of these promos are also cut for New York. Now, obviously, they're different promos. This was related specifically to Anaheim. But the key factor I'm trying to point out here, that what I'm trying to get to is the New York market. There's no Pigolo. There's no, so I'm not even going to make some of the other references that we're going to pick up here before this episode's over that they do in Anaheim. You know, my theory on this is, they're afraid Vince might accidentally stumble across the New York market uh, promos. So they, they, they cut those proper. And then when we get to Anaheim here, it's Pigolo. And later on, you're going to hear Sean call Marty Jannetty, Lord Littlebrook, and all these other things that they just have fun, <laughs> fun with each other back and forth on these here in Anaheim. It's like, Vince isn't watching the Anaheim localized promos. So fuck it. We're going to have fun with these. All right, gentlemen, let's be serious. The next one's the garden. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, right. it's, I, I think it's kind of funny. Surprise, Vin, uh, surprise, Gene can get him back under control. But you know, if the boss is going to catch it. You might, you got to be careful. So, um, and that makes sense. That's probably a good, good explanation. As people might so much different. People might have asked, what were they talking about? Were they referencing? Did Marty Janay have a will in his hand? Uh, actually, if you guys actually could see the video, it's and I'm, I hope to post it on YouTube. Marty Janay is holding a rolled up piece of paper, which they never explain what the fuck it is. I kept waiting for him to get to it. I thought maybe he was going to surprise Sean by announcing I got, I got a return match on Raw. It, they just never addressed it. It's never, it's, I have no idea what this piece of paper was. Diesel probably was like, hey, man, I got a great line. Can you hold a piece of paper for me? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> so Marty, Marty was it. probably so high, he p- forgot to put these, the, the paper down where he was reading the cities or some shit. <laughs> He's just like sitting there holding it. Oh, shit, I still probably. got it in my hand. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we'll continue on with the show. It's. Back to the ring, WWF Tag Team Champion, the Steiner Brothers taking on Money Incorporated. Good little wrestling bout here to start things from Scott Steiner and IRS. IRS even busts out an Insigiri. DiBiase in, but he eats a Scott Steiner dropkick, and it's tag time to Rick Steiner. Woof, woof, woof goes the crowd as Steiner comes in and grabs a headlock spot, but it was actually fun when Rick Steiner does it. Rick Steiner even nails DiBiase with a belly-to-belly suplex going into commercial break. Back from break, the Steiners work the arm of DiBiase. Vince openly admits DiBiase has a bad neck on commentary. I thought that was interesting. IRS 
is back in, but he bails quickly as Scott brings him back in by the tie and does the old macho man. Scotty runs across the ring, jumps over the top rope, and snaps IRS throat first across the top rope. But DiBiase distracts to prevent Scotty from getting the pin there on IRS. DiBiase winds up tripping Scott from the outside, and Money Inc. finally take over on the offense. Scott sent into the steel steps. Money Incorporated in control. We see several false hope spots for Scott. But to no avail, Inc., uh, Money Inc. continue to dominate into a second commercial break in this match. And back from break, it's Money Incorporated still on the offense. Scott Steiner tries a sunset flip on IRS, but Ted DiBiase causes a distraction with Rick Steiner luring him in. And a lot of smart heel work here, even if it's just a bunch of chinlock shit here for Money Inc. Still doing some good heel tag team moves, if you want to call it that, as far as luring Rick in, playing with the referee, working behind the ref's back. So. Even though it's a lot of chinlock mania for Money, Inc., it's still pretty good storytelling based, based on uh, if you appreciate that kind of thing anyway. IRS and Scott Steiner in the ring, they collide, and Scott finally gets the hot tag out to brother Rick. Ted DiBiase also tags in, and it's Steiner lines for both Money Incorporated as somehow Scott Steiner is rejuvenated within a matter of seconds. Isn't it amazing how that always happens, Steve? Four-way melee on our hands. DiBiase tries the pile driver on Rick Steiner. But Scott Steiner off the middle rope with a flying, I don't know what the hell it was, so let's call it an axe handle, on DiBiase. I wrote, they love this spot. This was a finish in the two-out-three fall six-man tag several weeks ago on All-American. This was also the spot they used to win the titles. The, the first Monday night title win the Steiners got, this was the finish of that match. As we continue on, Buzz Sawyer power slam by Rick Steiner on DiBiase, and the Steiners sent IRS to the floor. This looked very familiar too, Steve. Frankensteiner on DiBiase. This entire finish was used on the watch-along we did for the European tour. But the referee is with Rick Steiner as Scotty Steiner nails the Frankensteiner on DiBiase. IRS in with the briefcase, and they get the pin. Money Incorporated, the new WWF Tag Team Champions. Again, a fourth tag team title change in as many days. Jesus, what the hell is going on here? We've seen both of these finishes. In fact, one of these was the finish to the Steiner's first title win, and the second finish was the finish to Money Incorporated regaining the titles from the Steiner's. So anybody who were at those shows are really going right now, what the fuck? I saw this live. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they're repeating themselves, but it is what it is as we go on. And referee Joey Morella out to tell the active officiating referee Earl Hebner what happened. I wrote, Why? And you, you've brought up this point before. You're not a fan of this because they don't do it consistently. It's not consistent. Sometimes referees come out and reverse decisions, and sometimes they don't. And I wrote, why? So uh, good point there, Steve, even though you didn't make it this time. You've made it in the past, and that's what made me really think about it here. Earl Hebner wastes no time listening to Joey Morella, and he shows money incorporated the title belts. I love this, though. Uh, Hebner sticks the belts in IRS's face and then yanks them away because he has reversed the decision. By word of Joey Morella alone, Earl Hebner gives the Steiners back the belts. They win the match on a DQ. Not exactly a fan of the finish here. The match goes something like 13, 14 minutes, which is huge for TV. Yeah, I don't like the finish either. I, I mean, if you're done with the feud and the back and forth is done, it, just let the Steiners win decisively let them get that solid win under their belt as champions so they're believable and established uh, there's no need for this nonsense um i do i don't like the the ref coming out it just bugs the shit out of me because it doesn't happen every single time somebody cheats so why do it in a title match um it makes no sense 
all in all, it was a solid match. I think we talked about it offline that these guys could have a good match. It's not like five star classic every single time, but it's it's always solid wrestling action. It's old school tag team wrestling. Get the heat, go to the finish and false finishes and all that stuff. And it, it's just solid, entertaining wrestling uh, between these four because they have so much experience together. So this wasn't bad. It's just I don't like the finish. Yeah, not not exactly the biggest fan of the finish myself either. But the Steiners still retained the belt, so I was thankful for that back in the day. As we head on to SummerSlam report, in the SummerSlam, I said in the SummerSlam, Steve, it's Bret Hart taking on Jerry the King Lawler. We also learned that The Undertaker will now wrestle the Giant Gonzalez in a RIP match, which is kind of interesting considering we haven't seen or heard tell of the Giant Gonzalez since he disappeared in the middle of the attack from Mr. Hughes on The Undertaker prior to the King of the Ring and we go back to ringside, it's Bonnie Blackstone wearing an old curtain with a turtleneck attached, apparently, as she interviews Money Incorporated in the ring. DiBiase and IRS are hot at the finish of the tag team match. Let's hear what they have to say. Obviously, we're here with some All very right, disgruntled Money Incorporated members. Bonnie Blackstone! How observant of you! You had your chance! Let me tell you something. We were robbed of the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team titles to begin with. The Steiners whined and they cried. They cried and they whined until we gave them their shot. And they stole them the first time out. Now, right here in front of you and all you people at home, we were robbed again. The referee goes, one, two, three, it's over. But you used a briefcase. How observant again. Yes, we reduce the briefcase. And lucky for everybody here as well as those watching at home, another official was watching in the back and saw the incident. That's really convenient how the other official is back there watching our match. I think this is very unfair. And Steiners, you're going to learn one thing. Nobody, I mean nobody, steals from Money Incorporated. You're going to pay. Where else in sports does an official who's not involved in the match come out and reverse the decision? It doesn't happen. It won't happen to Hulk Hogan. It won't happen to Bret Hart. It won't happen to anybody else because, frankly, Jack Tunney, you don't like us. You don't like how much money we have and how much money our power, our power of our money yields. Steiners, if you're the champions that you think you are, if you're the wrestlers that you think you are, you accept our challenge in front of you, Bonnie, in front of all these people and all you people at home. Put them up again right here next week. Put up or shut up. We'll be here. They better. The challenge has been thrown to the Steiner Brothers. We'll hear from them later on. So there it was, DiBiase, really irate. They want a rematch. They feel like they were robbed here in this match, and they kind of were, really, if you think about it, against the, uh, yes, they cheated to win, but still, Joey Morello, I, I love DiBiase's point here that in no other sport do things get overturned by another official coming out and just telling the other referee what to do. Uh, good point there by DiBiase, and I do feel like they deserve another match. Yeah, I agree with him, too. I mean, you need to bring in instant. If you're going to do instant replay, you need to do it all the time and not just whenever you feel like it. So it kind of just goes back to the, the ref stuff. I mean, just stupid. But it's wrestling. That, that explains away everything, right? I guess that's what they, that's what they uh, tell me anyway. As the show goes on, it's Mr. Hughes in the ring with Harvey Whippleman and the urn taking on Sonny Rogers as another wreath is delivered ringside here. It's the sidewalk slam. Hughes picks up the win, one minute, 44 seconds. 
destroys another wreath, and then mocks the Undertaker, holds the urn up in the air like Paul Bearer would do. Uh, he does not fear the Undertaker, says the commentators. So it looks like Mr. Hughes just has no fear. If, he's not, if he doesn't fear the Undertaker, he doesn't fear anyone. That's right. He doesn't. That's what you need out of, a, out of that position. You need someone that's not as fearless and doesn't back down to the Undertaker. So decent way of pushing him and getting him over. Face to face time again before we close out superstars on the Peacock. Bret Hart talks about being king of the ring and his match versus Jerry Lawler. In the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. We also hear from Harvey Whippleman, who talks about some upcoming matches, Undertaker and Giant Gonzalez, and more. Hey, Harvey Whippleman. What? Is that, is that a clip-on necktie you've got? No, it ain't, you know. Look at your ugly face. I've seen better heads on flat beer. Let's talk about SummerSlam. Your man, the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez, finally is going to have to face the wrath of The Undertaker. I don't envy him at all. I think you've got it backwards. The Undertaker is finally going to have to face the wrath of the giant Gonzalez. Undertaker made a big mistake when he signed for another match. But see, now that he hasn't got Paul Bear to do his business decisions for him anymore, he's got to use his own little pea brain. And he decided he wanted to face a man that stands eight feet tall, weighs 463 pounds, he doesn't even have his urn at ringside to inspire him anymore. He don't have his manager, Gomez. Where Adams, is there the ringside. giant, by the way? Hey, that's for me to know and you to find out, Gene Oakland. If the giant wanted to be here and look at your ugly face, he'd have been here. But he told me himself he's seen better faces on iodine bottles, and he'd rather just stay away, Oakland. You know, I've got one final question. Harvey, is that uh, one of those new Windsor knots? I don't even have an old Windsor knot. <laughs> I, if I were you, I'd burn the tie. I really would. Stay tuned, we're going to be back with more after this. Where would we be without Mean Gene having fun with Harvey Whippleman? Is, is that one of those new Windsor knots? I don't even have an old Windsor knot. Harvey is really good with the quick comebacks. i got to give him that much. Yeah, he is. He's on his toes, and that's what you need when you got somebody like Gene. They're both kind of really quick-witted and funny like that. So uh, he'll catch you off guard if you ain't paying attention. Yeah, Harvey, his his downfall was he just wasn't made for WWF television. He didn't have that look, if you know what I mean. Uh, he was taken seriously down in, in Memphis at times with uh, with his heel managerial work and great promo skills, even as a young guy when he first came in. I mean, he weighed about 100 pounds soaking wet, literally looked like. Uh, but yeah, Harvey, as downtown Bruno, Bruno Memphis, uh, some really great promos on Memphis TV down there. Up here, if you give him a chance... He can shine, and I thought he did a good job here. Also, in the New York market at this point, it was a Brett Yokozuna steel cage match promo, upcoming Madison Square Garden show. In closing here on Superstars, we get a promo from the Steiner brothers who accept Money Incorporated's challenge for a rematch next week right here on TV. Scott Steiner calls it Money Inc.'s final chance. We'll have to see about that. Also next week, Vince says there'll be new superstars debuting, and we'll hear Jack Tunney's decision on if Lex Luger will be granted a WWF title shot with Yokozuna, we roll on to WWF Spotlight, Steve. For July 17th, Gorilla has replaced Terry Taylor, and it's a face-to-face. -face. This is a good one. First, we hear from Marty Jannetty, but then it's Adam Baum and Johnny Polo. And joining us this week is none other than Marty Jannetty. And Marty, up, coming team? up here, you're going to be facing Mr. Hughes. In my estimation, this is going to be a very pivotal match for you. 
That's right, Gene. Right now I'm just chilling. But here shortly I gotta crank it up and get ready for the big man, Mr. Hughes, trying to make big waves in the World Wrestling Federation. And you know something, Gene? Being a former Intercontinental Champion, every big man, everybody in the WWF is looking to use me as a stepping stone. After I get through with Mr. Hughes, I got them doinks all over me. After that, I got this Adam Bum and Johnny Solo waiting in the wings. I got so many things to take care of, but I'm going to rock and roll, strut and stroll, slam and jam, and take care of business like I always do, Gene. And don't forget, you'd always like to get your hands back on that Intercontinental title well, you and your know former partner, Gene? yes, Sean Michaels. That's right. Sean has figured out that he can't beat me one-on-one, -on -one, so now he's got his insurance policy. Well, let me tell you something, Sean Michaels. Just like I beat you before, I'll figure out some kind of way to counter this big man that you got in your corner, and I'll come back and get that title from you. I thank you. The right kind of attitude thank to have in the World Wrestling Federation, Marty Jannetty. You know, he mentioned the name, a uh, relative newcomer to the ranks of the World Wrestling Federation. A gentleman who is joining us this week uh, by the name of Adam Baum is standing by Listen up, with his Q manager, Ball. Johnny Polo, in the right. house with Adam Baum, the most destructive force in the World Wrestling Federation. And when he puts the Adam Smasher on opponents, they'll be standing in line waiting for their personal help of Prozac. Mr. Polo, can you uh, can you have him take those uh, welding glasses off so we can take a look at uh, and maybe perhaps hear something from Adam Baum? I don't think he wants to take the glasses off. But he may want to say something, Mean Gene. Uh, yeah, Mr. Bomb? Just feel the wrath of total destruction. You know, enough uh, said, Gene. Enough said. I don't think there's enough said. You talk about some of the great ones here in the World Wrestling Federation. Marty Jannetty was very quick to drop the name of Adam Marty Bomb. Marty Confetti, he's a buffoon. He's a goof. He's a long-haired freak show. I don't even want to talk about him. Talk about somebody important, Gene. What about the macho man, Randy Savage? I mean, there's Who? tons of great... Ooh. Great top. Macho Man Randy Savage. Never heard of him. Next. You want me to keep going? Keep going, Mean okay. Gene. Keep going. Well, I mean, I could keep going all day long, that all night long. That'll time. Let me tell you, it ain't going to matter. Johnny Paul is here with Adam Bomb. Adam Bomb will run through anyone and anybody in the WWF, so you bring him on, and he'll Adam smash him away. I thank you very much. Adam Bomb, a very colorful individual, his outspoken manager, gentleman by the name of Johnny Polo. Guy can't be too bright carrying around a putter like that. Stay tuned. We're going to be back after this. Johnny Polo uh, now getting promos here with Mean Gene. Uh, sometimes uh, they're pretty damn good stuff between the two, the, the back and forth between Johnny Polo and Mean Gene there. Adam Baum just seems so generic at this point. Uh, they, they, they ask him to speak, and all he says is, feel the wrath of total destruction. That's all we get out of Adam Baum. Uh, I, I, also, I also liked uh, Mean Gene obviously, obviously mentioning Macho Man there. Who? Never heard of him. Next. It's <laughs> good stuff from Johnny Polo. Right. <laughs> yeah, Polo is definitely the star here. Adam Bomb's bland and boring in the ring and in uh, in the promos, so not not much to sink your teeth into there. Yeah, they talk about all the different facets you need. You need the look, you need the promo, and you need the uh, in-ring ability. And Adam Bomb has ability, he just doesn't know how to use it. Uh, he certainly can't cut a promo, but he does have the look, so he checks one box out of three anyway. <laughs> It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down, from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, 
exclusively as part of the WrestleCopia brand, available on WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. We go on with the show. It's WWF Mania for July 17th. It's Todd Pettengill and the Macho Man. They discuss the Yoko and Crush situation. Savage wishes he would have stopped the Monzai drop attack earlier, much sooner than he actually did. He tells Jack Tunney to go ahead and find him. He says Crush is his good buddy. Uh, again, they reiterate that Crush has a collapsed chest cavity. So that's a thing, at least here in WWF world. Also, Macho Man does us a favor on this episode of Mania, Steve. I loved it. For anybody who who's seen Mania, you know the Mania room, the, the room where they shoot Mania in with all the editing and things going on. It's Macho Man. They, Todd Pettengill throws to a Bastion Booger match, and they cut back to the Macho Man fast-forwarding the match. So we actually watch Macho Man fast-forwarding the match instead of watching the match. So that's what they think of Bastion Booger. Uh, that, I guess, was our exclusive this week on Mania. That's great. That's <laughs> always... Completely bury the guy on yeah, there. Just bury you him know, any uh, which way you can. Said, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you said uh, Adam Baum checked one of the three boxes. You know, that's like 33%. So if he was playing, you know, baseball, batting 330, that's pretty damn good, right? Not too bad, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, baseball Not players don't, don't have to cut promos. <laughs> Although it would help. Exactly. Yeah. It would, yeah. <laughs> we roll on. WWF Wrestling Challenge for July 18th, tapes uh, June 14th, Columbus, Ohio. Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on the call. Conclusion of the Smoking Guns and Tatanka versus Bigelow and Head Shrinker six-man tag. We saw 14 minutes of this match last week on Challenge Steve. What a doozy it was. We saw the hot tag to Billy. Will we pick up here with the hot tag to Billy? Billy comes in running wild on everyone. The guns send Samu over the buckle and headfirst into the ring post. Boy, he loved that spot. But Fatu from behind and a thrust kick to Billy Gunn. And maybe, maybe we get another minute of action here. So we watched the first 14 minutes last week to see what would happen this week. And a minute later, Billy Gunn does the job to Fatu. So the heels, Bigelow and the head shrinkers pick up the win here. So really just the first minute of the episode of Challenge, really just to, to get you to bite and stay along for the ride. And we see the new Wrestling Challenge intro video as we go straight to a special report in Alfred Hayes. Alfred Hayes talks about the body slam heard around the world and the Lex Express only a little more proper than Gorilla Monsoon. Hello, everyone. This week's special report is brought to you by WWF Ice Cream Bars. They are simply delightful. You will find them in fine food stores everywhere. The 4th of July, 1993, marked a day of liberty and celebration in the historical calendar of America. It also marked the memorable moment of Lex Luger's astonishing achievement on board the USS Intrepid when he slammed the mighty 568-pound WWF champion Yokozuna. This incredible feat, where all others had failed, is being acclaimed as the body slam heard all around the world. Now, with his flair for patriotism, the proud Lex Luger will be embarking on an extensive tour of America in a call-to-action campaign. In following the footsteps of many great U.S. presidents, Lex will be reminding us that the USA is still the greatest country in the world, and he invites you 
to join him in spreading the good word across the land of the free and the home of the brave. While Lex is on the road, give him your support for his official nomination as the number one contender for the WWF title. So far, Mr. Fuji has refused all of Luger's requests for a title match against Yokozuna. On the other hand, Lex has been in daily contact with the WWF president, Jack Tunney, asking for a crack at the title. In fact, thousands of fans have called Tunney's office since July the 4th appealing for a Luger versus Yokozuna championship contest. Although there have been no statements from the president, Reliable sources have made it known that Jack Tunney will make an official decision on this matter sometime next week. In the meantime, Lex is determined to persist in his unflagging efforts to secure a title shot, no matter how long it may take. On July the 4th, Lex Luger chartered a helicopter and chose the opportune moment to humble the mighty Yokozuna and defend America's pride. Now with yet another patriotic mission in sight, he has chartered a bus to get his message across America. It's appropriately named the Lex Express. And as you can see, it's decorated from stem to stern in red, white and blue. Lex will begin his exciting cross-country call-to-action campaign from America's Cradle of Liberty in Philadelphia. Now stay tuned in the weeks to come for more information on tour dates as the Lex Express and the Call to Action campaign comes to your city or neighborhood. Remember, Lex Luger and the Call to Action campaign wants you. All right, and that was Alfred Hayes' version of the Slam Heard Round the World. You got to love it. I, I put down in my notes here somewhere. I'll say it right now. I felt like Alfred does a better job explaining this than Jack Tunney does coming up. Alfred should be should have been the next president of the WWF. What a great job. He would have made everything sound really regal and, and official. Yeah, that would have been excellent. I, I like this Hill persona he's running with, and uh, I feel like they could have done, you know, they could have done a little bit with that. Yeah, Alfred, no, to. Yeah, no stranger to being a heel. He was a heel wrestler. He was a heel uh, manager. Uh, and he's even done heel commentary. We've seen with Sean Mooney over time on Coliseum Video or random matches on primetime. Whenever he feels like being a heel, He'll he'll stick up for the the heel in the in the matches those exclusives on the old uh, coliseums and like I said random ma- exclusive matches on TV. But Alfred Hayes here has been uh, I think nobody's really paying attention to the challenge show, so Alfred's sneaking in his own agenda I think a little bit here on these recent editions of Challenge. Doink in the ring taking on a fellow by the name of Ken Hamilton. As Doink comes to the ring, he holds up one finger and then two fingers. And then one doink becomes two as we get blurry vision on the screen. I almost felt drunk there for a second. I thought that was really cool. But then two become one. I feel like a Spice Girl. Ooh, what a reference there. Two become one as doink goes back to just one single doink. I wrote awesome shit as the match gets going. Release German. Well, kind of a release German on Hamilton's head is doink. Doink then rides him on the mat, stretching Hamilton all around before the whoopee cushion, flying butt drop off the top rope, gets the win 2 minutes, 43 seconds. I wrote, WCW just wasted so much time with Big Josh. Look what they had here. And I don't mean he had to be a clown. I just mean, give this guy a mic, give this guy a a character, make him a heel. They they had money in their hands, and just like any WCW story you hear, they blew it. They really did. Um, Any sort of character 
would have worked other than what he did. And the, we've talked about this before too, but hell, he kind of made Big Josh work with the log roll move and sure. the the butt drop and, and things like that. So he, he adapted to that gimmick and made it believable to a degree. I mean, I don't know how far you're going to get with something like Big Josh, but shit, I was believing that he was into it, which is all you can ask for. If you're giving shit and you turn it into chicken salad, you know, it's uh, chicken shit to chicken salad. I mean, that's that's what all you can ask for, and he did it with pretty much every gimmick he was given. So um, he's a hell of a talent. It's just demons, man. Demons. Yeah, and uh, well, we'll we'll create a new thing here. We, we have the old... Uh... <laughs> The old Orton curve, right? So let's have the doink scale. So now, on a now, now we're gonna look at all these gimmicks and see how well they work. And on a scale of one to doink, we're gonna call not ten, one to doink. I would give Big Josh a one or a two, maybe not be not based on Matt Bourne, but based on the character they gave him to get over. There was nothing. There was not a whole lot to it. And this doink, man, holy shit, so awesome here. And he plays again with the video screen walls. He walks to the back, makes everything count takes advantage of every second of screen time he's given as he looks up at the Videotron wall, and he has some fun with that. Fucking tremendous stuff as we see him hit the flying whoopee cushion again, only he freezes in midair. The screen freezes in, as Doink is in midair, to which Bobby Heenan asks the question, Steve. How does he stop in midair? That's what, that's what astounds me. More illusions as Doink somehow <laughs> managed to stop in midair, Bobby Heenan having some fun there. As we go to face-to-face in Madison Square Garden, it's the upcoming six-man elimination match, the Garden version here. Let's take a listen. We've got a lot of folks joining us this week face-to-face. On one side of the coin, Mr. Perfect Tatanka and their partner, Marty Jannetty, their opponents, Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels, along with Diesel, Bam Bam Bigelow, and Bam Bam's uh, girlfriend or arm piece. What? Main squeeze. Main squeeze, uh, yes, Luna Vachon. Gentlemen, in a six-man elimination, once you're out, you're gone, as you know. That's right. You know something? I don't want to give my team, you know, any uh, thoughts that we're going to have an easy time. But I got news for you. All three of those guys have tried to take my Intercontinental title. <laughs> and look where it's at. You know, I'd like to say something. The last time I saw a trio that formidable, I think Rob, Chip, and Ernie were on prime time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the three stooges. Look, take a look at yourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could call us the good... The bad and the perfect. Because <laughs> when we're done with you, perfect, you might be the first one to go. And then to Tonka, when I get my hands on yeah, you, bam, bam, you Bigelow. are going down in flames. Bam, bam, Bigelow, you're going to be the first one to be eliminated. We have no love lost. And as far as you, Shawn Michaels, I have beat you once, twice, three times. You'll be the second person you eliminated. Like you just like beat Shawn like Hey, hey, hey. Oh, yeah, one at a time. We've got a pretty good group on you know, hand here. Party Jenny. Elimination means when you get beat, you take off and you leave. You'll get come down two to one, three to one, and maybe the third. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll Garden August 13th. All right, and so we heard the very proper version of the upcoming six-man elimination match headed to the Garden. Now let's listen to what these guys talk about when they come to Anaheim for the same exact match. Joining us now, all six of these men, Bam Bam, of course, accompanied by his main squeeze, Luna Vachon. This match, Mr. Perfect, is a result of what happened last time at the yeah, Anaheim Yeah, well, League. let me explain what happened last time. When I had uh, Mr. Good-looking over there with the sunglasses, Shawn Michaels in the Perfect Plex, Diesel drags him out of the ring. They end up grabbing a double-teaming me. 
and then Bam Bam comes down to the ring, interferes, knocks Tatanka out from behind. Can't you guys face anybody face to face? Now we got you in a six man. We're gonna see exactly what you three stooges Sounds are made like of. Sounds like live, perfect live. That's, That's right, right, Bigelow. This is the second time you attack me from behind. This time you're gonna be standing one, two, and three. We're gonna eliminate you. Then it's Diesel, Michaels. It's three on one. Prepare the second yourself. time you fell for it, you sucker. <laughs> I got news for you. Perfect, Jeanette and Tatanka. I've faced y'all, and not one of you has been able to knock me off the top. What are you gonna do when the beast from the east? And the hey, big boy, man, Diesel, comes rolling through you. And one day and beat you. We're going to be prepared <laughs> Listen, you guys time. remind me of the three little pigs. We're just going to come in, huff and puff, and just blow all three And you want to talk about pigs, huh? Pigolo. Oh, uh, what's well, perfect? How'd you feel the last time we had you all stretched out oh. and the big band, bam, bam, dropped that head right in the middle of the midsection? How you feeling there, well, Bam, bam did some damage, but you can't. You remember that, Michaels. We're going to eliminate. Let's see. Who should we pick first? Lord Littlebrook there, Janetti? All right, gentlemen, gentlemen, thank like, you very like much. Like Friends, we're just about phone. three weeks away. <laughs> this all takes place Saturday night, August 21st. Sean must think he's he's a giant like Bam Bam and Diesel here calling Marty Janetti Lord Littlebrook of the, of the group, but... You see the difference, Steve? You know, they're coming to the garden. They're talking about the upcoming big fight they have. And here it's it's Anaheim, and it's time to have a little fun. Pigolo, Lord Littlebrook, what a reference there. Sean Michaels having fun. <laughs> well, all of them having a little fun there on the promo. I'm going to tell you oh, yeah. what, I, what I really love about these, though. It's the... The, the localized promos, they're putting over things that have happened on those specific house shows that make sense heading forward. Like, they're giving reasons as to why this match is taking place. Clearly, they've already, over the last two weeks or last two episodes of TV, we've heard what's happened. We understand what's transpired. Even if you weren't at the last show, we know that Sean beat Mr. Perfect, pinned him, thanks to the help of Diesel. And then Tatanka came out to try to even the odds, but Bam Bam came out and they laid both guys out now Janetti slides in as well but it's i love the fact that there's storytelling like this here it's it, if you were at the event i i could feel like if i if i had attended a show and then i was watching these promos if they they personalize them for you you can go i was there i saw that that's what happened and it's so cool i, I love that they're doing that yeah i like that too it's just consistency and it's taking that extra def- extra effort it's like hey guys remember this is what happened last time so Let's talk about it or something like that. Or let's, you know, they built these matches up and here we are in a six man elimination that they, it's just a continuation of the house show. So it's, it's kind of another trick to get people to go, you know, it's uh oh crap. Perfect got screwed last time. And now they're doing a six man with all of them in the ring. Let's see what happens now that perfect has his buddies on his side or, you know, something like that. Um, so it makes perfect sense on why they did it. Uh, good shit overall. I will say it was kind of funny that uh, Perfect called out Sean, kind of like what you said. He thinks he's the size of Diesel and Bam Bam. He's like, yeah, Bam Bam can hurt me, but you can't. <laughs> so, Because uh, Sean was talking about how Bam Bam injured Perfect with the shot to the ribs and things. Right. And uh, it wasn't Sean who did it. So that was a great line from Perfect. Show rolls on. Marty Jannetty heading to the ring to take on Mr. Hughes with Harvey Whippleman and that urn. Marty Jannetty does a little sticking and moving early on. He grabs Hughes by the leg. I love this. I've never seen this before. He has Hughes, has one of his legs up in the air, and Hughes uses that leg to just kick Marty off. The power of Mr. Hughes here. Jannetty, though, does something I hate, and it's not necessarily Jannetty's inside-out bump. I love when he takes it and it makes sense. A nice 
clothesline that sends Marty inside out. I'm remembered of the, uh, reminded of the old WrestleMania 7 where he and Sean do stereo inside out bumps for the Barbarian. But this one, not a big fan of it. Marty runs off the rope, runs into Mr. Hughes, who does absolutely nothing but stand there, and Jannetty takes the inside out bump. I wrote, eh, a little too hokey for me. Jannetty finally takes Mr. Hughes down to the mat, though, and regroups Jannetty with an arm ringer. Mr. Hughes finally does take over, clubbing him down to the mat as we head into a commercial break. When we come back, they're on the floor as Jannetty reverses on the floor and sends Mr. Hughes into the ring post. After that, Jannetty up into a, what I called a sloppy-looking flying head scissors on the floor, but Mr. Hughes holds his balance and drops Marty chest first across the guardrail. Great spot. I loved it when I saw Harley Race do that to Lanny Poffo on a Coliseum video in the ring. It, it just looked beautiful. It was excellent. It looked like he killed him. But of course, it was Lanny Poffo giving the flying head scissors, and it was Harley Race taking the move. Mr. Hughes, I have to blame here a little bit for the lack of balance. It made the move look a little sloppy, but I loved what they were going for, getting dropped across the guardrail there. Hughes takes over, but he misses a leg straddle on the middle rope, and Marty makes the big comeback. Janetti literally backdrops himself over Mr. Hughes, who bends over. Janetti takes the backdrop, but lands on his feet, sort of. A little off balance, but he's there, and it's a super kick. But it doesn't drop Mr. Hughes. Janetti goes up and nails a missile dropkick, which does drop Mr. Hughes. But Marty doesn't go for the cover. Instead, he goes up for a second missile dropkick, which I thought right away, well, that was stupid. But no, it connects again a second one. This time for a near fall. Marty then with a weird shoulder block looking thing since Mr. Hughes out to the floor. Little miscommunication there, possibly. And Marty off the top rope with a flying fist to the outside. And then it's back inside. Janetti goes up top. Oh, I feel like it's deja vu, Steve. Marty to the top rope for the fourth move in a row. This is what Gorilla would call going to the well once too often. Marty comes off with a cross body block, but Hughes catches it and turns it into a power slam. Nice power slam here. Mr. Hughes picks up the win in 12 minutes. I'm surprised they gave this match so much time. Yeah, me too, a little bit. I mean, I, it's a good win for Mr. Hughes. He needed it with being in the feud with uh, Undertaker. And it seems like Marty's just kind of there to make people look good. He he got his title win, lost it. That seems to be over, even though they're still pushing it a little bit on the on the house show run. Yeah, I thought it was good. I mean, Marty's good enough to last 10, 12 minutes. I don't know about uh, Mr. Hughes, but it worked out. Yeah, Hughes with the bare bones, kick and punch style offense there. I don't know how pretty that would be with The Undertaker. Uh, Marty Jannetty made it, made it look okay here, though. As we go on, it's the SummerSlam report, some of the same as Superstars. And then we talk about Monday Night Raw and the Yoko Crush. In fact, we see highlights of Yokozuna stretching Crush out of the building. Well, now it's time for the King's Court. Lawler last week invited Owen to join the court. And here he is, Owen Hart, rocking that dickhead Billy Zabka look from every teenage 80s movie. See the, the heel and the karate kid and back to school and all that good stuff. Owen Hart really reminded me of him here. Not just the nose, but the blonde hair as well. <laughs> Lawler takes pride, though, in bringing the very best out here every week on the King's Court. Unfortunately, all he has this week is, is Owen. Sad to say, he says so. It's the brother of Bret Hart they have to put over. It's Owen said he made a promise to his family, to Bret, to his parents. He won't take Lawler out right now. He will save the king for Bret Hart at the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. Lawler says Bret beat three measly wrestlers to become king. I wrote, wow. 
I get, I kind of get it. I mean, Razor's turning face. Mr. Perfect is a face, but he's even downing Bigelow there as the King taunts Owen Hart since Owen did promise not to touch him out here. Uh, Lawler continues to mock him and what he did to Brett at the King of the Ring. Lawler then trashes the Hart family until Owen has had enough and he snatches the mic and challenges Jerry Lawler to a match next week, which kind of contradicts everything he just said he wasn't going to do. Lawler accepts the challenge as Owen gets the Burger King chant going. Uh, Free publicity for Burger King. Uh, I'm really torn here. As Owen says, he promised not to do anything to the King and then turns around and challenges him to a match before SummerSlam. Oh, he said he wasn't going to do anything on the King's court. But he also said he wasn't going to let anybody run his family down and, you know, whatever. I thought this was bad. (laughs) I didn't like it at all, really. Owen was kind of terrible. He just kept on saying the same thing over and over and over. So he's like uh, Brett. It, it, was, <laughs> it was redundant. And Lawler just kept on laying in a new joke. Owen said, I'm not going to let you do that. Joke, I'm not going to let you do that. I promised my family. Oh, yeah, I promised my family. I was just like, I, by the time it was over, I was just done with it. I was like, I'm so tired of hearing the same shit from Owen. Lawler, like the jokes were okay, but it was really just a bully type deal uh, more than anything, which is fine. I don't care, but I I just was not a fan of this. It didn't work for me. No, yeah. I mean, Owen's obviously uh, not known for his promos in general, but especially back here, he wasn't given any opportunity to cut any real promos, the Blue Blazer or, uh, (laughs) you know, as high energy outside of those 30 second Coco beware high energy promos and things like that. So they're not really saying a whole lot. Now Owen's out here. He's got to try to get this feud with, with Brett and Lawler over. And it's like you said, he's just kind of repeating himself. Although he did say at SummerSlam instead of in the SummerSlam. So maybe it is just a Brett thing I picked up here, Steve. But Jerry Lawler, he had, <laughs> a, he had a, a window of time. I don't know what it was, say three minutes, four minutes, whatever it was they gave him. And he had to make the, 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 the entire promo continue. So he kept trying to feed Owen things, and we kept getting the same stuff in return. So. Lawler did his part, but like you said, it really wasn't much of anything. We'll see the match, though, next week on TV. We go back to the ring here this week. Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels with Diesel in his corner over Chris Hahn. Shawn, during the match with the top rope clothesline, the super kick, and that new pile driver finisher, we do hear Marty Jannetty chants. I don't know if they were piped in, but we got a lot of Marty chants here as Shawn picks up the win over Chris Hahn. Three minutes and eight seconds, and it's back to -to face-to-face. Madison Square Garden coming up August 13th. We see Doink the Clown and the One Two Three Kid. Did you notice these One Two Three Kid uh, promos here on these face to faces? He he seems to have no eyebrows all of a sudden, Steve. It's almost like somebody played a rib on him. I didn't pay attention. Yeah, the One Two Three Kid. That uh, part. Sorry, sorry about that. Welcome back from working New Japan and the Super Juniors, kid. Uh, let's shave your eyebrows. Welcome to the WWF. I know they. He must have did his uh, photo shoot at the same time because if you look at his Hasbro card, it's not. He doesn't have eyebrows there either. There you go. Makes so, makes uh, complete sense. <laughs> it's definitely a, a thing. Yep. Yeah. So we're gonna hear from Doink the Clown and the One Two Three Kid, followed by Macho Man Randy Savage, all talking about the upcoming Madison Square Garden card on August the thirteenth. Doink the Clown joining us face to face, as well as his opponent, <laughs> kid that has taken a big apple by storm. The One Two Three Kid, as a matter of fact. Doink, what are you laughing about? <laughs> Friday the 13th, my lucky day. <laughs> the one, two, three kids' unlucky day. <laughs> yeah, kid, uh, as I say, you've stolen the heart of this great city of New York. This will be my first time in the garden, Mean Gene. 
I'm looking so forward to it. The people in New York, hey, gee, they're kid. already behind hey, me. Watch, huh? kid. Yeah. What? Well, watch yourself there. <laughs> hey, somebody... kid. Kid, let me tell you. What? I'm used to making little kids laugh. I'm used to hey, making hey, little kids. Hey, 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 no, come stop, kid. <laughs> What's the matter, Mean Gene? What? Watch it. Watch. There's somebody around you. It looks to me like. I'm gonna have to make an exception this time. I'm gonna have to bend you over my knee and give you a spanking. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Drink the crowd to meet the one, two, three kid on Friday the 13th. Part of the action in the Supercard in Madison Square Garden. Our garden party is going to be taking place. You know, you talk about all-time greats. They just don't come any better than this gentleman. He, of course, is part of the broadcast team on the WWF Superstars on Monday Night Raw. He's on WWF Mania, and he is uh, a good friend to a lot of people in this great sport. I'm talking about the Macho Man, Randy Savage. Macho, you're coming back to town to meet none other than this self-proclaimed King Jerry Lawler. Absolutely, and I think that we ought to get all the clowns out of the World Wrestling Federation, and let's start on Friday the 13th, if you will, yeah. Madison Square Gardens, let's rock and roll and do the thing. Macho Madness getting back into the squared circle, and guess what I'm gonna do to my broadcast colleague, Jerry Lawler, self-proclaimed King. Me Stretch Jerry. my imagination, Macho. Ooh, well, just see that you need to see it to believe it, yeah. Say goodbye to Jerry Lawler. Brother, I'm gonna do it for the hitman. Dig it! Fans, it's gonna be a lucky night for you Friday, the 13th of August in the garden. And these were fun promos, Steve Doink with the second Doink walking behind the kid on these. Pro I love this stuff. As the kid has to play it off. What, Gene? What's going on? What, Gene? Huh, kid! There's. But Gene never tells him what the fuck's going on. He doesn't say, kid, there's a fucking Doink behind you. Gene just kind of gets his attention and then never finishes his sentence. And the kid keeps turning around. What? What 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 is it, Gene? Like he doesn't see Doink standing next to him? Come on, guys. It was fun though. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. I thought it was creative and and unique. It was good. They they played well off each other. And we're headed back to Anaheim and face to face. I'm gonna spare you the Mister Fuji part of this face to face, Steve. But we're gonna listen to what Bret Hart has to say about old Big Butt. Is that uh, egghead finished? <laughs> I think let's, he let's, is. Let's get things perfectly clear here. This is the most dangerous match of them all. There's no match that's as dangerous as a steel cage match. And the reason, like you said, Ray, is to keep Mr. Fuji from interfering. So that leaves me and Big Butt all to ourselves. Me and Yokozuna can settle this old, long-lasting feud about who is the rightful owner of the World Wrestling Federation title belt. Now, I know, the world knows, and everybody else knows that Yokozuna was in the sharpshooter WrestleMania 9 and he was this close to giving up. So I got what I want. I, he can't run and he certainly can't hide in a steel cage match. Yokozuna, you are history. Mr. Fuji, doesn't Yokozuna have anything to say since he's in the cage match? Oh, he got lots to say. Hanashina, Yokozuna. Give us a grunt. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. No, ah! Mean. Goodbye, boys. Uh, I'll see you in the ring, fatso. All right, Brett. Yokozuna, thank you very much. Fans will find out who the WWF champion will be. Quality promos from Bret Hart, fatso, big butt. He just doesn't know. In fact, there's one of these where he actually calls him Slim. He even calls Yokozuna Slim at one point. I think he thought he was clever there. Uh, but Bret Hart, he's got these cage matches. He's working with Yokozuna. He's got to be happy about that. This is to replace the Hulk Hogan-Yokozuna plan matches. So not only do they put Brett in place of Hogan, they feel like they have to add the cage as well to make it all the more special 
in order to replace the the Hulk Hogan on the cards. Yeah, it makes sense. No other way to really, unless you give them like a battle royal or something. But the hell, they don't have the roster for that. But uh, uh, yeah, that's really all you can do to add some mystique or you know appeal to these houses when you're replacing Hogan. Next week on Challenge, a fellow will debut by the name of Ludwig Borg. We'll have to see a little bit more about this Ludwig Borg next week on Superstars and Wrestling Challenge. Meantime, we go to All-American for July 18th. It's Oakland and Bobby Heenan. This week's All-American exclusive from Salisbury, Maryland, taped July 7th. It's Tatanka and the Steiners over Blake Beverly and Well Done. This is Well Done's debut on an All-American doing a job. When Tatanka pins Blake Beverly with the Samoan drop, the old papoose to go nine minutes and seven seconds. What a debut. Auspicious debut for well done. Uh, the bigger note here, this is fun. This is definitely going on YouTube, guys, so be there to check it out. The closing of All-American as the, the green screen this week, the backdrop for Heenan and Oakland is they're, they're on a boat or they're in front of some boats, and there's a life preserver, a legit real life preserver of some type, some kind of flotation device in Gene's hand. And he and Heenan are going at it about something. And Mean Gene just knocks the fuck out of Bobby Heenan with his lifers. I mean, just hits him as hard as he can. I had to pop for it. It was great shit. You have to let me know when that one's up. I want to go see it. Yeah, it's it's fun shit. And, and remember, guys, for anybody, it, has, it might already be out there. Maybe the full episode out there. I have no idea on YouTube that you guys can go check. That's July 18th, though, the closing segment of the show. More fun with Gene and Bobby before this episode of The Grenade is over. But we head to Monday Night Raw for July 19th as we see clips of the call to action campaign. It has begun. Clips of the Lex Express on the road. And in case you didn't know, Steve, we are live! We are live! From the Manhattan Center in New York City! It's Monday Night Raw! My grandfather had fun with that soundbite uh, the, uh, back in the day. Vince McMahon would say something like that almost every single week. Raw! And my grandfather would get up in disgust and leave the room and say the same sentence, same comment every week. Old raw ass. I don't know if that makes anybody else pop, but it was funny to me at the time because it would, it would we are as raw! And then my grandfather would go, old raw ass. And then he would get up and leave the room in disgust of wrestling. So, <laughs> that's great should be noted this is around the time that the ecw original francine started attending these shows we'll see her quite often here over the next several weeks near the front row of the manhattan center as we head to the ring though it's intercontinental champion as promised Shawn michaels defending his title against marty Jannetty. diesel out there with hbk and the last time we saw marty Jannetty wrestle sean on raw he won the intercontinental title we'll have to see if he can do it again here this week Janetti probably shouldn't have jobbed maybe, say, 24 hours ago to Mr. Hughes on TV heading into this, but Raw seemingly on its own booking schedule because it's so current compared to the other shows, which have been taped like a month ago. So I don't know that they even know what they're doing on Raw by the time they, they put these superstars and wrestling challenge tapings out. Sean, though, noticeably, I don't know if you've noticed this yet, Steve, getting a little heavier, a little doughier in the midsection as of late, actually hiking up his tights over his gut here on this episode of Raw, and there'll be a lot more of that coming in the extra in the weeks to come, and we're going to find out why and, and what happens with that. As the match gets going, though, it's Sean attacking Marty. Marty Jannetty owns Sean early and often in this match. Quick moves, quick pinfall attempts, 
Marty lands on his feet out of a backdrop, backflips out of a backslide attempt. Sean bails, but back inside, he still can't get control. Marty Jannetty counters or blocks everything from hip tosses to super kicks which frustrates HBK. Really good stuff early on from Marty Jannetty. Sean, though, runs into a corner boot. Marty Jannetty up to the middle rope with a clothesline, and he goes up top for a spot, but Sean ducks. But Marty fakes him out, lands on his feet. Sean turns around right into a Jannetty DDT. One, two, three. Yes, he got him. He got him, Steve. New Intercontinental Champion. Commercial break, and then when we come back, wait a minute. We learned that Sean's foot was on the ropes. We did see that, but the referee did not, so we're getting more of this. It's told to us that Bobby Heenan and Diesel showed the referee during the commercial break on the monitor that Sean's foot was on the rope. I wrote, what the fuck? Are we doing this again already? The match is restarted. Janetti back in control, and Janetti locks in a sleeper. Sean counters with a back suplex and both men down for a moment, but Sean back up sends Marty out to the floor teasing Diesel interference, but it doesn't happen. Then it's Marty inside, collides with Shawn Michaels, sending Shawn out to the floor, teasing Diesel's help. That too doesn't happen, however, as we head into a second commercial break in this match. Back inside, Shawn Michaels with a cheap shot, takes over on the offense, works a front face lock, using the ropes for added leverage. Janetti escapes, though, drops Shawn crotch first across the top rope. How is that not a disqualification? Sean goes for a powerbomb, but Janetti counters into a hurricane Rana roll-up for another near fall. Marty misses a stinger splash in the corner. Sean off the top rope with a crossbody, but Marty floats over with a two-count. Janetti then with the rocker dropper, and he does not break Sean's neck, it should be noted. Sean gets up and stumbles into the ropes and ties himself into the ropes. I wrote, what the fuck? A little unusual there. I'm not sure if Marty was supposed to do something and he didn't, but Marty sets up for the super kick. But Sean gets up and stumbles and ties himself into the ropes, a la Andre the Giant, I guess. Marty charges at Sean for some reason with a cross body into the ropes, but Sean gets loose and ducks. Janetti goes flying over the top like it's Royal Rumble 90 all over again. And Diesel rolls Janetti back inside, and Sean makes the easy cover in the win in 17 minutes. PWI called this the match of the year. Demeltz even said these two worked almost, this is classic Demeltz, people. These two worked almost a state-of-the-art style match combining lucha moves and choreographed spots, Japanese pacing, Steve, and a little American psychology. If that wasn't <laughs> Meltzer in a nutshell, I don't know what was. Me, my personal opinion on this match, I just wrote solid stuff. Wish this had been the Rumble match, but still, I don't even know if it was as good as the last match they had. Uh, finish, though, eh. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like the false finish on Marty and all that crap just to get another 12 minutes out of the match, especially since we just seen that. Match of the year, like, up to this point, or is that how it ended at the end of the year? Match of the year. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what they were watching. I, I, my notes say typical match between the two. Uh, it's good shit. I'm not, not, I'm not knocking it. It's just I like the title win better for Marty. I thought it was out of nowhere. It was a clean finish, and uh, it was good. And I thought it was better than this one. I think if they would have had a uh, good match at the Rumble, Marty probably wouldn't have got fired over over you know what happened there. We talked about it at nauseum, so like I'm not going back into that. But I don't. I think if they had a, if they delivered a solid match and it got over, like there's no way Marty gets fired. And I think they would have continued into WrestleMania. Probably been a, a lot better trilogy than what we got between the two. But 
it is what it is. It was a decent match. I'm not knocking it or anything, but match of the year, really. Tells you how bad wrestling was in '93. Yeah, I think I think Meltzer even gave this match four and three quarters stars. I didn't write the stars down here, but I know it was well over four stars that <laughs> Meltzer gave this match. So I don't know what they were watching. Oh my God. And again, solid stuff, like you said, nothing wrong with it. I don't know about a four plus star match. Now, I do. I did say that I would. I would like to have seen this match be the match at the Royal Rumble. Again, not a classic by any means, but it would have. It would have been far more up tempo and fun than what we actually got at the Rumble. Maybe not with the, the, these finishes, obviously, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't really care for the, too, uh... the, the, the bait and switch heading into commercial to get you to stay tuned. Janetti just won the belt. No, he didn't, and the match has already continued. But the finish bothered me more than that. Janetti misses a dive to the floor, and Diesel just rolls him in. At least let him punch. I mean, give him that big knockout punch or something. Utilize Diesel or let Sean be the dick and you know, kind of hit the ropes, bounce around, and then just, nah, and then fall on Janetti. Instead, he just rolls over and covers him. I just felt that it was very anticlimactic, the finish. Yeah, I agree. As Vince McMahon enters the ring, he's going to get ready to interview Money Incorporated. Bobby Heenan and Macho Man on commentary are arguing whose show is better. Is it Macho's Mania or Bobby Heenan on All-American? Vince McMahon in the ring brings out DiBiase and IRS. They have a rematch with the Steiners for the tag titles this week on Superstars. Steiners are losers, says DiBiase. And speaking of losers, there's no bigger loser than Razor Ramon. DiBiase mocks the loss of Razor to the kid, and then the kid taking the 10 grand to boot. This, of course, brings out the bad guy. Razor's heard enough of DiBiase and IRS running him down. DiBiase offers to give Razor some work, maybe cleaning some toilets, polishing some shoes, maybe he can even wash their cars. But Razor has something to say to the rich mang and the tax mang. Steve Razor says he does all his work for himself. He doesn't work for Money Incorporated. DiBiase doesn't believe Ramon doesn't have a price. He doesn't believe Razor can't be bought. Ted slaps Razor across the face with some money. <laughs> I loved it. As Razor Ramon clears the ring, he knocks Ted on his ass and sends IRS out of the ring as the Macho Man proclaims, Butamus! As Money Incorporated at ringside, Ramon leaves as Ted DiBiase is pissed off. And nobody does that to the million-dollar man. DiBiase says he will humiliate Razor Ramon. DiBiase says the best way to do that he wants the kid. DiBiase wants a one-on-one match with the 1-2-3 kid. Ted says he will beat the kid in 30 seconds to show what a loser Razor Ramon really is. So we're setting up that one-on-one between Razor and DiBiase. But first, Ted's got to get through the kid. I really like the stuff here with Razor and DiBiase. It was fun. I did too. I thought it was good stuff. And I think Razor is a pretty good face to DiBiase's heel. I think it works great. Uh, a street guy versus a rich guy. Uh, they both could be rich, but they took different paths to get there. It just works for me. Um, it didn't last as long as I would probably liked it to, but it did its job and served its purpose. So um, I'm glad we got this little mini feud heading into SummerSlam. Show goes on with Mint on a mission and Oscar in the corner taking on Rich Myers and Gus Kenarakis, not Hank Harris, as everyone's posted. First, it was Tom Italy, Steve. Now, poor Gus Kenarakis is Hank Harris, according to every website online anyway. Superfan Vladimir ringside getting jiggy with men on a mission. Uh, this rap here, it doesn't even rhyme. At one point, Oscar says, here we go again with men on a mission. So again and mission are rhyming here, according to Oscar. 
And meanwhile, in the ring, it's the men on a mission now busting out the hip-hop double elbow drop. As Mo goes to the middle rope with a new finisher, he bulldogs his own partner Mabel into a splash on top of Gus, gets the win in a minute and 50 seconds. The big moves by men on a mission, M- Mabel specifically, uh, they get response from the crowd for sure. I don't know about Uncle Mo there, Uncle Mo from down the street. Yeah, Mabel was over. His moves were over. Mo, not so much. That's right. Summer Slam reports on Oscar is not good. Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll continue to learn that repeatedly week after week as these shows go on. It's Summer Slam report time as Mean Gene is caught dancing. Oh, oh, sorry, you caught me dancing to men on a mission, of all things. And he talks about uh, all the matches coming up at SummerSlam, and we see Lex Express on the road again. We learn tomorrow Lex Luger will be on Regis and Kathy Lee. And it's back to the ring. Bastion Booger taking on Scott Dispress. As Vince McMahon refers to poor Booger as not only a gargoyle, but at one point a warthog, of all things. In the ring, <laughs> Booger with a leg drop, power slam, and it's a trip to the Batcave. Bringing that one back in style. Booger gets the win in just one minute. Then we learn next week it's going to be Bam Bam Bigelow taking on Brett the Hitman Hart. It's a King of the Ring Finals rematch right here on Raw. And now it's time, Steve, for the very special King's Court with the <laughs> singing sensation Tiny Tim. And in 1993, I had no idea who that was. And I'm not going to bother to sit here and go over Tiny Tim's career, historic career, Steve, here. So for anybody interested, just go Google it. I'm sure it's in, in Wikipedia form somewhere. Jerry Lawler trashes Tiny Tim verbally about his clothes and his voice, the tiptoe through the tulip song. At one point, Lawler even offers Tiny Tim the option to sing the song right there on the King's Court. Luckily, we don't get past, oh, Lawler yanks the mic back. That was plenty enough for me as well. The King tries to help him sell his new radio show. Tiny Tim has a radio show. Wonder how long that lasted. All the way out in Des Moines, Iowa. What a place for a radio show. Hello to our fans in Iowa. No offense, but Tiny Tim, I don't know. Tiny Tim says Lawler isn't the Burger King. He's the Dairy Queen. We've heard that before. I wonder if Bret Hart fed him that line. Lawler destroys the ukulele. Tiny Tim's prized ukulele. Oh, man, does he go down (laughs) in a weep on his knees. He grabs his handkerchief. What overselling. What overacting by Tiny Tim here as he's having a, a, a heart attack, nearly a heart attack, after Jerry Lawler destroys his poor ukulele. Lawler says he destroyed that ukulele, just like he's going to destroy Bret Hart. But really, oh my God, what was the point of any of this? Uh, this was terrible. King's Court's kind of garbage the last couple of times we've seen it. Um, well, I look what they're giving this. him. I remember it. I guess, yeah, but I mean, like, even Lawler is kind of boring to me. It just didn't do anything for me. I don't give a shit about Tiny Tim. I did it as a kid, and I just kind of tuned it out. And I, I don't know what this—I don't know what this accomplished at all. Yeah, and uh, it, it accomplished Vince I like, possibly having a dream of one time having Tiny Tim on his show and breaking a ukulele. That's the only thing I can come up. <laughs> that was funny, pal. Because he is selling this shit like we give a damn. Oh, my God, did you see? That's his prize, ukulele. That's the one he played on Johnny Carson. <laughs> shit like that. So I, I, don't, I didn't know what a fucking Tiny Tim was. So. Glass Bruce Presser, what the hell this was all about. Yeah, it's, uh, and I'm sure he's already mentioned it before. We'll have to go try to dig that up. But yeah, Tiny Tim hadn't been relevant since at least, and I'm being fair here, the 1970s. So I, it is what it is. He's just a character. 
As we go on, it's the one, two, three kid taking on Chris Duffy here this week. Vince McMahon alerts us that the kid has accepted DiBiase's challenge as Money Incorporated head out to the aisle way to watch the kid live and in action. We also see Razor Ramon coming through the crowd on the opposite side by the announcers. So we have Money Incorporated in the aisle, Razor Ramon hopping the guardrail, standing at ringside. You don't know what's going to happen to the kid here because we know Razor isn't a fan of DiBiase, but we really haven't seen Razor make amends with the kid either. So the kid could be in big trouble here, is my thought. Uh, in the ring, though, a kid with the educated feet, quoting JR there, snap leg drops, a spinning heel kick, and a drop kick in the corner before the guillotine leg drop to the back of Duffy's head ends this one just two minutes and 15 seconds. The kid starts to leave the ring up the aisle, but he notices Money Incorporated are standing there. He looks back and he sees the bad guy on the opposite side of the ring. So, eh, the kid leaves through the crowd on another side of the ring. Why is there? Once again, the kid is smart, Steve. If there's anything he's proved so far, he's a pretty smart fella. Yeah, that's, uh, and he's a pretty damn good wrestler, too. So, good stuff. I like the psychology there, the story. That they're telling, uh, who can the kid trust? Like, does he trust Razor yet? Even though, you know, he's, Razor's already pissed off at Ted and them. Uh, but he knows he, he, he has the issue with Razor, so he's just not sure if he can trust him yet. And obviously he wants no part of money by himself. Especially if Razor's going to join in on him. So, this is excellent. Good stuff. After the kid takes off, Razor Ramon and DiBiase have a little more trash-talking ringside. Razor even flicks his t- toothpick. At the Million Dollar Man, as the referees get in between them, separate the two. Looks like something's going to happen there between these two before too long. Next week's Raw, Bret Hart's parents are coming to town. All the way from Calgary, Stu and Helen Hart going to be here. Also, Macho Man closes out the show with a little fan dressed in a Macho Man attire. He calls him the Macho Boy Jason. Aha. Uh-huh. Don't forget, Steve, Lex Luger on Regis and Kathy Lee on July 20th. I don't know if you caught that. I sure didn't. I don't know if that's out. I'm sure that's out there somewhere, though. Lex Luger on Regis. I didn't watch any of Regis. <laughs> WWF Superstars July 24th, taped July 7th, or July 6th, in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, the Wilkes University Mertz Center. Woo, that's a lot. Lex Luger on the move. Lex Express video clips. We see Lex Express on the highways as Vince, Macho Man, and Lawler kick off the show. Double debuts this week, Steve. We're going to see the Quebecers and Ludwig Borga. But to the ring first, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan. And I feel like the only reason they put him out here was so he could give the nod to Lex Luger because before the match, Duggan gets on the mic and says he's not only proud to be an American, he's proud of Lex Luger. This match, though, a bit too long for a Duggan match. He has some fun with a wind-up slam on poor Dwayne Gill before the three-point stance ends at three minutes and eight seconds. I think this might be Duggan's last squash match on TV here in the WWF. As we roll on to WWF Update and Gorilla Monsoon, Jack Tunney has an answer. Will Lex Luger get a title shot against Yokozuna? All right, standing by, WWF President Jack Tunney. Mr. Tunney, thank you very much for joining us this week. I must say that fans all over the world are anxiously awaiting your announcement, and I would suggest that if what we're being told is true, there has been a deluge of support for Lex Luger. Vince, I have never never come across in all my history with the WWF uh, so many people supporting Lex Luger's plea for a match with uh, Yokozuna. Uh, nonetheless, we understand Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna have been quite resistant uh, to this match. Well, Mr. Fuji um, suggests that Luger has an unfair advantage due to the uh, steel plate in his arm 
from the motorcycle accident. I see. Well, nonetheless, is it a go or not? Does Lex Luger get his shot or not? Very definitely. All right, there you have it from WWF President Jack Vince, Tunney. Vince, just, just one second. There is one stipulation. A stipulation? Yes. Lex Luger must wear an approved uh, forearm pad, approved by this office, uh, covering the uh, arm with the steel plate. A protective uh, foam pad of uh, some type. Well, unquestionably, that is a stipulation, no doubt, from Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. Yes. But nonetheless, uh, any other stipulations, Mr. Tunney? No, it's a title match. There it goes. All right, and there it goes for SummerSlam. We thank you very much, WWF President Jack Tunney. A foam pad of some type. Uh, nope, it's a match. There it goes. Uh, Jack Tunney, man, very, very good talker. You figured, like, they could have, you know, gave him some lines or something here instead of just letting him do his own thing because, ugh, not not very good president. There it goes. <laughs> Wow. Terrible. He stumbled all over that. Just like he did at Rumble 92, all these big moments, and he's stumbling through his words. Like, dude, you got, like, four sentences. How hard is it? You have to wonder, because the way they initially talk about this, it sounds like gorillas they're supposed to just throw to one of those old Jack Tunney in the office type promos, and then we end up getting this Vince interview instead, and as bad as this one you have, it was, you have to wonder, was, was there another one, and it was just even worse, and they had to go this route so that Vince could lead him? Who knows, man? Nothing's saving that. <laughs> Let's be honest. Nothing is saving that. Yeah, so. and, and sometime during that 92 period, too, uh, it's pretty cool to check out. You can actually see Jack Tunney reading his lines off of a monitor as they reflect through uh, something in the background. So it's kind of interesting to see Jack Tunney. Uh, <laughs> obviously, just a figurehead here with his uh, improper <laughs> presidency. This is exactly why we need Alfred Hayes in the office. Absolutely. We need him in the Hall of Fame, though. I think Jack Tunney and his brother should be in the Hall of Fame. Oh, absolutely. Uh, longtime promoters of the Maple Leaf Wrestling Toronto promotion. They certainly deserve to be there. Shame on you, Vince, if the Tunneys aren't in there yet. But they're passed away and they're old pals, so they don't count. You know where they're going to go. They're going to go into that whatever wing uh, it go. is. I don't think it's a wing. I just think it's just like they're too old for people to give a shit about them, which is sad. <laughs> like, like I know they threw Luna into that, which is... I get it. I mean, you can't have everybody up there dead that are, you know, getting accepted based off of, uh, like, their family or whatever. That's bad optics. But So I don't mind the fact that they throw all these old-timers that deserve to be in any wrestling or Hall of Fame, to be to be fair, as being entered in without necessarily the, the pageantry, I should say. But, um, yeah, the Tunnies should be in there by now. I don't know why not. If uh, Pez Watley and Brickhouse Brown can make it, Steve, I mean, you know, right? That's true. You know, we're just waiting for our man Verge to make it. Yeah, Verge. Could you imagine that, Verge of the Week, if he makes it? (laughs) Yeah, I want those promos. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We roll on, though, just like the Lex Express is rolling on. Lex Luger has apparently been informed on his tour bus that he has been granted his title shot with Yokozuna. And here's Lex Luger's response. Here we are, right aboard the Lex Express. I couldn't think of a more appropriate setting. I just got the word. I couldn't be happier. I've got my title shot with Yokozuna in SummerSlam. Now, Jack Tony has a stipulation. He says, I have to wear a forearm pad. Well, that doesn't bother me in the least bit. All I wanted was an opportunity, and I'm going to seize that opportunity. I'd like to thank everyone out there who's made this possible, the people truly have spoken. But we're not gonna stop the Lex Express call to action here. We are gonna run this 
I'm going to stay on this bus. I'm going to meet all of you out there, continue to meet all of you out there from coast to coast all the while and bring it right back curbside at Auburn Hills August 30th at SummerSlam. And I'm going to take it right in there and step through those ropes and I'm going to beat you, Yokozuna, and become the next World Wrestling Federation champion. All right, and so Lex Luger, pretty happy, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with the uh, old forearm stipulation, the forearm pad stipulation uh, Mr. Fuji has put in there. So it's it's all set. We don't know exactly what we're going to get yet. Jack Tunney told us, there it is. That's pretty much it. Okay, so uh, where is this going to take place? I don't, I don't quite know yet. I don't think they discussed that there in that initial announcement. I don't think so either. I think they said uh, at a future date or something like that. But um, it's funny he doesn't give a shit about the forearm pad now. That's, he that's, sure did that's in my Ring. notes somewhere. Yeah, I, I got that coming up. <laughs> you got that right. Sure did. Show rolls on. It's the debut of one of your favorites from the time, at least based on oh, character. Yeah. Ludwig Borga <laughs> making his entering debut against Tony DeMauro. Uh Well, he has arrived here, and I have no idea who he was. But he looked cool at the time, Steve. I thought, what a hell of a look. Uh, right out of one of those movie villain genre bad guys. Just really stuck out. He had that heel look, that villain look, really. A uh, very basic offense here in his debut, though. A flying lariat ends at Borga picks up the win in just 1 minute and 34 seconds. Uh, so weird that they debut him, and then it's almost like they repackage him. Not necessarily his gimmick, but it's like, okay, now we figured out what he is and who he is. Now let's give him vignettes after the fact. So we'll see some Borga matches, and then we get the vignettes. Really weird. I think it's just, you know, we get him on TV, get him some work, and then we'll let people know who he is a little later on. Right, but um, that's not usually the format. That's no. not how it works, no. Right. no. Uh, at, at this point in 1993, I think we realize what they're doing is not the norm of any company, really. You could tell it's a cluttered mess. There's no consistency. I mean, there, it's typical WWF. I mean, there's no major gaffes or anything like that. They're just doing things differently. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Vince isn't as hands-on as he normally is due to the trials and everything they got going on. Yeah, they're just doing a bunch of different stuff that you're just not expecting to see. But uh, I thought this was a good debut. Um, I like that he took a clothesline, got right back up, and then just killed the dude uh, with, like, a club to the back. And then he did that clothesline, which looked good. Uh, I thought it was a pretty solid debut. Uh, I was a fan of Borga from the Gigo. Even in 93, I liked him. I, like you said, he just has that look that you're like, oh, we got to take this dude serious. You didn't really pay attention to how good of a worker or anything it was. He just had the look that you knew he was somebody important. Yeah, I, I'll and, tell you uh, what. That uh, he was going to do something with him. The curtain was pulled back for me. I don't think I ever paid attention to his work either until I went and watched him on a house show, and he just happened to wrestle Lex Luger, of all people, too, on top of that. So mm. you can imagine how pretty that was. And I think that was the night uh. that I realized, you know, I don't think this guy's really a good wrestler anymore. Uh, obviously, he never was really <laughs> great, but he, he, he really uh, executed some of these pretty cool moves early on, especially uh, during these squash matches. Not, not these particular early squash matches but once he finds his repertoire so to speak some pretty fun shit here from ludwig borgen just a hell of a look and i bought it immediately one of my more favorite heels at least for the next few months six months yeah, yeah. I, I just think uh I, like you didn't i didn't really care about work rate or like if you look good i, I know we talked i was like man, i love the match with marty Jannetty at SummerSlam, and then i went back and watched it a couple years ago i was like man, oh. this is terrible yeah and i, I, <laughs> I felt like, the same way i thought bad. it was great and then i go back and watch it and go <laughs> What the hell was I watching? 
Right, right. It's just Marty overselling everything. But he was well protected in his matches. He he was never really exposed to look bad on TV. Uh, if, he, if he was in a match on TV with somebody important, they made him look good like Marty did. Like, I didn't see the house show experience, so I didn't get that. But um, And this is all to say, like, I know he's a piece of shit person. Uh, it's just strictly character and gimmick at the time. I, I, I'm not speaking of Tony Holm. I'm speaking of Ludwig Borg of the character. So uh, not a fan of the person. Just enjoyed the gimmick at the time. Yeah, and for those who are wondering what Steve's even referencing here, I think Jim Ross has mentioned it on recent episodes of his podcast as well. Borga had a specific tattoo, maybe similar to the Blue Twins or the DOA or whatever, the Harris Boys, uh, SS tattoo, which is the old Nazi uh, logo of sorts. So uh, probably didn't necessarily stand for the greater good. Uh, so maybe some of this character wasn't so much a character, but Ludwig Borga, <laughs> the, the wrestling character, pretty damn cool. And I dug it. I yep. dug the look anyway. As we go on, it's face-to-face, the Peacock version. We hear from the 123 Kid. Again, no eyebrows here, 123 Kid. And we also hear Tatanka talking about Bam Bam Bigelow over in the New York market, the Nassau Coliseum, WWF coming back August 27th. Shawn Michaels talking about Razor Ramon. Sean going to have to defend his title against the bad guy. Let's take a listen. Out of the island, I talked about it. Razor Ramon is going to be facing my guest at this time. Shawn Michaels, it's no secret in June, the two of you met earlier, and Razor Ramon came, I'd say, that close to becoming the Intercontinental Champion. No, he didn't. He did, too. Did Your not. man, Diesel, is the one that saved you. There's no question about it. Am I insulting your intelligence? No, we're, or not gonna, to... we're, not, no, we're not addressing those kind of questions today. You want to talk about... My Intercontinental title match in Nassau Coliseum? Wait a minute. No, 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 no. We've got to talk about it. In the garden, Razor Ramon came close to defeating you for the Intercontinental title. But he didn't do it, so who cares? Let's not be that 20,000 people were there watching as well as myself. I know what I saw. Look, if you keep looking into the past, you're going to see yourself with hair. And we don't want that to happen. So let's forge to the future, shall we? And the future is the wrestler of the 90s, Shawn Michaels, facing Razor Ramon at Nassau for the Intercontinental title. Now, let me see if I can get this straight. To get an Intercontinental title shot with Shawn Michaels, all you have to do is get beat by the one, two, three kid, <laughs> and that makes you a contender? Oh, laugh Are it you up. serious? Laugh it up, really. <laughs> hey, speaking of uh, uh, some things that we should be talking right. about, what about uh, Diesel here? Is this guy going to be out on the island on the 27th when you meet uh, Mr. Ramon? Gene, I'm everywhere the heartbreak kid is. And why is that, Diesel? It's my job. Oh, God, don't you love it? That is great. <laughs> and there's nothing anybody can do about it. See, I'm the greatest wrestler on the face of God's green earth, and he is the toughest thing anybody has ever seen. Between the two of us, I think I am probably going to be the champ for a long, I'm long time. I'm not so certain time. the two of you have not mislaid your ad libs somewhere. Thank you, gentlemen. All right, and my favorite line out of that promo from Sean there, <laughs> when he's talking about Razor Ramon, he says, let me get this straight. All you got to do to get an Intercontinental title shot is lose to the kid? So I love, I love the line there, Sean Michaels taking a jab at Razor Ramon losing to the kid. But the matches, they continue. These Sean and Razor matches go on for another fucking year, two years, whatever, here in the WWF. So they leave, really. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, in Some yeah. storm, some. Some form of the clique going against each other. And I think the only feud outside of the clique is Razor and Jeff Jarrett. But it's usually a, a clique member feuding with, with Razor. But um, this is the start of it. This is where it started. Summer of 93. 
the announcers back at, on Superstars talk about the recent Razor and Ted DiBiase feud going on. That's when Vince announces that the kid will challenge Ted DiBiase or accept DiBiase's challenge, I should say, on Challenge, an upcoming edition of Wrestling Challenge. It'll be Kid versus DiBiase. Meanwhile, Money Incorporated in action here today, though, as they challenge the Steiner brothers once again for the tag team titles as the match gets going. IRS tries to show up Scott Steiner early on, but fails. DiBiase in, but the Steiners clean house and both Money Incorporated out to the floor. Money Incorporated come back, double team Scotty in the corner and lay out Rick Steiner as well from behind. They toss both Steiners to the floor, but they are not down. The Steiners climb back on top the same turnbuckle. They both stand atop the same buckle side by side and leap off. Landing moves on both Money Incorporated, sending them back out to the floor as we head into a commercial break. We come back. DiBiase grabs Rick Steiner by a singlet and yanks him out to the floor. Money Incorporated finally get heat on Rick Steiner. Lots of heel work, double teaming behind the referee's back, luring Scott Steiner into the ring, cutting off the hot tag. Lots of teasing here uh, by Money Incorporated. Good stuff from the heel side of things. Rick Steiner and Ted DiBiase with a double clothesline and double hot tags to Scotty and IRS. Scott lays out both Money Incorporated. Double underhook powerbomb on IRS. But Ted breaks it up, and we have another four-way melee underway. All four men spill out to the floor. It's a four-way brawl on the floor. IRS posts Scott Steiner and gets up on the apron. He tries to get back in the ring, but Scotty meets him up there. IRS tries to suplex Scott Steiner, because he does this all the time, on the apron. But Scott Steiner lands inside the ring as the referee reaches the 10 count. IRS accidentally sends Scott back in the ring. The Steiner brothers pick up the win on a countout this time. Last week, it was a reverse decision disqualification. Now it's a countout. The Steiners win again in 11 minutes, this time on a countout, Steve. Seems like they're building to something. I, I, I get it. You're trying. It's kind of like it, what they do now. It's just like match, 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 match. And then finally, there's a blow off somewhere at some point. Uh, you got to come up with a different way to get something over do an angle or something and get tired of it and then go to the payoff. I, I just don't know how hard that is for them to do, but it's just your typical match. It's not bad. It's not great. It's just good. They know how to work all four of them and it, it worked for me. So uh, it's like how many different finishes can we come up with that isn't definitive show rolls on. It's the summer slam report. And it only took about 30 minutes before we learned when Yokozuna versus Lex Luger will take place. It'll take place at SummerSlam in the main event. Yoko will defend the title against Lex Luger. We also get a promo from Bret Hart. He says, after Jerry Lawler beat him down at King of the Ring, it felt like a car crash on Unconscious Street, Steve. One of his favorite lines there. Bret Hart going to face Jerry Lawler in the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. So, (laughs) felt like a car crash on Unconscious Street. Fucking idiot. (laughs) Terrible. Show, oh, shit. show goes on one two three kid taking on barry horowitz we get localized commentary not just in this match but really off i don't know if you've been really paying attention to if you're watching the new york market version maybe you're watching the peacock version i don't know but there is it's uh, now back in the day the fink would come on come on do do a cut over in one match where he would put over the upcoming show at the, you know your local arena for about a minute of a, a unimportant squash match but here we're getting it almost every other match Vince McMahon piping in and selling all the little tiny the smallest of venues putting over all these localized house shows on TV another way to try to sell these tickets uh, try to get people back in the arenas 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy. They're desperate to get those people back in there. They're they're trying everything they can to build the house back up, but but they're missing out on it. It's not the it's not the advertisement. It's not the publicity. It's not the the sell job. It's the talent. The talent just isn't there. It's not worth paying for. So you got to fix that, Vince. That's right, pal. As we get going, I, I look across the ring. It's the kid and Barry Horowitz, and I wrote, now this is the kind of house show opener you want to see, Steve. This is the match where, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, didn't used to go to old WWF events, you knew the first match was going around 10 minutes at the very least. It was to kill time. It was to prolong the show. and It was to get the crowd going. And I've seen a lot of them. I've seen Tito Santana and Bob Bradley. Lots of headlocks there, by the way. I've seen Kato versus Crush for 10 minutes. I've seen Brooklyn Brawler and Jimmy Powers. I've seen Skinner and Conan Chris Walker. I've seen a lot of openers, Steve, but here I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing the one, two, three kid and Barry Horowitz in an opener. You've got to imagine that would be a fun one. Yeah, it would remind me of the uh, Blue Blazer, Barry Horowitz openers that they had on those L.A. sports arena shows on the network, or on Peacock, I should say. Barry's good when he gets extended time, especially with a guy like the kid or Owen who can high fly and do those things. He's good at selling that stuff, and he knows how to work a match. So uh, I'm with you, man. That would have been good. That would have been a great opener. Barry Horowitz, extremely uh, fundamentally sound, uh, amateur wrestler, uh, way better as a heel than a baby face. I, I was rooted for him. I, was, I even popped when he, when he got the win over Candido, but it was what they did with him afterwards. It just didn't really work out for him, unfortunately. Here, though, no such luck either. The kid comes off with a guillotine leg drop, two minutes and 43 seconds, picks up the quick win against Barry Horowitz. I was a little, little depressed. I was hoping that match would go a little longer. We learned next week Sherry is back. Sensational Sherry scheduled to take on Luna Vachon right here on Superstars. As we close out the show, it's a brand new tag team, a team I've never seen before, although there's a familiar face involved. It's a tag team by the name of the Quebecers, Jacques and Pierre getting ready to take on Rich Myers and Tony Webb. I wrote, what is this? It's the Mountie, but they're not the Mountie. They're the Quebecers, and Jacques Rougeau makes it very clear they are not the Mounties repeatedly throughout these matches. They are not managed by Johnny Polo as of yet, but they do have their theme. We're not the Mounties. Everybody knows. Sing along. Jacques Rougeau is back, and this time he brings with him Pierre, or futurely Carl Ouellette, for those who may know him as PCO even, first move of the match is Jacques Rougeau busting out a cradle pile driver of sorts. They go right into a very innovative spot as Jacques actually backdrops his own partner, Pierre, into a somersault senton. Lots of innovative tag moves here by the Quebecers, and Jacques even busts out the old Les Bombes de Rougeau. Flying seated ass senton as Pierre holds the job guy up for Jacques to come flying off. Memories of the Rougeau brothers there, Steve. Their old finisher. But the new finisher here, just as deadly, more than more deadly, Jacques Rougeau with a spike slam rolls it over into a Boston Crab as Pierre comes off the middle rope with a leg drop onto Myers. The Quebecers get the impressive win. Two minutes and 34 seconds. They're not the Mounties. No, they're not. Awesome theme as Jacques Rougeau begins being... Jacques Rougeau, and then a nice little kiss. Nice kiss, says the macho man, as Jacques lays one on the cheek of Pierre, because, again, it's Jacques being Jacques. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how anybody can watch anything with Jacques Rougeau and not be entertained or have a good time. I mean, he's just hilarious. Uh, this shit worked. I liked it. Um, the moves were awesome. Pierre is like a perfect 
tag team with Rougeau. Uh So, I mean, this was this was money. I, I loved it. Yeah, Pierre, very young still here. I think he was in his early 20s, so uh, perfect timing as he can, runs into another yeah. fellow French-Canadian, Jacques, and Jacques back, and the Quebecers are born, and I was uh, in heaven, one of my, easily my new favorite WWF heel tag team, for sure. Steiners will probably always be number one, but, I, but the Quebecers were close to, and then once the Steiners were gone, the Quebecers were my favorite tag team. Not that there was a lot of other tag teams to choose from by that right. point, but, but they were my favorite tag team. I loved their, their stuff in the ring, and I loved Jacques, you know, being Jacques, as I've already said. Yeah, I just, uh, the other thing, too, the other foil to them is just, they're so easy to hate. You just want to see them lose. They're so smug and and everything. It's, they're just they're really good at that. So like even as a kid, I didn't appreciate it as a kid. I just didn't know any different. But looking back on them now, like man, they they were so good at what they do. They you wanted to see them get beat. Like you pay to see them lose. They had that kind of heat on them. So uh, definitely excellent excellent tag team. We close out superstars. It's face-to-face on the Peacock. We hear from Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect talking about their upcoming matches. Over in the New York market, it's more Bret Hart and Yokozuna with their upcoming steel cage match. Bret Hart wants back what was stolen from him in the WrestleMania 9. No, he didn't really say that, but it would have been funny if he did. Believe me, I would have got the soundbite if he called it in the WrestleMania 9. It's one-on-one. This is where Bret refers to Yokozuna as Slim and Fatso, all in the same promo. And then we go to Anaheim, August 12th, the six-man elimination match. We're going to hear from Sean Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow once again. And then we're going to hear from Harvey Whippleman. He talks Mr. Hughes taking on The Undertaker. Now then, standing by, Intercontinental Champ Sean Michaels, along with uh, his tag team partners, Diesel, Bam Bam Bigelow, and that lovely sweetheart uh, of Bam Bam's girlfriend. Uh, main Luna squeeze. Bichon. Main squeeze, whatever. Gentlemen, what happened the last time precipitated this what matchup? What happened the last yes. time was Diesel and Shawn Michaels had already taken care of Mr. Perfect. Down comes Tatanka to squeal Tatanka. Nobody likes a tattletale, especially the beast from the east. So what happened? We left two out of three of them laying. Now they've added Marty Jannetty, <laughs> and we're all supposed to be shuddering in our boots. I don't think it's going to happen. One should get beat. It's hit the showers, Jack. Right, Bammer? You know, this is going to be a breaking heart and breaking heads match. The brother here is going to break all the little sweeties' hearts, and me and Diesel are going to break some heads. You know, somebody ought to call William Shatner. I think those three laying in a pile would make a nice run-in to rescue 911. <laughs> We're talking about breaking heads. Uh, what about you, Aluna Vashon? You going to be breaking a heart or two? Oh, shut your mouth. There's no heart to be broken by Luna Vachon. All you need to know is somebody's going to be left laying, and it isn't going to be anybody here. Wow, somebody's going to end up in life with that. Thank you very much. Uh, standing by right now, Mr. Hughes, along with his manager, Harvey Whippleman. Yes. Harvey, all of a sudden, it's going to be Hughes and The Undertaker down in Anaheim on August 21st. Well, if you remember what happened last time I came to Anaheim, the Undertaker took out some sort of a chemical or something and put it over the giant Gonzalez's face and smothered him where he wasn't there to protect me. Then that big jerk picked me up by the throat and put me on the mat. Well, Mr. Yu's going to get some revenge. That's right, Undertaker, you're going down with that sidewalk tram. Guaranteed. Have a nice trip. A month from now, we'll see you down in Anaheim. Somebody's going to end up with that. Mean Gene. <laughs> Great line on Luna. Oh, Mean Gene with the one-liners. <laughs> 
Oh my god, someone's going to end up in life with that. Yeah, it's good shit. <laughs> it's brutal. <laughs> oh, somebody's going to end up in life with that. Oh. My goodness. His Brutal. name is Gangrel, at least for a while, anyway. Uh, Superstars comes to a close. We know Sherry will take on Luna next week. We're going to hear closing comments from both ladies. Sensational one, Sherry. Next week, I find I get my chance. I am going to meet you here one-on-one. On one. I, Luna Vashon, the most dominant force of the world. Sean, every woman has to be accounted for her actions, and your time is coming very soon. Every time you made your little stupid acting sessions, every time you have put yourself to be a woman of the 90s, okay, next week, right here, you're going to get your chance to prove it. And really just grab that because we know Sherry's time here in the company is coming to a close, and that's essentially the last time we hear Sherry cut a promo, so I thought it would be good way to say goodbye i mean obviously she still has her upcoming segment here with luna but it's the last time we will hear sherry uh in a promo here in the wwf at least until um she sings sexy kurt anyway many years down the road wasn't a very good one though (laughs) (laughs) what actions has luna done oh i guess okay never mind i take that back okay wrestlemania 9 i guess happened you have a (laughs) short memory pal I do. And finally, and finally, I promise this is, uh, we're finally closing out Superstars. Follow the Lex Express as we begin to see tour dates of where the bus is headed. Steve, I have to wonder, if you were 16 instead of 6, this is the summer. Would you have made a road trip and just kind of followed the Lex Express everywhere it went? Hell no. Okay. <laughs> no. I, I, maybe, I, I would maybe go see him <laughs> if he's in my town or my state or whatever and figure out where it's at and go. But no, I'm not following it. Hell no. <laughs> I wonder if anybody did. Probably not. 1990. Nah, no. We go on WWF Mania July 24th. It's Pettengill and the Macho Man, the Mania exclusive this week. Again, none. They hard sell the new WrestleMania, the album, however. It drops at all the Kmart stores. This to only Kmart, Steve. This Tuesday, over 100,000 copies sold in the United Kingdom. Then we hear a little excerpt of the Summer Slam Jam. You know it's coming. I don't know if you've ever followed these music videos, watched these the clips that they use in some of these music videos, but the Summer Slam Jam video here is literally 50% Bret Hart versus Papa Shango from the 92 Saturday Night's Men event. Talk about lazy. <laughs> this whole album feels lazy. Wow. Well, that's, that's another story. <laughs> we go, <laughs> go on with the show. WWF Spotlight for July 24th sees that head shrinkers over Jim Duggan and Kamala match once again, so it's out there somewhere. In fact, I have it. It will be up on YouTube sooner rather than later. We go on to Wrestling Challenge July 25th, taped July 7th in Salisbury, Maryland at the Wacomico Youth and Civic Center. Jim Ross and Heenan run in the show here. Jerry Lawler versus Owen Hart kicks things off. We heard them, unfortunately, according to you anyway, unfortunately, we heard them talk last week on the King's Court, and here it is, the match this week. Owen challenged Lawler. Lawler accepted. The King gets in the ring, and he tells Owen to kiss his royal feet and he will let Owen out of the match. So Hart spits on the boots of the king, and then, Steve, 
What is the five fingers? Say to the face! <laughs> what? Slap! Owen slaps the king as the match gets going. Burger King chants begin. Lawler bails and stalls in classic Lawler fashion. He hides behind the referee, and in between some of Owen's offense early on, Lawler powders out of the ring more than one time. Lawler, though, digs into his tights, and as JR mentions the king often concealing weapons inside, he pulls something out, seemingly anyway, and he decks Owen with it. This is classic Lawler, too, at least in the WWF. Never had a foreign object. I used to go to shows, sit ringside, and I'd die watching these fans. Just all this heat Lawler was getting by hitting guys like the British Bulldog all match. The entire match was Lawler pretending to hold an object in his hand and getting the fans to believe it. Just the same here. Lawler bops Owen, takes over on the offense with a quote-unquote foreign object here. Lawler, though, telegraphs a backdrop. Owen comes back, European uppercut, spinning heel kick, backdrop, and a missile drop kick for a near fall on the king. But Owen misses a charge into the corner, goes shoulder first into the post. Lawler with the pile driver, as Jim Ross points out, first big offensive maneuver of the match. I had to think about it for a second. I'm like, JR's right. Lawler did one move in this match as he hooks the tights and picks up the win in six minutes and 32 seconds. Post-match Lawler on the mic says he hopes Brett, Stu, and Helen were watching to see who the real king is. He says Owen can kiss his feet now as he stomps away at the head of Owen Hart. Owen looks solid in his offense here. Uh, Lawler took good bumps for him, and a good, good king psychology for a TV match. Nothing special at all, but uh, I, I thought this was okay. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was just your typical Lawler match in the WWF, so I didn't mind it. It's, it's cool to know that these matches are out there, though. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah, and it's, what's really cool, I love Jim, Jim Ross pointed out, that was the first offensive move of the match. And I don't know if Lawler you know, dropped that to JR, or JR caught, picked that up on his own, but I didn't notice that until JR pointed out. I go, holy shit, Lawler wrestled an entire match and only did one move to pick up the win there. The show goes on, though. It's men on a mission with Oscar taking on Glenn Ruth and John Reckner. We know Glenn Ruth by now is the future headbanger thrasher. Did you catch who John Reckner was, Steve? Uh, no, I didn't. Well, if you just looked, I'm sure you would have figured it out pretty fast. It's the future Boo Bradley, the future Santa Claus, the future oh, yeah. Balls yes. Mahoney. Yes. As we get the old hip hop. I didn't take note of it, but I did, I did, did recognize yeah, that. Yeah, you, you can't mistake that odd, odd face of, of John no. Reckner. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, <laughs> I did pick men, up on that. Men on a mission with the old hip-hop double elbow drop on Glenn Ruth. Drop toe hold by Moe, Uncle Moe. And Mabel comes off with a big leg drop running off the ropes onto the back of Reckner's head, but that's not enough. It's the bulldog into the Mabel splash combo on Reckner. Men on a mission pick up the win, 2 minutes, 37 seconds. Special report, Alfred Hayes with Jack Tunney again. We hear the same interview, Jack Tunney and Vince McMahon announcing Lex Luger will get his title shot with Yokozuna. And <laughs> these wrestling challenges, the uh, the commercials are intact, Steve. And I had to pop because I, I think, like, they've went through the entire run of uh, the old Dave Thomas Wendy's commercials here in 1993. And I just I couldn't be more excited for them. I, I brought back a lot of memories. Dave Thomas, I miss that guy. He was a, a great Wendy's spokesman. Of course, he, he was the owner of Wendy's, the founder of Wendy's, if you will. But he he's he's truly missed by those who grew up in the 80s and in early 90s, and we're big fans of commercials of, of that vintage time period. Uh, so I shout out to Dave Thomas. Uh, may he rest in peace. I miss Dave. I, I say it all the time. I, I watch these, and I'll see the commercial, and I'll, I'll 
I'll text a friend or tell my wife, man, I miss Dave Thomas because everybody knows who he is. If you grew up in the early, like late 80s, early 90s, you know who Dave Thomas is and you know the commercials. Yeah. And, and uh, during this period, you know, they had, they had the uh, cousin, the, the, the uh, crazy cousin that would come and visit him and he, cousin Dave. And yeah. uh, me and my, my cousin Crystal, we would do that all the time to each other. Cousin Dave. So yeah, good, good stuff, <laughs> Dave Thomas. I love Dave. Yeah. Come in. Cousin Dave, we're here. Show goes on, though. It's a fellow by the name of Ludwig Borg here. That's B-O-R-G-E. First name's Ludwig, L-E-D-L-U-D-W-I-G. Uh, so they didn't really know his name here. There's even a vignette coming up, a video of Ludwig Borg, where he's on the microphone pronouncing his name as Ludwig Borg. So this may have been the first name they, they come up with before it, it transfers to Ludwig Borga. Anyways, here he is taking on Jason Headings. Borga is straight to the ring, no nonsense, right into the ring, and grabs Headings into a lifted double-handed chokehold, and then a side slam, a delayed, long-delayed vertical suplex, and he clotheslines Headings head off, sending him upside down there. The jumping lariat again picks up the win. Borga with the win here, two minutes and one second. Uh, the character is given a purpose now as he looks into the, micro- or into the camera at one point and says, all Americans are pigs. So it's clearly the Borga character, anti-American. Show goes on with face-to-face. Coming to the Nassau Coliseum in the New York market, it's Harvey Whippleman again with Mr. Hughes. Harvey and the Giant Gonzalez will team with Mr. Hughes to take on Randy Savage and the Undertaker. What an interesting tag team match that would be, Steve. That'd be cool. I wouldn't mind seeing that. I don't know how good it would be, but it would definitely be interesting to look at. I just want to see Taker and Macho as a tag team. I don't really care about their opponents. That's kind of what I was. That's what I was going for. That'd be pretty cool to see. But uh, no, not bad. They're bringing out the big names for those New York markets. That they are, and we learn here on Challenge next week. The one, two, three kid will wrestle the Million Dollar Man. So we're one week away from that match. Papa Shango onto the way to the ring. Well, we haven't seen him in quite a while. He's taking on a guy by the name of Chaz Ware. We saw Glenn Roof earlier in the show. Chaz is the future headbanger Mosh. So both guys on this episode of Challenge. Little girl in the front row doesn't seem to care for the skunky smell coming from the smoking skull of Papa Chango. Wonder what was in that there. The reverse shoulder breaker picks up the quick win on Chaz in two minutes, 18 seconds. I wrote, bye-bye, Papa Chango. I think this may be Chango's last appearance on TV, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's done two interviews here, Steve. One recently and one a while back for RF Video in a shoot interview. First, Charles Wright, the future godfather, Papa Shango, claims he left the company coming into August here. First, he says he left because he wasn't making very much money. That was his original story, which is clearly true here in 1993, and we know that the cuts are coming, so I don't even know if it was really his choice to leave the company. But more recently, he claims he left the company because he was asked to job to the 123 kid. He's also said that he wasn't asked to job to the kid, but he saw the kid pin Razor Ramon at that point. He saw, quote-unquote, where the company was going, and he needed to take a little time away, which Vince McMahon was fine with. So Charles Wright, not a big fan of doing the job to the one two three kid, apparently. He probably thought he was next on the chopping block to ask to do the job, or maybe they're just, like he said, he saw the writing on the wall, like maybe they're just taking a shift in the, the, the look that they're looking for. The good thing is, is he's buddies with The Undertaker, so... His spot is pretty much guaranteed as long as he wants it or whenever he wants it, it seems like. Right. We move on with the show. It's the SummerSlam report and back to the ring. Mr. Perfect taking on Reno Riggins. 
Reno surprises Hennig early on with a hip toss, but Mr. Perfect comes right back with some nasty chops and the rolling neck snap, the knee lift, and a perfect plex in just two minutes and one second. Can Mr. Perfect three-peat when he takes on Shawn Michaels at the upcoming matches near you? Then this is kind of funny. Heenan talks uh, Hillary Clinton on the phone. He talks to Hillary Clinton, supposedly, on the phone about health insurance for the one two, three kid versus Ted DiBiase next week. Ironically, it's T- DiBiase who gets the money out of that uh, health insurance, if you know what I'm talking about there, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Bobby Heenan, I will say that, and it begins, I think, in this episode, Bobby Heenan does some hysterical impersonations of what he takes the one two, three kid, the promos for the one two three kid. Bobby Heenan's version of the one two three kid are absolutely hilarious here in the next couple weeks of TV. As uh, we go back to the ring, it's another debut. We saw the Quebecers and Borga this weekend. Now it's Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn. We saw him in a six-man and All-American. Who really saw that, though? Here they are on Challenge, the team of Well Dunn making their official tag team. That's two-on-two debut, taking on the team of Brett Tyler and Darren Trujillo. No Harvey Whippleman in their corner yet. Of course, the former Southern Rockers and Simply Divine in the USWA now here in the WWF. And this is their debut. This is their chance to show themselves. And we get an insert promo from the 123 Kid, who is honored to be facing Ted DiBiase here next week. So that's what they think of Well Done. We're getting insert promos about another match during their match. I did like some of their work here as a team. They've been a team for a long time, several years as they nail a nice-looking double dropkick, a double bulldog, lots of quick tagging in and out, and the double DDT on Tyler gets the win in three minutes and eight seconds. They seem very generic, obviously, in general, based on their attire, the crowd not really responding to them, and their work is more of a babyface style at this point anyway. A perfectly solid team, but they're given very little chance right out of the gate here. Bobby Heenan even spends most of the match mocking the 1-2-3 kid. Uh, I thought that was funny, but still... Not too good for the future of Well Done. Yeah. <laughs> I was never a fan. I didn't get it. Uh, the gear is ridiculous. Um, you can't get, I can't get past the gear. I always thought it was dumb. I, I, to be fair, I never gave them a chance just because of the way they looked. So this did nothing for me. Well, way to go, Vince McMahon. And it's off to face-to-face in the New York market. It's more <laughs> six-man tag team promo from Mr. Perfect Marty Jannetty and Tatanka over in Anaheim. We hear from the Macho Man and Harvey Whippleman about everything going on over there. All right, joining me right now, Mr. Hughes along with his manager, Harvey Whippleman. Of course, uh, Hughes is going to be teaming up with the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez. Their opponents, The Undertaker. And the legendary Macho Man Randy Savage speaking for The Undertaker in his absence. Now, Mach, let's explain this. Mr. Hughes has the urn that belongs to The Undertaker. Absolutely. I'm on a roll right here, so don't stop me, Mean Gene Oakland. Nassau Coliseum will never be the same again because I bring him up and The Taker brings him down. Yeah, we are a tag team combination that's going to get something done. Yeah, TCB, take care of business. And on Friday the 13th, I'm going to take Lawler all the way out. Yeah, of the WWF. Whippleman, got a slap for you, dang it. Hey, 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 hey. Harvey, Harvey, where are What do you want, Oakland, you white trash? Where is the big eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez this week? Well, when we told him that we were going to be discussing a tag team match against the Macho Man and the Undertaker in Nassau Coliseum, the giant said he didn't want to have any part of talking to all those trashy, nasty, buck-toothed varmints in the New York area. Hey, but just what? 
Well, what about that urn? You know, you are really flaunting it, Mr. Hughes. I think you're out of line. That belongs to The Undertaker and Paul Bear. Minji, let me tell you something. This don't belong to nobody. Nobody but me. You see, I'm the man who took all this. You see that dip right there on that there, Mean Gene? The I'm the one that put it on that head of The Undertaker. Undertaker, can you still feel that bump? Huh? Has it went down yet? Where's Paul Bear at? I'm going to tell you something, Undertaker. The you macho, macho man is getting the hot, Hughes. Brother, let I me tell you the way it is. Y'all are going yeah. down with the sidewalk slam? I promise you that. Have a nice day. You going yeah, down, well, boy. I've been to your neighborhood and I've been to mine, and we're going to take you out of Nassau Coliseum. Yeah. And then we close out this week. It's Ted DiBiase responding to the 123 kid. <laughs> you know, you're right, kid. It is an extreme honor for you to even be in the same ring with the Million Dollar Man. You'll go down as one of the many thousands to be defeated by me. I've always said that everybody and everything has got a price. But this is one time that all the money in the world won't save you from being defeated by me right here next week. <laughs> well, DiBiase be overconfident. We'll find out next week for the brain. I'm Jim Ross saying so long, everybody. Oh, just a minute, just a minute. This is the one, two, three kid again. And mom and dad, I don't need my 50 cent allowance next week because I'm going to be in the hospital. <laughs> I'm going to be in the hospital. Just uh, a little <laughs> clip of uh, what, what uh, Bobby Heenan was doing throughout the show, mocking the one, two, three kids voice and uh, <laughs> everything he was saying. Good stuff. Uh, it's a shame Bobby's gone by the end of 93 because he gets, he offered so much still for this company. It just wasn't meant to be, but man, uh, Bobby Heenan just, awesome here in 93. I really didn't remember much of Bobby's work in 93, so I'm really enjoying being able to go back and seeing some of the stuff Bobby was doing here on Challenge and and all that good stuff. As the show goes on, though, or our show continues on, All-American for July 25th. It is Bobby Heenan and Gene Okerlund. No exclusive this week, so we skip ahead to WWF on TSN. That's our Canadian sister show, July 25th, face-to-face with Mr. Perfect and Shawn Michaels. In this promo, Steve, Shawn Michaels has a pretty good idea of who he thinks some of the contenders for the Intercontinental title should be. Let's take a listen to what who Shawn thinks the number one contender should be for his belt. Shawn Michaels, welcome, along with your bodyguard. Big man, what is he, 6'9", 6'10"? 6'10", 330 pounds. Diesel. And he's all mine, always at my back. You know something? They're talking to me. Jack Tunney, the WWF officials, they're talking, everybody's talking about Shawn Michaels on the topic of the day. You know, some of the top contenders, let's talk about a Marty Jannetty, your former tag team partner. Oh, there You've are got lot, to admit hey, it. Gene, there are a lot of contenders out there, and there are people you're forgetting about. There's like Tiger Jackson, I know he's the midget, but that guy's a real go-getter. You know, Barry Horowitz, he's a spoiler. You never know what this guy's going to do. Reno Riggins, Joey Maggs, there's numbers of them out there. But I'll be more than happy to defend my title against any of them. Well, uh, you know, I think you have conveniently omitted the name of one of the top contenders, perhaps the top contender for the Intercontinental title. I said Barry Horowitz. However, I have conveniently arranged to have that individual join us via satellite. Please welcome... Two-time Intercontinental Champion, knocking at your door, if you will, Mr. Perfect. Wouldn't that be nice? SummerSlam. Mr. Perfect against Shawn Michaels. What do you think, Michaels? You're going to leave my name out of it? You think I'm not the number one contender? And when you say six foot ten, 330 pounds, all mine, what exactly does that mean? Hey, I'm telling you, I hired him to keep the chicks off me, the fans off me. Now that I'm the two-time, I'm the two-time Intercontinental champ, I'm more popular than ever. I gotta have a bodyguard. You were never that popular. Well, that's wait a minute. I've got a question for you, Michaels. If that's the case, how come this 
this this diesel is always down at ringside in your corner, and he does have a propensity to interfere from time to time. Uh, oh, I don't know what you're talking. Do you know what he's talking about, Diesel? Uh, no idea. I've never interfered. No, we you don't hired him to keep the chicks off you. Yeah. The only thing the chicks like about you are the earrings that you're wearing. You know where I'm coming from? Are you comparing me to a girl? If that's the way you want to take it, yeah. Hey, I got news for you. Ask any girl in the land. Shawn Michaels is 100% man with a capital M. Perfect. If you want an intercontinental title shot, I'll be more than happy to give you one because I got to tell you something. Whoop. You and me are the very best around, so you might deserve it. SummerSlam. What a time for Mr. Perfect to three-peat as the intercontinental champion. Mr. Perfect, I believe we can get that on tape. I'll give it to you. You can pass it along to President Jack Tunney. Wouldn't that be something? An intercontinental title defense by Shawn Michaels against Mr. Perfect at SummerSlam. Wow, it could happen. So Shawn Michaels name-dropping Reno Riggins, Joey Maggs, Barry Horowitz, even Tiger Jackson should get a shot at the intercontinental title, and why not? He's a real go-getter. He is a go-getter. <laughs> that was good shit. <laughs> Shawn Michaels having some funny. fun here on TSN. From there, Macho Man Randy Savage and Mr. Hughes. They're going to hear from them. They're going to be or they're going to be going at it in the London Gardens. All right, let's get to my guest right now, Mr. Hughes. You will have to face the man from whom you stole that urn right here in London. I don't think so. You don't call me no thief. Whoever your what's your name, boy? You don't call me no thief. I'll jump through that screen and knock your head off. Now then, you see this dead right here on the tanker? Can you still feel it? Huh? Where's the uh, Paul Barry at, huh, boy? You think I'm going to just come down here and just lay down like a, a no old soul? Well, you might not have a choice after the Undertaker gets his hands on you. Don't you interrupt me when I'm talking. Yeah. Now then, Undertaker, you think I'm just going to roll over like old punk dog? I got something for you. It's called a sidewalk slam. Well, that's right. Well, Mr. Hughes, wait a minute. Your time's up. We'll find out what you can do. Harvey Whippleman, you are going to be a busy man in London. Yeah, you're right. I'll be trying to scratch Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Because standing by right now is the macho man, Randy Savage. You didn't tell me that goofy-looking goof was going to be here. I don't have to tell you anything. Randy, you'll be facing an eight-foot giant Gonzalez. You may have bitten off a little more than you can chew. Possibly, maybe, but we have to see. August the 29th, the London Gardens is going to be a happening type situation. Whippleman, I want you to tell eight-foot giant Gonzalez that I'm not backing off one inch, that I'm going to take him all the way down, and I'm going to whoop him and do a tap dance on his head. The London Gardens is going to be on fire on August the 29th, I'll guarantee you that. Yeah, it'll Big. be on fire when you running away. All them sneak attractions, you're going to be so scared when you look up and you keep looking up. Uh, you're going to wish you had a neck brace, Randy Savage, because that man is so tall. And when that big hand bone comes way up, bam! Knocks you in the head like a nail and puts you in the mat. You're going to wish you never came to Canada with all them goofy-looking beaver-brained Canadians. Well, I'm going to take time and slap you. Always good to hear from the macho man. And we're going to close out this edition of WWF on TSN. It's the closing moments of a face-to-face involving Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam has nothing against his people, Tatanka's people. And then five seconds later, refers to him as Sitting Bull. Let's take a listen. If, if, if I can interrupt, you know, you have humiliated a great Native American, and you've not only humiliated personally Tatanka, but all of the Indian people. I, th- does that bother you at all? Tatanka has humiliated himself more than that. He has humiliated the Native American people. Hey, let's get oh, it straight. No, let's get I got nothing against your people. It's you, Sitting Bull. 
You're the one that's Sitting going bull. down. Sitting Bull. You have nothing against the Native Americans. Well, Bam Bam Bigelow, when you attacked me from behind, what did you have to do? Yeah, you beat me down, but you know why I carry every day this sacred symbol, the red streak that symbolizes all my Native Americans, all my people. Why? Everyone, everyone red that stands streak. behind me. Red yes, streak. you do have oh, something against one Native Americans, Bam Bam Bigelow. And when we face in the squared circle, you can guarantee one thing. I will get my revenge. And you can bring that just ugly whatever it is standing beside you. Wish Wish you was here to the square right now, circle. And you don't have to insult my old lady to get me mad because I'm already fired up and I'm ready to burn you, Indian. Uh, that's all. Go ahead, Bam Bam Bigelow. Add more fuel to the fire. The fire is getting bigger. And guess who's going to be standing at the totem pole burning up when it's gentlemen, all over? Gentlemen, you, Bam Bam Bigelow. I hope that the issues between you can be resolved I'll one way or myself. another. I've got to believe the best way to do that right now is to get the two of you in the ring somewhere sometime and let it be settled the old-fashioned way duke it up guys i got nothing against your people sitting bull <laughs> kind of like the luger promo <laughs> there's nothing wrong with america but what's wrong with america is you <laughs> so <laughs> exactly um pe- these guys don't even know what the hell they're saying well, and you people are bitching about scripted promos like Majority of people need him. Uh, let's be fair. <laughs> let's be fair here. Or Bam Bam knew exactly. Do need him. Well, they do. You're right. And and some of them, I'm shocked. Like I'm, I'm shocked at some of these guys who just are, are long for words. They have no idea what to say when they, when they're deer in headlights. And I'm not even going to name drop a few of them here because I'm I'm really sad to say their names out loud. Uh, they're really disappointing me in these face to faces. Uh, but Bam Bam, you have to wonder. What did he mess up or did he do that on purpose to be funny? I don't I don't really know either way. Who knows? He's not here to ask him. And even if he was, I don't think he'd remember this specific promo. We'll roll on, though. Monday Night Raw for July 26th, Manhattan Center. Taped last week, July 19th. And we kick things off with a doink promo. He has something to say to the Macho Man. <laughs> hey, Macho Man. Oh, not too long ago, you interfered in my match. <laughs> I'm giving you fair warning right now, macho boy. <laughs> you ever interfere in my match again, uh, it's going to be too bad. But I'm going to tell you what. If you're a real good macho boy, <laughs> I might have a little surprise for you tonight. <laughs> we'll have to stay tuned. Doink might have a surprise for the macho boy. Later in the show, and it is Vince, the Macho Man, and Bobby Heenan on commentary. And who's that sitting behind them, Steve? I don't know if you caught this. Linda McMahon in the front row for the crowd sitting behind the announcers here this week, as well as Stu and Helen Hart up in the balcony. You think they double dated that night, the Hearts and the McMahons? <laughs> it's possible. Who knows? You know, over on, possible. over on the Copia sister show, TR Shocks the World, Tom Robinson mentioned way back in the day when he was growing up and Pat Patterson was, was commentating with, with Vince McMahon every week. Vince McMahon had this famous line, it's pick'em time, Pat Patterson. And he would ask Pat Patterson who's going to win the feature match. Pick'em time, Pat Patterson. I, I had to mark out here because as this match gets going, the opening match, the rematch from King of the Ring Finals, Bret Hart and Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna in his corner. Vince McMahon says, it's pick'em time, macho man. He asked the macho man to pick a winner here, and I had to pop for that. Bobby Heenan says, Jerry Lawler is also in New York City. He's on his way to the building. Bam Bam Bigelow plows Bret Hart over early, but Hart comes back with a drop kick and a clothesline that sends Bigelow out to the floor. Bret then stalks Luna Vachon, to which Randy Savage says, 
can't get in trouble for hitting a woman, implying that Luna Vachon is not a female. Back inside, Bret Hart dives off the ropes onto Bam Bam. Some kind of weird move there. I'm not really sure what they were going for, but Bret seems to injure his knee in the process of this odd dive off the middle rope. We head into a commercial break, and when we come back, Bret Hart selling his knee on the outside. Back inside, Bigelow with a back suplex for two. Brett then tries a crossbody attempt, but he's caught in a front power slam. Again, another two count by Bigelow. Bigelow then with some falling headbutts, but misses a third one. Hart back with a teardrop suplex by Bret Hart. The hell he's stealing his moves. Sorry, he's stealing Virgil's moves. And a drop kick and an elbow drop from Bret Hart gets two count. Bigelow comes back with his own drop kick and into a chin lock to send us into our second commercial of the match. Again, we come back. Bret Hart dodges a dropkick by holding the ropes from Bigelow. And a nice backdrop. Bret Hart executes a really nice... Bigelow really got up there. What an agile big man Bigelow is. And Bret Hart again goes back to an elbow drop for another two count. And now he steals the Virgil move. Russian leg sweep by the hitman. At this point, I realize, you know, Bret's really dominated most of this match. It is what it is. Bret seems to do that when guys will let him do that. He just kind of dominates most of the match, even against the heels. Clothesline by the hitman gets a near fall. Lots of offense by the babyface here as Brett locks in a sleeper hold. Bigelow runs forward, rams Brett head first into the buckle to get him uh, to break the hold. But it's Bret Hart up first, Steve. Bret Hart is up first somehow. It comes right back at it with a bulldog on Bam Bam Bigelow. He looks to go for the sharpshooter, but no, it's Jerry Lawler on the microphone. Where is he? He's up in the balcony with Stu and Helen Hart. Uh Uh-oh. And then the fun begins as Brett tries to jump out of the ring, climb over the rail, but Bigelow grabs him from behind, brings him back, and takes over control. Brett even eats the chest bump into the corner as Bigelow takes over on the offense after being distracted by Jerry Lawler, who's on the microphone mocking the hearts. Stu and Helen begins his verbal attack. He, he mocks Stu's voice. Eh, eh, what did you say? Eh. That's a pretty good job by Jerry Lawler there. Stu and Helen made more tragedies than Shakespeare, Steve. He tells Stu to put his false teeth in backwards so he could eat himself to death. He says Brett was so ugly as a baby, they diapered the wrong end for the first six months. And when they were young, the Dead Sea was only sick. He says Stu Hart has baseball eyes. Two baggers. Lots of Henny Youngman jokes here. Stu asks Lawler to challenge Brett to a match. Uh, duh, Stu. Uh, <laughs> Lawler has to remind him the match is already set. Where is it? Where is it, Brett? In the SummerSlam. In the SummerSlam. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Bam Bam Bigelow misses a somersault senton off the top rope, and Bret Hart lands a DDT. But instead of going for the cover, he jumps the rail and comes chasing up the steps after the King. But the King's already gone by the time the Hitman gets there. Bam Bam Bigelow wins this match on a countout in 18 minutes. And Hart checks on his parents. Bam Bam gets that win. I know Brett was pissed at the time. It's been confirmed. Bret Hart said he was very upset with the comments Lawler was making here to Stu and Helen. Uh, but they were just happy. He found out later after the fact. They were just happy being part of the show. They, they loved being part of that entire whole showbiz here. And Lawler, man, he just, he was given that opportunity to be an ass. And some of the things he was doing here was just an ass. <laughs> Mocking Stu's voice and telling him, uh, duh, the match already exists on paper. So it's good stuff from Lawler. Even if he didn't care for all the jokes, I still love that he just really went went for the throat there when given the opportunity. Yeah, I kind of like the jokes are okay. They are what they are. I just I don't know, man. Stu and Helen didn't do a very good job in their part. Like they were just over overwhelmed, just like sure. uh, Owen Hart was. Like it was a complete 
domination of Lawler just making these people look like idiots. He's just running circles around them. And um, to me, it kind of took away from it because I think if you're going to do something like that, the people that are taking it need to give out, give it out a little bit. I know Brett's the savior and that's what they're going for. That's fine. Whatever. I just felt like uh, Lawler just overwhelmed them and they didn't really have an opportunity to sound off or do anything to continue it. Or, you know, they just didn't get any, anything in and i just i I didn't care for it i I, it is what it is uh it's there i'm I'm sure people like it people remember it i remember as a kid seeing him there and brett chasing him up to the balcony i I still remember seeing that as a kid but it it just doesn't do anything for me yeah i i uh i love the heat uh i remember it from then i remember laughing i remember i must have been at my my, uh cousin jason's house actually i remember us both laughing at some of the lawler jokes not all of them but most of them because we hadn't heard him 80 times by this point. Lawler's told some of these repeatedly since that time. The Dead Sea and the, the, the putting your teeth in backwards and all that, eating yourself to death and all that. But at the time, everything was so different. There was a match going on, but there was a guy making fun of somebody's parents in the crowd. That wasn't something we saw every week on wrestling. So that was all really a different dynamic. But the older me appreciates him really just going in. That's just like classic old-timey heel shit. Like, you're not trying to uh, be anybody's friend. Uh, you're out there to get yourself over, get your storyline over, and you're going to take every advantage you get. And they, the hearts, they really open it up for Lawler to mock them <laughs> beyond telling the jokes. And that's what I loved about it was it, the heat worked in the long run. It certainly got him all the heat he needed, not just here, but continuing on going into SummerSlam. Jerry Lawler, uh, a different animal compared to a lot of the guys here in the WWF right now. I can agree with that. I'm with you there. Show continues on the SummerSlam report, and then it's Raw Girl Themis Clarity's in the ring in a bikini, Steve, as we get going with the next match. Harvey Whippleman out, carrying the urn. Mr. Hughes taking on Russ Greenberg. More black flowers delivered to ringside in the form of a wreath. Mr. Hughes picks up the win. Sidewalk slam three minutes, six seconds after the match. Hughes again destroys the wreath. As Bobby Heenan says, even President Clinton likes flowers on his desk every morning. Reference to Jennifer Flowers. She made a WrestleMania at one point there, interviewing The Rock. As we go on, WrestleMania the album comes out tomorrow, Steve. Be sure to head to Kmart and pick that up. Back to the ring, the Smoking Guns taking on Dwayne Gill and Glenn Ruth. Bang, bang! Still got the guns out there. Speaking of the guns, their timing seemed a little off this week in the ring. A lot of the double team moves seemed off, but it's the revolver on Glenn Ruth, which actually hits for once. The pile driver by Bart Gunn finally hits. Uh, but the match, way too long. Guns pick up the win, 4 minutes and 22 seconds. And this is where we get the Ludwig Borga vignette. We hear the Finnish national anthem playing in the background as we see some sort of promo Borga cut at some point and some of his uh, moves from his recent squash matches on TV. And back to the ring, Vince McMahon. I'm sorry, not back to the ring. We do the old sit-down, old-school interview pre-show so there's no crowd in attendance it's vince mcmahon sitting in an empty arena seat next to made in the usa lex luger lex says he loves being back in new york he made sure to drive the lex he had the lex express make a stop by the old uss intrepid great memories there huh lex not too long ago lex gets his shot at yokozuna at SummerSlam, and he's thrilled for the here's that mcmahonism he's thrilled for the opportunity steve Luger is fine with wearing the forearm pad, and this is where I wrote funny. He minded it before, just like you said earlier in the show. Vince wonders if Lex would mind being asked personal questions about his background. 
What kind of creepy shit is that? In the weeks to come, Luger welcomes all questions because we're all in this together, Steve. Uh, we're going to get to know Lex Luger in the weeks to come. He just completely talks different here. He acts different here. Different promo delivery. Different human being completely. It's just so abrupt, I can't get over the fact that this guy was just a narcissist a couple weeks ago. There's like nothing left of it at all. It's just a, it's a, it's like you picked up a different guy and put him here. Everything's just completely changed. Everything about him has changed. The Lex Express, though, rolls on to SummerSlam. Yeah, it's definitely like a complete 180 with really no rhyme or reason to it. I, I didn't care for these sit-down interviews. I thought it was a waste of time back in the day. Uh, I get it. You're trying to develop the character and get it over and all that. But as a kid, you just want to see the action. And seeing a dude sitting in an empty arena talking about stupid stuff does nothing for, did nothing for me. We're going to close out Monday Night Raw with Doink in the ring taking on Phil Apollo. He brings out the unicycle, but he doesn't ride it this week. I wrote, boo. Doink in the ring with the belly-to-belly suplex and the whoopee cushion flying butt drop. Gets the win in just 2 minutes and 31 seconds. Post-match, Doink calls out the Macho Boy. Calls him into the ring to go face-to-face, but Vince reminds Macho Man he can't get physical. So, since Macho won't go to Doink, Doink says he's going to go to the Macho Man. And Doink jumps out to the floor, gets near Savage's face, and gives him a little ooh-yeah of his own. Doink asks Savage why he got involved in his match with Marty Jannetty. Doink then challenges Savage to a match of his own, Doink versus Macho, one-on-one here on Raw. Doink says Savage won't be seeing double vision, but maybe triple vision. And at that point, we see a second Doink appear in the ring. And a third doink appear. Look, look at that up in the balcony. Vince McMahon overselling, jumping up and pointing. He has to point it out to everyone in attendance as well as us at home as he points to, there's a second one in the ring and a third one up in the balcony. There's three doinks. Son of a bitch. Three doinks. Oh my. As the Macho Man accepts the challenge, whether it's one, two, or three, the Macho Man going to, he's scheduled to wrestle doink next week, but Savage says he has a, Little surprise for Doink himself. Vince sells this shit out of everything, man. My goodness. It's awesome. He's so it is. It's it's excellent. It's so good. And I've always said it, the dude can sell his product better. Nobody can sell it better than than him. Because he knows exactly what he wants. So um, I feel like if Vince just, just put that put that effort into anything, he could sell anything. Buy this fucking water bottle. Just buy the shit. Bud light, motherfucker, get it. Like, I just really. Like, <laughs> <laughs> probably would, man. People would go buy it. Like, okay, sir. Yes, sir. And, and yes, if you sir, don't McMahon, get. I'll go buy it. Yes. And if you don't get Vince McMahon, then you're my grandfather. Because that would, he would walk in the room and hear this shit. And he would go, what the, f-? like, what the fuck is this guy? What is this shit? That, that's wrestling? <laughs> I, nah, it's Vince McMahon. <laughs> it's sports entertainment, pal. That's what I should have said to him back then. I want to. Been a little bit of trouble, probably. It's the but... promoter promoting promoting his shit. <laughs> That's all it is. And if you head to Kmart tomorrow, guys, remember you can pick up the new WrestleMania the album. And you remember that yes. WrestleMania song, don't you? Steve? You know the one I'm talking about. You know which one. Yeah, that one right there. WrestleMania rap going to close out this episode of Monday Night Raw as we move over to Superstars for July 31st, taped July 6th 
in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. Show opens with Jerry Lawler taunting Stu and Helen Hart from Monday Night Raw clips. And we go to Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and a laughing king uh, at Superstars. Lawler having fun at the expense of what he did to the Hart family. As we go to the ring, men on a mission with Oscar taking on the Brooklyn Brawler and Brian Costello. Uh, they're going to improve their neighborhood, says Jerry Lawler. They're going to tear it down to build a slum. So Jerry Lawler having some fun with men on a mission from the hood here. And old Uncle Mo in the ring with a dropkick on the Brooklyn Brawler. But then, and I thought that was a little impressive for a 300-pound Mo. But then old 500-pound Mabel comes right in afterwards and dropkicks Brian Costello. And everybody forgets about Uncle Mo then. It's the double elbow drop. And then Mo gets tagged in to climb to the top rope but he's standing on the wrong side apparently mo can only climb to the top rope by one side on one side of the post steve so he literally has to stop and walk around the ring post and then climb up on the other side just terrible unfortunately things i notice mo climbs up and comes off the top rope with a double axe handle i wrote ugh and then the spin kick of death i wrote this should be the finish but it was the finish so that was it the men on a mission pick up the win in two minutes in 16 seconds and uh as mabel landed the the spin kick of death we got a new line we've heard what a maneuver repeatedly right steve well now we got what a maneuver by mabel mabel gets his own name thrown what a maneuver by mabel the spin kick of death always a what a maneuver (laughs) in my book and post-match it's instant replay time we see the finish as jerry lawler busts out the magistrator lawler then (laughs) takes a page out of brett's book Brett and all of his talk lately of orcas and beached whales. Lawler draws Mabel into a Shamu on the screen. As we head on to face-to-face in the Peacock, Marty Jannetty talks about Shawn Michaels and looking to take that Intercontinental title back. Also, we hear from Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon. And then Shawn Michaels, as usual, sucking up or paying up, comes up with another way of taking that title back with this big bodyguard or insurance policy, as he calls it, Diesel. Well, let me tell you something, Shawn Michaels. You don't get credit for where you start. You get credit for what you finish. And I'm going to finish what you started. I think you very well stated, Marty Gennetti. Also joining us this week, a uh, couple of individuals, Bam Bam Bigelow, here along with his uh, girlfriend. Hey, 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 hey. What? It's my main squeeze. Oh, that's sweetheart, Luna Vachon. You know, Bam Bam, later on in the hour, Luna's going to be meeting sensational Sherry, but you've got some unfinished business, or should I say Tatanka has some unfinished business with you. Oh, yeah, you got to say Tatanka has some unfinished business with me. Well, let's put it this way. I'm going to finish the business once and for all. I'm going to beat the Indian for the first time in his career. You know, that's really not any way to talk about great Native Americans like Tatanka. What do you mean, great Native American? What kind of Indian has a phony red mark, a yellow streak (laughs) on his back? Making me sick! Where where do I go with that, Uh, Bam Bam? That woman is out of control. I'll tell you where you go. You go and you buy a ticket and you watch exactly what will happen to Tatanka because he will go down. Pity the poor soul that would have to live with that. Thank you very much, Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon. And Face to Face just keeps rolling on. Madison Square Garden for August 13th. Doink the Clown taking on the one, two, three kid. And then Gene has to cut Doink off so he can talk to the Macho Man as well. It's fun stuff. Everybody's got to fit into one one promo here. Let's take a listen to Mean Gene, Doink the Kid, and the Macho Man. Joining me right now, a young man who is going to be debuting. You know, one, two, three kid, 
Madison Square Garden is the mecca for the World Wrestling Federation. It is the most uh, talked about sports facility in the world. It's got to be a real honor for you to be there. Oh, me and Gene, you don't know how much of an honor it is. You know, <laughs> this is the greatest sports facility in the world, just like you said. And I've never been there as a kid growing up. I've always wanted to go there just to even see something. Now I can't believe I'm actually performing. I'm actually wrestling <laughs> in front of all oh, these this people. Is the what, are you, what are you laughing about? <laughs> oh, it's just great to be here. I've always dreamed of coming to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> well, when I look at you, kid, whoa, whoa, Doink, that's just listen, what I see as a kid. What? I am not going to sit here and let you be sarcastic. Well, how do you expect me to take this, this thing very seriously? Humble... Forget it, Doink. You're out of here. <laughs> the one, two, three kid, a humble young man who is going to be debuting in the garden. I'll tell you what. He is so modest, and he is so good. Doink, you might be in for a surprise. I think you will. Here's one we're talking about, a challenge match. The self-proclaimed king, Jerry Lawler, meeting my guest at this time. I said you're headed for the Hall of Fame, Macho Man. Here's a couple of broadcasters. What happened? Did this all start when you guys were doing superstars? Absolutely, and I don't like the way he's been acting toward uh, Brett the Hitman Hart's appearance. And it's just hard for me to sit in a chair and do my broadcasting when a goof sitting next to me is doing this thing. And I can't do anything about it. President Jack Tunney's got me on restrictions. Yeah, got on the telephone and made the call to the president. Now I got my wish. Madison Square Gardens, Friday the 13th. I'm going to take Jerry Lawler and I'm going to do the hitman a favor and slap him big time. Do you believe me, Mean Gene? I believe you. I'm going to be there in the garden on Friday the 13th, the Supercard. How do you want me to take this meeting? Even Doink having fun with the one, two, three kid promos at this point. Matt Bourne seizing the opportunity there with the kid's terrible promo. <laughs> How do you want me to take this seriously, Gene? Good stuff by Doink the Clown. That is good shit. Like, it's the promo, and, you know, he's facing the kid, and why should he take it serious, you know? So, uh, excellent work by Bourne there. We go on. Howie D brings some more goodness here from the Anaheim Arena. We're going to listen to another promo from the Macho Man. This time, he's talking face-to-face with Harvey Whippleman. I don't know if that's the case when the eight-foot-tall giant Gonzalez, managed by Harvey Whippleman, meets my guest at this time, Macho Man Randy Savage. I understand that you're rather looking forward to this particular meeting. Absolutely one million percent. It's my official get back into the ring party. Yeah. And Saturday night, August the 21st, right here in Anaheim. Yeah, it's going to happen. I'm going to beat Giant Gonzalez. You know, Macho Man, uh, can I interrupt you? Have you ever been part of a card quite like this one? I mean, this is spectacular. This is a super card of super cards, and I'm just happy to be on the card. But I'll guarantee you one thing. I'm going to be watching The Undertaker, Mr. Hughes, kind of related giant Gonzalez well, uh, yeah. excuse me Randy but uh, Harvey Whippleman all of this seems to be bothering you oh it's not bothering me you know what Southern California has been starved for a winning franchise the Dodgers are a bunch of losers oh. the Rams are horrible no but I've got a winning franchise because Mr. Hughes is going to knock the Undertaker clear out of California. And then, Randy Savage, you've got to step in the ring with a man Thank that's you, superhuman. We'll find out. And it's always nice to hear a Macho Man promo, Steve. That's why that one got in there. As we go back to the ring, Adam Bomb with Johnny Polo in his corner taking on Tony DeVito. As Vince McMahon refers to the red eyeliner under Adam Bomb's eyes as red slime under the eyes. So that's apparently red slime. Under Adam, that's probably how Vince envisioned it when he told him to do this. Yeah, it'll look like red slime. It'll be great. Maybe if we could just, we could, we let's let's. Can we do something where we put some kind of gadget under his eyelid and then uh, red slime oozes out? I could see Vince wanting that done. 
as the action I'm goes sure. on, Adam I'm Bomb, sure. Adam Bomb with the slingshot clothesline and the Adam Smasher, two minutes and twenty three seconds as they're still trying to get over that total destruction tagline that just never works. Update on the Lex Express. It's coming to an area near you. Right now they're working. I think they started in Philadelphia, through Pennsylvania, through Ohio, into Michigan. I don't know where they go from there. Well, I think Chicago. And I think that's where the Lex Express ends up by the end of this episode of The Grenade. Show goes on, though. Mr. Hughes with Harvey in the urn taking on Jason Headings. And we continue with those localized promos cutting into a lot of these matches, these squash matches. And another wreath delivery, Steve, so you know what's going to happen after this one. Hughes with a drop kick on Headings makes him Jason Headless, I wrote. And a big boot and a sidewalk slam, not to be outdone by Mabel, who had a what a maneuver. Here's Mr. Hughes with what a maneuver. What a maneuver by Hughes! Vince running out of ideas here. Two in the same show. What a maneuver by Hughes! And of course, post-match, Mr. Hughes picks up that win in a minute and 58 seconds with that sidewalk slam and then destroys the wreath as he continues. Uh, Undertaker continues to play mind games with Hughes. I don't know that they're working at this point. It's the King's Court time. Jerry Lawler interviews the Undertaker, but this King's Court is actually from the upcoming wrestling challenge, so we'll save it for there. As we go back to the ring, the head shrinkers with Afa taking on Brett Tyler and Dave Thornburg, and another attack by the head shrinkers, and they murder these poor job guys. A double clothesline just knocks Tyler completely out. He's just dead in the middle of the ring as they drag him over and force him to tag in Thornburg. Then it's Tyler who lays dead in the corner for the remainder of the match. The Samoans then with an assisted powerbomb on Thornburg, and now both job guys laying in the ring dead. The Samoan Fatu look at Tyler. They look at Thornburg. They're both laying dead. What do they do next? Why, they start beating the shit out of each other, Steve. I wrote, LOL, wouldn't it have been cool if Samu and Fatu were number one and two in the Royal Rumble at some point? They would just beat the shit out of each other for two minutes, don't you think? Oh, that'd be great. So, I want to see that. Yeah, it was, it's, it's good stuff, but this was, it was actually a pretty fun sight here. They look at one job guy, he's dead. They look at the other job guy, he, uh, they have nobody left to beat up, Steve, so they start beating the shit out of each other until Afa yells at them to get it together, and Fatu climbs to the top rope and hits the splash on Thornburg. Three minutes and two seconds. I wrote, fun match. I love the, the head shrinkers. I wish they had gotten more time on top here. Yeah, I do too. They were a good team. They had a long run, though, together, you know, going back to NW89. Yeah, going back to Dallas. Head shrinkers, yeah, going so. back to, yeah, Dallas, yeah. To, to the NWA, to, to the WWF. Yeah, they certainly did have a nice, nice long run, did Fatu and Samu. And it's SummerSlam report time, guys. We learned there's an intercontinental title match now added to the pay-per-view. Shawn Michaels going to finally defend on TV against Mr. Perfect, which I was, I was marking out for at the time, Steve. Not so much when it was taking place, but oh my God, when they announced this, I was excited. Yeah, me too. How can you not be? And I know they started promoting it as like one of the greatest matches in the history of the WWF like before it even happened, which seems to be the death sentence uh, known history. Yeah, who, who wouldn't be excited for this one? Also, during the SummerSlam report, we hear from the hitman, Bret Hart, as he talks about taking on Jerry Lawler in the SummerSlam. <laughs> you know, when people want to find out what really irks me, what really ticks me off, it's when somebody like Jerry Lawler stoops so low and has the utter audacity to drag my poor family into things. When I go in the ring, I do my job, but I like to keep my family separate. So, Jerry Lawler, when you go up into the stands and stand there and insult and humiliate my mother and father, that's when you've gone too far. 
And what you did to my brother Owen, again, you've gone too far because you've dragged this thing to a higher level. Now I am going to destroy you in the SummerSlam. I look forward when I walk to the ring in the SummerSlam, it's going to be like when I see that ring, it's going to look like scaffold. And when I see the scaffold, it's going to remind me of the old days when they used to take those kings and chop their heads off. Well, that's what's going to happen to you in the SummerSlam when the real king wipes you out. Can Brett say that enough? In the SummerSlam. Can't get enough of that in the SummerSlam, in the Survivor Series. Brett's just in these papers. We'll have that one in all a couple up, months. All up in there. <laughs> you know it's coming. In the SummerSlam. Oh, <laughs> in the Royal Rumble. Well, that one kind of makes sense, though. Kind of. If he's in the Royal Rumble. He's in the match. Yeah, right. <laughs> 94, he will be. In the WrestleMania. Hopefully we get one of those, we get one of those promos. In December, like late December for the Rumble, and Brett's in it. Yeah. That would be- in the Royal Rumble. That'd be tremendous. One last send off. Maybe can- we can do like a Brett of the Week at Brett the end of, of the, at the, Brett- end of this oh, I don't run. know if I want to listen to that. I don't know if that's as comical as Virgil. Oh. Certainly not as entertaining. Oh, you do me just mean more. Yeah, dude, all you gotta do is just do Bread of the Week, Bread of the Week, and all it has to do is him saying, in the Royal Rumble. Maybe well, splice them all together for all four pay per views. <laughs> or five. Five, yeah. Damn, five. We love you, Hitman. <laughs> <laughs> Show goes on back to the ring. Mr. Perfect taking on Glenn Ruth. Tim White catches the towel this week. Perfect swats the gum. And away we go with the nasty dropkick by Kurt Hennig on Glenn Ruth here. Chop, chop, slap, says the Macho Man, because it's exactly what Pinnick does here. Chops the shit out of Glenn Ruth, and then a slap across the face. Throw, throws him into the steel t- steps. I don't think Ruth saw that coming. I wrote LOLOL. It popped me. I didn't see it coming. Just sent Glenn Ruth headfirst into the steel steps, made him go flying. As Vince McMahon sounds like, oh, he accidentally, it was almost like the heel Bobby Heenan deal here. He's like, oh, he accidentally did that. He slipped. He was trying to help him back in the ring. Vince making excuses for Kurt Hennig, who picks up the win here with the perfect plex in a minute and 55 seconds. It's the Ludwig Vorga video one more, once more. And then it's that time again. It's time for the Wrestle, you know which song I'm talking the WrestleMania, the album release party, Steve. Here it is again. That one right there. As we go back to face to face on Peacock, we hear from Shawn Michaels and Doink the Clown. The reigning Intercontinental Champion joining me this week along with his bodyguard, Diesel, Shawn Michaels. Uh, we've just seen Mr. Perfect in action. No question about it. This guy hot on your heels. That's right. And Mr. Perfect, what an athlete. Supposedly the greatest athlete in the World Wrestling Federation. One of the very best. But you know something? Everything he does, I can do. And I can do better. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying. There's guys that are good, and there are guys that are great. Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan, for example. Pippen, great player. Jordan, the best. Announcers, you can get along with this. That, uh, you know, that McMahon, McMahon guy. Uh, Vince McMahon, that, yes. Uh, Pettengill, that mm-hmm. uh, Jim Ross, the Oklahoma oh. Sooner. Oh. I mean, sooner or later, he'll get good. I mean, but then there's Gene Oakland. You are the best at what you do. I can't help it. I'm the best at wrestling. But what can I say? Uh, can, I, can I ask Diesel a question? You know, I, I realize you take care of travel arrangements, handle a little luggage. You're a valet, essentially, and uh, try to keep some hey, hey, very hey, ambitious and aggressive. What, what exactly, what role do you play in the life of the Intercontinental Champion, Sean Michaels? I'm the insurance policy, and I'm the biggest enigma the WWF has right now. <laughs> you guys really believe that, don't you? He knows it. He's the biggest, baddest thing to walk down the pike in a long time, and sooner or later, somebody 
who gets in my way is going to find out what I'm talking about. All right, I thank you very much, gentlemen. You managed to offend Scotty Pippen, my broadcast colleagues, and a host of other people. I hope you're happy now. Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels. Speaking of offending people, the man that is joining me right now has offended a lot of people of all ages, but especially children. Doink the Clown. I guess I, I heard somebody you are a sick puppy at times. Oh, gee. Oh, and you delight so, in that, don't you? Sometimes I look around and this whole world just seems so hopeless. <laughs> and that's what really makes me laugh. <laughs> because I look around to all of the wrestlers in the WWF, and there's so many of them that are setting their goals just a little bit too far out of reach. <laughs> And me, me, I want nothing more than what I've got coming to me. And whether it be cutting a record or taking a title. All right. Nothing is too far out of thank the reach. Thank you very much. Th thank you, Doink the Clown. Is this guy too much? And if you didn't get enough of your Shawn Michaels there, the New York market coming August 27th to the Nassau Coliseum. Shawn defending against Razor Ramon, intercontinental title on the line there. All right, joining me right now, Razor Ramon, the man who is going to be challenging you, Shawn Michaels, with Diesel at your side for the intercontinental title out at the Nassau County Coliseum on August the 27th. I notice you're not perspiring, Mr. Michaels. I don't ever perspire. Yeah, you never sweat. let him see you sweat. See, you know something? Razor Ramon is on a winning streak like the Mets are on a winning streak. You got about as much chance of winning the Intercontinental title as the Mets do winning the World Series. You're looking at the wrestler of the 90s, the man that sits on top of the mountain looking down on everybody else. And Ray's, quite frankly, I know that isn't going to change. Razor Ramon, I think he's trying to call you Anthony Young. Can you believe it? Who? Anth Anthony, well, he's not had a real winning record, yeah. suffice to say. Oh, thanks a lot, Gene Me, mm -hmm. Yo, kid, heartbreak kid, who you trying to convince, man? Me or you? You talking about how good you are? I'm better. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm faster. I'm meaner. And I'm way better looking. And you know right something? Right here, Nassau, Supercard. Mm -hmm. All the chicas coming to see the bad guy. You know something? What? You say all that stuff, and I've never heard a lot of superstars in the World Wrestling Federation claiming all that same type of stuff. They're bigger, they're faster, they're stronger, they're meaner than Shawn Michaels. But you know what I, I can't seem to figure out is, then how come they don't have the Intercontinental Championship? We're going you know, to find that, out, that, huh? That We're going to find out. I don't out. quite understand. August you want to know why? Right here. Because being bad, being big, doesn't make you the wrestler of the 90s. Shawn Michaels is far beyond everybody in the World Wrestling Federation, and you know that's not going to change. And then it's over to Anaheim. It's more goodness from Doink the Clown and the one 2 3 kid With all of these high-priced athletes, it's so refreshing to see somebody like you. You've got your work cut out for you. I know you're looking forward to coming here to town. Oh, it's going to be fantastic coming to town. And you know something, Mean Gene? It's just been great. All the fans have been getting behind me. <laughs> and I got Doink here, you know, and it's just, he's a great wrestler. I know that. I don't know if there's going to be two Doinks or whatever, but it's just going to be, I know it's going to be tough, Mr. Uh, Mr. Oakland. Well, uh, you know, kid, I'll tell you what, I appreciate your attitude. At least you have called it the way you see it. It is going to be a tough match. Doink the Clown, actually, he's paying you kind of a backhanded compliment. <laughs> Gotta say that. I called the way I see it, too, Gene. 
How's that? <laughs> and I see this great sensation. <laughs> One, two, three, kid. East coast to west coast to the south to the north. He doesn't know how to act. And then he's got to look at me. <laughs> and what is he going to do? <laughs> I'm so confused. <laughs> doink, doink. The one, two, three kid, in my opinion, is enough of a gentleman that he is not going to respond to your insults. I hope enough you're aware of, of that. Enough of a gentleman. He looks like he's right out of daycare. <laughs> and you want me to take things seriously? <laughs> well, you take a look at some of the things he has done in front of a national television audience recently in New York City. He brought the house down. Please don't underestimate this young man. Well, do you think he's going to make a clown out of me? <laughs> Respond to that if you would, please, kid. Well, you know, Doink, I know you're a fantastic wrestler, but if you don't give it 100%, you might just get surprised just like a lot of other people around here have. Well, you know, one, That's two, three, kid, if you don't give it 100%, Gentlemen, you'll be here in one, two, I three. thank you. Looking at Ladies the ceiling. Thanks, <laughs> Doink, uh, just owning the one, two, three, kid. I do like that they're giving the kids some of these face-to-faces on the undercard to try to teach him how to cut a promo, even if he's not doing a very good job yet? <laughs> yeah, just give him experience with nobody paying attention, really. <laughs> so, uh, makes sense. Show rolls on. It's supposed to be the feature match of the week. Sensational Sherry taking on Luna Vachon. That feud started all the way back at WrestleMania 9. It'll culminate here, uh, but not with a finish, Steve. Sherry out first, dressed like she's headed to my bedroom. Then it's Luna out, but she's got a cast on her arm. She's also got Bam Bam Bigelow by her side. Bigelow gets on the mic. He claims that Sherry hurt Luna, which she did. She broke her wrist on the house shows. And that hurts Bam Bam. If Luna's hurt, Bigelow's hurt. Aw. Bammer says he's sick of Sherry's face, and maybe he should knock it off. Wow. He says, Sherry is a... And she doesn't allow him to finish that sentence before she slaps him across the face. Sherry slaps Bam Bam Bigelow, and he backs her into the corner, holds her by the chin, threatens to punch her right in the face, Steve, just like he said. But Luna Vachon sneaks up from behind on the apron and begins to choke Sherry. She's choking Sherry out in the corner when it's Tatanka to the rescue. And what do you do when you make a rescue? It's tomahawk chops galore all over the one, two, three, four tomahawk chops. Finally sends Bam Bam out of the ring. Tatanka too busy yelling at Bam Bam Bigelow on the floor to give a shit about Sherry still being choked out in the corner by Luna for another good 30 seconds before he turns around and realizes, oh yeah, the whole reason I came out here to begin with. Luna jumps off the apron to escape anything Tatanka might do with her. Tatanka finally heads toward her. She releases Sherry, and Tatanka checks on Sherry in the corner. I'm assuming the match you would call it a no contest. I'd have to imagine it never really got started. On commentary, Lawler says Luna had to run away from Tatanka because she's scheduled for Miss Universe. Savage quickly replies, yeah, Miss Uranus. So she's from, she's from Uranus, Steve. And uh, they continue on with the segment. <laughs> They're doing all this talking. Uh, Vince McMahon putting over Bam Bam and Luna, the Bam Bam and Tatanka feud. Sherry and Afterthought, unfortunately, we'll get to that in a second. And then just as the show concludes, several seconds later, Vince McMahon just goes, Uranus? And then that's how we end the show. So Vince selling it at the at the very end there for those guys. Yeah, I popped Savage saying uh, she's the entrant from planet Uranus yeah, from, into the Miss Universe contest. Yeah, from Uranus. <laughs> that's good uh, shit. Sadly, this would mark the end of uh, Sensational Sherry, her long run from 1987 to 1993 here in the WWF. We won't see her again until uh, she gets in the ring and sings a little sexy Kurt and he makes her ankle hurt. 
They did try to spark a little more of the Bam Bam Tatanka feud here. We haven't seen them do much of anything besides those face-to-face promos for weeks now. Uh, And so we got a little bit here. It wasn't a whole lot. Tatanka comes to the rescue of Sherry, but this is the last we see of Sherry on WWF TV, her first big long run here with the company. Sad day. Yeah, lots of uh, good stuff. Woman's champion, managed Macho King. She'll most be remembered for that. Of course, she's with Michaels, with DiBiase for a cup of coffee as well. And uh, here we are, though, and Sherry Martell gone from the company. We move on, though. WWF Mania, uh, Todd Pettengill and the Macho Man. The story here throughout this episode, Todd wants to know what Macho's little secret is for Raw. The Mania exclusive this week, none. As we go to Spotlight, listen to this one. Barn Burner, July 31st, Spotlight, Blake Beverly pins Virgil. Six minutes and 16 seconds, Virgil with a crossbody, Blake rolls over on top to steal the win. What a match. As we conclude this episode of the Grenade Wrestling Challenge for August 1st, taped July 7th in Salisbury, Maryland, Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary as we kick things off with a big challenge match. Million Dollar Man taking on the one two three kid before the match. DiBiase on the mic reminds everyone that Razor Ramon was beaten and embarrassed by this nobody one two three kid. Kid pinned Razor, then took his money. DiBiase hopes Ramon is watching at home so he can see what a real man, the Million Dollar Man, can do to this kid. The kid is built from Tampa, Florida here, which is kind of interesting in the future. He's from Minnesota, which. He actually is, but he was trained by the great Boris Malenko down there in Tampa, so a little respect, a little homage there to Boris Malenko, at least early here in the kid's career in the WWF. The kid looks for a handshake early, but DiBiase goes to work right thereafter. Kid comes back with a nice spin kick for a near fall and a backslide again. Nearly pins DiBiase. Million Dollar Man misses a charge, and the kid off the top rope with the moonsault body block. The same move he used to pin the Razor Ramon. Can he pin DiBiase the same way? No. DiBiase kicks out at two. The kid then runs into a hot shot by DiBiase, and then a pile driver by the Million Dollar Man gets a two count because Ted pulls him up. Might be a big mistake there. DiBiase continues in control with a power slam and then locks in the Million Dollar Dream. But Razor Ramon is in the arena, Steve. Out comes the bad guy down to ringside, which distracts DiBiase. Not necessarily in a bad way. He releases the Million Dollar Dream, but only so he can show up Razor Ramon as he plans to beat the 1-2-3 kid nonchalantly. DiBiase lays across the kid's chest as the referee counts one, two, but the kid hooks DiBiase's arms and rocks him back into a crucifix cradle. One, two, three, he has done it again. The 1-2-3 kid pins the million-dollar man. Three minutes and 33 seconds. The kid pins Ted DiBiase and gets the hell out of the ring. Runs past Razor Ramon. Not sure if I was a big fan of that. The kid rolls out of the ring, runs past Razor, leaves ringside as Razor is left laughing his ass off, pointing at Ted DiBiase, and DiBiase is hot at the bad guy, pissed off that the kid beat him, and the officials have to hold DiBiase back. He's trying everything to get at Razor Ramon, who rolls in the ring, and he has three things to say. One, you got beat by the one, two, three kid. Two, you got beat by the kid. And three, you got beat by the kid as the crowd then begins the one, two, three chance. An excellent job with the kid thus far. I feel like they have done nothing short of a fantastic job booking this one, two, three kid storyline and watching this Razor DiBiase segment unfold again all these years later makes me care far more about it here in 2022 
than I did in 93. I remember watching this and popping huge for the kid, but I was so engulfed in the kid's storyline, I really didn't take in the the storyline they were telling with Razor and DiBiase. Did I know the reason why they were fighting at the upcoming SummerSlam? Absolutely. But at the same time, I didn't realize how well these two sold it to to make the match actually matter at the pay-per-view. It felt almost, to me, at the pay-per-view at that time in 93 as a throwaway match. Yeah, there was a backstory, but I didn't really feel the heat. But now that I can watch it and focus on these two, they're doing a great job. They are. Uh, this is really good. Short match, but it did what it was supposed to. Ted dominated. Kid got lucky again. That's perfect. And then Razor just busting laughing in Ted's face. I'm sure uh, that's all he had to do was just laugh at him because it was so funny. And I think that was an excellent way to get the heat. And Ted is just a phenomenal seller when it comes to those things. There's very few people that are better than him when things don't go his way uh, at the way he sells. So um, excellent job all around by everybody involved. And uh, I like it. Yeah, and I was really happy they left IRS completely out of this segment. For now. You know, they left him out for now. Yeah. It's another <laughs> Lex Express on-the-go highlight. Before we go back to the ring, Adam Bomb over Tony Webb with the top rope clothesline and the Adam Smasher in just a minute and 35 seconds. More face-to-face in the New York market, more Bret Hart and Yokozuna. Fuji and Bret are not a great debate, so I will not play this audio here for anybody. And, uh... The problem with this particular promo, though, Steve, was uh, their rebuttal was uh, similar. Fuji would say something, and Brett would go, no, you are. And then Brett would say something, and Fuji would go, no, that's you, boy son. So basically, it's just, no, you, no, you. Uh, really terrible promo here from Fuji and Brett the Hitman Heart. So I'll save you guys any more than that. So you go back to the ring, smoking guns, taking on Damian Demento, who's now basically a job guy here, teaming with Barry Horowitz. Uh, so Demento's still here, for now, anyway. No bell here. I couldn't hear a bell. I went back. I like to time these matches. I'm a little anal about those things, but no bell here. But the match begins anyway. Demento on Bark Gun early, but Billy in for a double Russian leg sweep for a one count. Damian Demento making sure to kick out on one. Billy runs Demento into Demento's elbow, and Damian makes the tag to Horowitz, who takes over, but he misses a middle rope leg drop, and that's when the guns take over. They nail a drop kick, sending Demento off the apron. And then it's the new body breaker into uh, Bart Gun picks Horowitz up into the body breaker. Billy off the top rope with what I think is an elbow drop. Double team move. Guns pick up the win. Two minutes and 10 seconds. Anything to add there? The new finisher, Damien Demento in this role, anything? No. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. I just wanted to leave that open. (laughs) Show rolls on with the SummerSlam report. It's another Brett promo. He says Lawler went too far with Owen, Stu, and Helen Hart in the recent week. And he's going to destroy Lawler. Where's Steve? In the SummerSlam. There you go. And just signed, Shawn Michaels defends his title against Mr. Perfect. Should be a classic, says Mean Gene. I wrote, should be, Mean Gene. Should be. Show goes on. It's a bastion booger squash over a guy online called Scott Vito. Sounded more like Scott Vega there on, on the announce, ring announcer, but I, I'd have no idea. Anyway, it's a power slam, a little bit of a dance, and a trip to the Batcave. As Booger picks up the win in just a minute and five seconds. WrestleMania, the album has been released. It's the WrestleMania album release party video here. As we see a little bit of the Summer Slam Jam music video. And back to the ring, Tatanka takes on Iron Mike Sharp. Again, no bell. Somebody stole the bell, Steve. Tim White out here refereeing this match. Mike Sharp gets in the token heel offense so that Tatanka can make his comeback. And the Papoose to go. 
in two minutes and 25 seconds. And it's time for the King's Court and the Undertaker, who is also who we already know he's without the urn. He's also without Paul Bearer still at this point. The King tries to joke with the Undertaker, but Taker doesn't respond. Something is missing, says Lawler. All the peasant fans work at that blue collar job to make money just to have possessions. Taker is missing his prize possession, the urn. Mr. Hughes has the urn, and he has vowed to stuff the Undertaker inside it, says the king. Taker finally hears enough, grabs Lawler and the microphone. By his hand, Lawler steps to the side and sells his hand like the Undertaker crushed it, while the Taker gets on the mic, and he has a message for Mr. Hughes. If Hughes returns the urn now, he will make his demise short and painless. But if Taker has to come looking for his urn, he promises Mr. Hughes it'll be slow, agonizing, and a painful death. The Undertaker promising death on Mr. Hughes here. He says Mr. Hughes will rest in peace. Not a fucking mention of the Giant Gonzalez. I wrote again, why even have that match? This should be Taker and Hughes at SummerSlam. Uh, as the lights go out to end the segment, Bobby Heenan says he finally learns what RIP means. Ross is a pickpocket. I had to note here, Steve, the Undertaker looked absolutely ridiculous cutting a promo by himself on a stage with a pink curtain backdrop. Doesn't fit the gimmick at all. No, it looked <laughs> That's stupid. for sure. It did. It really did. It should we, have done dim the lights or something to fit the character a little bit better, I think. Yeah, during the promo, absolutely, I agree. That, that would have definitely have made things a lot better than, than standing in front of a pink curtain here by the Undertaker. Uh, so uh, we close the show. It's another Quebecers match. Jacques and Pierre taking on Joey Mags and Tony tomorrow, And they make it clear, Steve. We're not the Mounties! No, we're not! No, they're not the Mounties because they didn't want a lawsuit. So this is Vince McMahon's way of sticking it to the Canadians and sticking it to the Mounties by bringing Jacques Rougeau back dressed as the Mountie, but claiming that... We're not the Mounties! No, we're not! They're not as the big man Tony DeMaro's handshake brings Jacques Rougeau to his knees. But Jacques Rougeau right back up with a drop kick and a kip up. And even the cradle pile driver again as Jacques backdrops Pierre into a somersault. On top of DeMaro, the match goes on. Joey Mags tags in with a couple of drop kicks on Pierre, which stuns him, but he runs into a Pierre power slam. And then it's Le Bombe de Rougeau as once again they remind us. We're not the Mounties! No, we're not! They're not, Steve. I swear, they're not the Mounties. Jacques Rougeau with the spike slam into the Boston Crab, and Pierre, off the middle rope with the leg drop, picks up the win. Two minutes, ten seconds. I wrote, instant number one heel team for me. Good shit, pal. Not only are they entertaining, but they're really innovative in the ring, really good wrestling stuff. Jacques Rougeau has done more in the last two weeks at the Quebecers than I feel like he did offensively as the Mountie in that entire run. <laughs> You're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. I think he was just having fun with the gimmick as the Mountie. And uh, here he's like putting in the work to put on decent matches and wants to get some legs under this one. So um, different mindset. I'm, he's still having fun and doing his thing, but he's it's different mindset for him, I'm sure. One more face-to-face here on Wrestling Challenge as we head to Nassau in the New York market. Shawn Michaels defending that intercontinental title against Razor Ramon. Joining me right now is uh, Razor Ramon, That's me. and also joining us, along with his bodyguard, Diesel, his valet. I don't know what exactly his role <laughs> is, Shawn Michaels, the Intercontinental Champion. Yes, sir. Tisk, tisk, tisk. You know, I understand the phrase, when the horse throws you, you get right back on. I see Razor, 
I understand you suffered probably without a doubt the most embarrassing loss of your career. And I don't, I don't mean to laugh. I understand. One, two, three, kid. What a competitor, really. But do you really think that you're ready to handle the caliber of Shawn Michaels, the Intercontinental Champion? Jack, you can't get past one, two, three, kid. Now you're dealing with the wrestler of the 90s. Who are you trying to convince there, heartbreak kid? You or me? Obviously, somebody in the WWF thinks I'm ready because I got the title shot. You know, it goes how you look at it, man. It's such big news that the bad guy gets beat that everybody in the Federation takes notice. Maybe it took a little stumble to make the bad guy hit his stride. You know something, now, Razor? I with that kind of outlook, for you. if you think defeats are what's going to make you here in the World Wrestling Federation, oh, and yeah. Shawn Michaels is going to make you a star, Jack, oh, yeah. because you got no chance against him. Stop right there. I think you're trying to swerve me, Michaels. What about Diesel? What is his role in all of this? Why don't you ask the big man okay, himself? Okay, say something. Hey, I'm just here to keep the chicks off the champ. He don't need no help with the big Cuban. Yeah, that's good, because you can't give it to him. See, See you it. in Nassau, Chico. And just more good stuff from two guys who know how to talk, and they know each other pretty damn well by this point. And they're just having a little fun going at it there. Razor Ramon and Shawn Michaels headed to Nassau. And as we pointed out, they'll continue to head everywhere for the next God knows how long. It's <laughs> good shit, pal. It is indeed. Next week on Challenge, the 123 Kid will join Jerry Lawler on the King's Court, and the Lex Express tour dates appear on the screen one more time. On WWF and TSN for August 1st, it's a Bam Bam Bigelow and Tatanka face-to-face. Another good one here is uh, these guys have a little fun, or at least Bam Bam has a little fun. Tatanka has a hard time keeping up sometimes in these promos. Tatanka and Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam, you started this feud. Well, you know something, Raymond. Let's get the facts right and get them right, right here for everybody to know. Who jumped who from behind, Ray? Well, the fact was very clear. You jumped Tatanka from behind. Oh, no, 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 no. I was up there with somebody else, and he stuck his fingers in my soup, and now it's my turn to bite him off. And at the Atkins Center, Friday, September 10th, Tatanka, I took your scalp once! I'm not only gonna take it again, but I'm gonna take that undefeated title away from you. You're going down. You know, Tatanka, it seems like Bam Bam is blaming you for this feud. What do you have to say about that? You know, Ray, the beast of the East speaks with a forked tongue. He does not tell the full truth. I came to the aid of a friend, Sherry. What happened when I helped her? Well, Bam Bam Bigelow had to attack me from behind. But yeah, Bigelow, you had to take it one step further. Yeah, Wicked Witch of the East, won't you shut your mouth? Bigelow had to take it one step further. And you had to cut the most sacred symbol that I carry every day, which symbolizes all my Native Americans and all my people. And Bam Bam Bigelow, this is something that you have to live this for. Ain't this is something you have to pay you, for. Me and your people. It's me and you. Well, and you, Bigelow, I'm going to be ready for you, Bigelow. Prepare your yeah. soul. Fans, this takes place Friday, September 10th. So until next week for TSN, Gorilla Monsoon saying so long, everybody. All right, and we're going to close out this week's Grenade, Steve. It's All-American for August 1st. Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan 
who's walking around trying to use a camcorder, filming everything, getting on Bean Jean's nerves. The All-American exclusive this week, Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, July 6th. It's the kid pinning Damian Demento in 3 minutes and 57 seconds. So there you go. The kid got to pin Damian Demento, and it was awful. It was ugly. Damian Demento fucks every spot in this matchup, having to bump for the kid. I wrote sloppy as shit, so the kid actually has to cover everything and lands a DDT when you could tell he wasn't supposed to. Demento had no idea what the hell, which way he was going. And the kid off the top rope with the leg drop to get the win there on Damian Demento in less than four minutes. I wrote, Damian Demento is the worst shit of 1993. Amen, brother. Amen. And as Bobby Heenan <laughs> got on Gene Okerlund's nerve for, for the entire episode of All-American, Gene has one final comment for Bobby Heenan as we close this episode of All-American Wrestling. You are an absolute idiot. Fun stuff there by mean Gene Oakland. As we head into the month of August, Gene Oakland calling Bobby Heenan. First, he whacks the shit out of him a couple weeks ago with a life preserver. And this week, you are an absolute idiot. So uh, these two are so fun together. I don't know what happens yeah, they are. Uh, when, when Gene takes off here pretty soon. But we are heading into August, Steve. That means lots more news and notes coming next week, as well as more reviews. Lots more TV to review. For the four weeks of August, as we cover August 2nd, Monday Night Raw, all the way into the weekend of the 29th, Sunday the 29th, before SummerSlam, in two weeks' time, the watch-along for August 30th. So next week's episode of The Grenade, all about August of 93 in the WWF. Should be a good one. Lots of stuff going on right now, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it. Good shit coming up. Indeed. I've just been informed that Shawn Michaels has left the building. And since Shawn Michaels has left the building, guys, we're on our way out, so be prepared. Lots more news, notes, TV reviews right around the corner. Like I said, August 2nd through the 29th. Next week here as part of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Everything, everything you need to know and everything leading up to the SummerSlam pay-per-view. More matches for the pay-per-view to be announced. Let's not forget, guys, go to our Twitter, our Facebook, follow us, like us, do what you gotta do to win that autographed 8x10, that promo pick of the Made in the USA Lex Luger. Steve's going to be giving that away. We'll announce the winner as part of our SummerSlam watch-along in just two weeks' time. It's been a fun show, Steve. A lot happened here in July with the WWF. <laughs> yeah, it's such a huge show. We had to break it up into two. You know, with the Lex Express getting his whole gimmick, his own thing, and then now this one. Yeah, it's a busy month, but um, we got through it, and we're looking forward to August. I can't wait for the SummerSlam watch-along. Should be a fun one. Should be a good time, guys. And Steve, I want to thank you for being here as we get ready to end this episode of The Grenade. Thanks for having me. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. You guys still there? Wow, you guys truly are loyal. Love you guys so very much. All of our listeners out there in the WrestleCopia Podcast Network world, if you're here after six hours of goodness, WWF goodness from July of 1993, we certainly appreciate it very, very much. Reminder to go over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. All kinds of great goodies over there. 14 tiers you guys can choose from, as low as a $1 tier, just to show your support. Show us you're there. Show us you care, guys. Let us know. You guys support the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Also, i got to remind everybody, the $5 tier, that's the all-access tier, gives you all kinds of good stuff, including 
unedited versions of TR Shocks the World, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series. It covers everything from Coliseum home videos to Clash of the Champions, Saturday night's main event, and all of the pay-per-views that coincide with the Monday Night War era. We have went through 1995. We're midway through 1996 right now. We're just getting ready for the debut of the NWO. Lots of great pay-per-views from both the WWF and WCW over at Patreon.com slash Russell Copia in the Watch Along series. That's the $5 all-access tier. Gives you all of that, plus so much more. It's, it also includes early releases of our show, all of my show notes for not just the Wrestling Memory Grenade, but also Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. Lots of good stuff over there at the $5 all-access tier. So you guys go check that out. And of course, you can cancel at any time, but I don't think you will. I think you guys are going to really enjoy the stuff we put out there on Patreon on a monthly basis. And a final reminder in this episode, Head on over to Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R A S S L I N Grenade. And also Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Follow us, like us, do whatever you got to do on those. Subscribe to the Wrestling Memory Grenade on those social media accounts, Facebook and Twitter. And you guys are automatically entered into all of our free prize giveaways, including the current one ongoing. We're going to be giving away a couple of fun giveaways coming up in just two weeks' time as part of the SummerSlam 93 watch along episode of The Grenade. In just two weeks, we'll be announcing the winner of the autographed promo pick, the autographed 8x10 made in the USA Lex Luger promo pick. And we're also going to be announcing a winner. I'm going to give away three, three WWF magazines from right here in 1993, including the one with Luger on the cover being held up high, You red, white, and blue from SummerSlam. I believe that's the November edition. I'm also giving away the October edition featuring the Steiner brothers on the cover as champions. Of course, by then, well, we'll get to that when we get there. And I'm also giving away the August edition because... We are heading into August of 93. So three editions of the WWF Magazine I'm giving away. Steve's giving away the Lex Luger autograph promo pick as well. We're going to be announcing both winners in just two weeks' time. And of course, lastly, guys, I've already been putting up tons of new videos over at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Lots of new USWA, March, April, USWA. Lots of good stuff going on there in 1993 with the WWF crossover. Lots of good stuff involving the Macho Man Randy Savage and Sensational Sherry reuniting and attacking Jerry the King Lawler on Memphis TV and a lot of other good stuff as well over there at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And I guess it's that time now, guys, time to say goodbye. We will be back again next week, August of 1993 on the way. We're talking everything from August 2nd, Monday Night Raw, all the way through Sunday, August 29th, the day before SummerSlam. That's right, 1993 SummerSlam on a Monday, August 30th. We're going to cover everything the 2nd, through the 29th, everything leading into the big pay-per-view. So for now, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there. You are an absolute idiot!